We don't serve their kind here. What? The joints. They left to wait outside. We don't want them. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host of the show, and you are listening to episode 64, Def Alistar Droid. Uh, joining me, as always, fresh back from a brilliant adventure in America, it's Rich Touchstone. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. That sounds very, very chirpy for you. I like I like that new Richard. Uh, you know me, the, the, the glass is always an eighth full. <laughs> I reckon you've got some new friends, and that's why you're feeling all all chipper. Uh, also joining us is the crazy Ray Focus Collector, with his uh, uh he likes to display by stacking things up. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. Can't be even a stacking. Eh? Anyway, what is it? Talking about Richard with friends? They're not friends, are they? Let's face it. He hasn't had a friend for like, twenty five years. That's why he's excited. Pete, I won't bring it up yet, but I noticed that you've chosen your focus for tonight's main topic. Brilliant. And of course, the two uh, rotating rotating guests. I want a new word for that. I don't like it. You need to come up with something better than that. But uh, for the first time as a main guest on the show, hasn't actually had an interview yet. Well, I think you appeared on one of the NA. We've now got Andy Preston here. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Stu. Evening, all. Now, Andy, you're you're pretty active. I, I often see, especially in the old oddball groups, I see you uh, picking bits up left, right, and centre. You like a uh, you like your extra bits, don't you? I do. I like a bit of old ball. I'm a British collector, basically. Um, what means the most to me is stuff that either I had as a kid or friends had or stuff that you'd see in the shop. So uh, um, very much best of British. That's my collection. Um, so anything from the action figure line through to the soaps and the stationery and the really wacky stuff, stranger the better. Oh, right. So and the other the other guest um, guest host tonight is, a, is also a, a bit down the same sort of lines because he is an admin on the Beyond the Toys group. And he's also, I believe, pretty into his British lines. And he was our main interview back on episode 22, March 2016. I couldn't believe that. Three and a half years ago. Uh, he's been on the show numerous times since. Welcome back, Mark Daniels. Good evening, lads. Three and a half years, mate. I couldn't quite believe that when I uh, looked that up earlier. It's, um, time's flown, mate. It really has. It has. And time's been good for you. you you're looking really good. I was looking at your bikini snaps the other day I'll, on Facebook. I'll see you in the next couple of weeks, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you both on board for this show, boys. Um, hopefully for many shows to come. Nice one. Cheers. Honoured to be asked. Yeah, me too. Cheers. Before we get into anything Star Warsy, I just wanted to to say a big thank you to some of our listeners. When I returned from Celebration, uh, was hit with the news that my sister had had got cancer and not been able to do anything i decided you know all know me pretty overweight very unfit so i decided to do the great north run which was just uh yeah uh, a couple of days ago but the support and sponsorship from 
the Star Wars community has been amazing. So I just want to name check a few people just to say a massive thank you for all the donations. So Andrew Kemp, Jason Langendorfer, Sean Moynihan, Andy Preston, <laughs> you're here, uh, Craig Spivey, Scott Cato, Jez, Nick Rayner, Chris Leddy, Simon McCohen, Nick Sheert, Mark Hockley, Christian Sommer, Dallas Ewan, Andrew Norton, Clint Garnis, Dan Burgess, Adam Gadsby, Stephen Callier, Anthony Spinicki, Stephen Cluth, Jason Smith, Paul Davis, Stephen Savory, and Andy Nichol. Thank you, boys, so, so much. Um, I had, a, from my target, I think I hit something like 320%. I still had a bit come in. Really, really do appreciate that support from the community because without you, I wouldn't have hit anywhere near the amount of money I did. Really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. I was going to bring up the trailers, but I'm not sure. Rich, you're going to be totally against that, aren't you? I am going to be totally against it. I've got no problem if you're saying you're excited by it or you're looking forward to going to see it. And I also know that some of our listeners don't want spiders as well. So as long as you don't go into, um, oh, yeah, do you see the bit where he got his head chopped off with a toothbrush? You know, I don't want to see stuff like that. Well, I was more thinking kind of nods to the, the toy line, particularly in the Mandalorian trailer, how many nods to the vintage era there are. But... If you're not too comfortable talking about it, we can we can skip past it. Alan minutes too. He just said he loves going over to America. I'm going to be put this back in again when he redoes it. I love going to America and celebration. See all the trailers, all the all the bits and pieces. He queues up overnight and then suddenly he doesn't want to say, "Come on, Richard." I think we're having a little bit of a laugh here, mate. Let's just okay. Let's just just, just we should just have... mute him and talk. Let's just have a little round robin about. <laughs> about your, your thoughts without giving too much away and how excited you are for either or both, preferably. Andy? Yeah, Mandalorian looks really good. Lots of original trilogy vibes coming out of that one. Um, lots of um, characters and the original alien species coming back again. That's great to see. Yeah, really good. And as you say, um, some nice nods back to the vintage toy line. I think I spotted a uh, tripod laser cannon in there somewhere. Um, so, uh, yeah, really, really up for that one. Uh, episode 9, yeah, trailer looks good but uh, I'm one of those that wasn't over keen on The Last Jedi um, jury's out on that one, I'll go in probably not with very high expectations and uh, just see what they managed to do with it, but uh, yeah, some great visuals in that trailer, that's for sure Beautiful, what about you Mark? Um, Mandalorian, from what I've seen of it so far and what I've heard, it, it, it kind of evokes what the original Star Wars film was was for me in terms of visual and the whole kind of vibe of it, it looks like a space western. Um, and I think that's the vibe they're really going for. Um, it, it looks fantastic. And the bit with um, IG-11, not IG-88, um, where he comes out and he's, he's firing in all directions. He's gone from one of the most static characters in the whole of the... Um, universe to one of the most agile so uh, yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what he's like uh, you know how they kind of flesh that character out a bit more it's going to be it's going to be cool um episode nine i don't know i'm, I'm kind of I, I would echo andy's uh sentiments i'm not a massive fan of last jedi so i i don't hold great hopes for the for the last one but um i, I was very lucky to have uh, visited the set some of the sets at Pinewood um, last year, and I can't go into too much detail other than that. Um, and the sets look amazing, absolutely fantastic. And um, 
Yeah, it's going to be cool to see that on the big screen when I go and watch it. But um, in terms of the actual film, the trailer looks look good, you know. But then again, I said that about Last Jedi and I said that about um, The Force Awakens. So I, I don't know. Well, let's, let's wait and see. Rich, was you surprised to see Darth Vader fully alive in the trailer? Uh, right. I'm, I'm not as bothered about TV trailers, so I happily watched The Mandalorian. Um, I think <sighs> I pretty much agree with everything that uh, Mark said. You know, it's it seems to have hit the time period perfectly. What I don't want them to do in the Mandalorian is invent a new stormtrooper costume and another batch of ships for something that happened pretty close to the end of Jedi. You know, it has to fit in with that time period. Obviously, I haven't seen Episode Nine trailer. Um, I've seen one or two images. I've pretty much, you know, got the people who spoil images on Facebook pretty much muted at the moment and they'll not come back onto my feed until um, after I've seen episode 9 but I'm of the camp that I did enjoy episode 8 I really enjoyed it yes there's some stuff in episode 8 that made me cringe and I almost apologised to my kids for the mother joke because that was just ridiculous but overall and I only watched The Last Jedi again 2 or 3 days ago I, I, I enjoyed it so I'm going into episode 9 just like I have every other Star Wars movie, expecting to be entertained. And that, that's what I'm wanting. I just want to be entertained. Okay, okay. And Pete? I think the episode 9 supposed trailer wasn't really... It was just a bit of a, a few bolt-ons, wasn't it? So it was what we saw at, in Chicago. There was a bit of original trilogy fluff in there to get people excited. I mean, it was only a D23, the, the Disney Expo kind of, you know, let's show them something. And then they kind of had the usual thing where they showed the same scenes they already showed, but from a slightly different perspective or slightly different bits of the same scenes. And then tacked that bit on at the end, which got everyone excited. Um, so it wasn't really, there wasn't any particularly more interest than what we already knew. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always excited for Star Wars films. Um, I like all the Star Wars films because they're all fun. And um, a bit like Rich, really. The Last Jedi was, you know, had some moments where you think, oh, what are you doing? You know, if you absolute cringe moments but apart from that um i was quite i'm quite excited by it but uh, i don't think there was any particularly too much people seem to get very excited by that trailer but um there wasn't really much in it as for the mandalorian um just to kind of go on again from what, what rich said it seems to be like it's supposed to be they released some information didn't they this week saying it's supposed to be the um the the start of the the first order and how it becomes the first order or or, or the remnants of the old empire going into the first order. So that'll be the backdrop of the, of the show. So we should get a lot of, I think where a lot of people get upset about the new trilogy is there's a, there's a lack of old stuff in there, like old aliens and ships and that sort of stuff. So I'm hoping the Mandalorian bridges the gap in that. And we get a lot of the, the old aliens, you know, we see some Rodians and squid heads seem to be popping up all over the place. Let's get those in there. So um, yeah, just lots of good Star Wars stuff. I just hope, we don't continue to see this this online media nonsense that's going on. You know, the, the Star Wars hate is very profitable, and that seems to be leading a lot of people into just hating everything that comes along, no matter what. And it's actually, uh, you know, infected a lot. Of, it seems to have affected a lot of people. You know, people, people like Paul Bateman, you know, every tweet about Star Wars, oh, I hate Star Wars, I hate new Star Wars, it's all rubbish. It's very sad to see, actually. But yeah, excited, Stu. Stu, very excited. I am very excited, and I'm very, very excited. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. 
don't you agree? And of course, before that, just a stone's throw now, October the 5th, I think it is, we've got the next Echo Live show. Now, Mark, I take it you'll be there selling? Absolutely, wouldn't miss it. Um, I've done it for the past few years now, and I, I say it to everybody that, that says, you know, what's it like? And I say every single one, every consecutive one gets better and better. Um, it's it's a must uh, attend event as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so you'll be you'll be there selling. Um, I'm sure, Andy, will you be in attendance? Yeah, I'll definitely be there. I'm coming along, see what I can pick up. Uh, never know what you're going to find at the the, uh, the Echo Live events. Uh, there's all sorts on display, vintage and modern. Um, so yeah, always come away with something really cool. Um, some good guests as well. Um, they've got um, Tim Rose, who played Admiral Akbar, and some other characters. I've been wanting to meet him for years, so really keen to meet him, have a chat, and get an autograph. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I I am selling a little bit with uh, our dear old tall friend Simon. Uh, Rich, are you coming down? Yeah, I'm coming down. I'm hoping to borrow a quarter quarter of your table. Um, we'll see. But yes, as always, I am coming as down. always, you always just turn up with these bags and just slap it all on my table. Well, remember last time you covered um <laughs> covered Simon had all these really nice mint on cards on the table for sale, and you covered it with a piece of old cardboard. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. And uh, I've, obviously, I've got yours and Simon's pickups from America to uh, to drop off as well. So, um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and um, Pete. I'm sure you'll be at football. Yeah, I mean, unless unless we've got a home game or one nearby, I won't make it again. Um, you, can always, you can always pop over for a beer, though. You're very close in the evening. Well, yeah, maybe. But, you know. But, um, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait to see what Mark's uh, got us on 80% discount for TVR members. It depends on what favours you're going to be prepared to give me, Stu. Well, I'm uh, pretty easy uh, on things like that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't say things like that to me. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> I'm seeing a new side to Mark here. You know, you can't take the ball out of the middle and see Why not dodging? Yeah. One other thing I wanted to bring up before we get onto our acquisitions and that, I don't know whether anyone else saw it on the old Echo group. A story from a chap called Chris Strode, who had a chance to meet him with Stuart Freeborn. Um, I would like someone else to run with this. Who Who read that story? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did as well, yeah. Gents, I'll, I'll let you, as as you're both fresh here, to give us an overview of that story between the two of you. Yeah, it's a great story. So Chris, when he was young, uh, I think it was a mate of his, had a dad um, who did aerial photography. Um, so they'd take the photographs and then they'd go around and they'd try and sell them to the householders. And this chap went and knocked on the door of an elderly gentleman. And he said, uh, oh, uh, I won't buy the photo because you haven't got my workshop in, where I make all my creatures. So he said, if you can redo the photo, come back, uh, and I'll buy one from you. Um, And they must have showed him the workshop, because um, this uh, mate's dad um, came back and said uh, um, to his son um, and to Chris, would you like to come along? And it turned out to be Stuart Freeborn's house, and the workshop at the bottom of the garden turned out to be where he was making and storing a lot of the... uh, uh, masks and other props from the Star Wars saga. Um, so they went along. Uh, I guess they sold him a photograph and they went down and had a good look around his shed. And the stuff that was in there was incredible. Uh, I guess this was later, uh, probably after Return of the Jedi, because there was stuff from um, all three movies there. 
but the uh, the items he'd got just on a workbench and in black plastic bags, it was just incredible stuff. Um, so going through the photographs that uh, Chris posted, uh, he's got a baby Ewok puppet. He had a Yoda head uh, missing the ears, uh, but a fantastic piece. Uh, there was the Ranet from the, the uh, Star Wars Cantina. That's the one that looks a bit like a rat. Uh, he got two Greedo heads. Uh, there was a Bosk head, a um, couple of other cantina aliens, uh, a Snaggletooth. From uh, Empire Strikes Back, he had Luke's cut-off hand still holding the lightsaber um, and the cut-off wrist bit, which Mark Hamill would have held up his sleeve. Um, what else did he have? He had a life cast of Peter Cushing. Uh, he had a Chewbacca mask. Uh, some fantastic stuff, really. So, yeah, what an opportunity to go and not only meet the guy, but uh, to see all these wonderful creations as well. Did, did we ever find out what um, happened to all that stuff afterwards? Did, did Stuart Freeborn um, sort of have a prop master's auction at some point, or is it still in that shed? I think somebody on Facebook posted that it's all in a collection in France now, uh, in private hands. Um, I know a lot of Stuart stuff was sold through Prop Store, I think, but uh, uh, I don't think I've ever seen any of those masks come up. So, yeah, that probably tallies with what was uh, said on Facebook, that uh, they are all now in private hands, sadly. I loved the um, the little nod to Yoda as well. Um, I've read that somewhere before, but modelled on uh, a mixture of Stuart Freeborn's face with Albert Einstein's moustache and brow. And when you see Stuart Freeborn, there's a picture, isn't there, with him holding like a half-made Yoda mask, you can actually see his face quite clearly in that mask. Yeah, love that. Love that little thing. Mark, if you could, uh, if you could add one of those to your collection, what would you choose? Definitely the, um, the Luke hand holding the lightsaber. Yeah. Um, I mean, if that was the actual one from The Empire Strikes Back, I mean, that's, that would just look fantastic in a, a glass cabinet, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're right. To be honest with you, looking at them, I'll just have anything. <laughs> any of it, any of it looks, it's all amazing. I, personally, I try and avoid most of the latex stuff because the, the trouble with latex, it doesn't age particularly well, does it? It t- tends to um, disintegrate over time. Um, I, I'm not sure whether you can uh, preserve it or, you know, encase it in something to stop it rotting. But um, even in some of those pictures, some of the latex masks looked a bit um, sort of dog-eared, should we say. Yeah, especially the um, right-hand-sided Greedo. Yeah. Is, uh, looks like he's seen better days. Yeah, very cool. And uh, what fantastic story and fantastic images it is. Uh, brilliant story, Chris. And um... Can I just add something at this point? Of course you um, it's 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 not directly related to the story, but in a similar kind of way. But um, I bought on eBay uh, a couple of weeks ago the MPC Alien kit from 1979 off a seller on eBay, and um, weirdly she uh, messaged me saying, um, "I've boxed your model kit up and I'm sending it to you now. Um, just thought you might like to know that um, my dad worked on the film as a plasterer, and um, she had." a load of props from aliens. She said when she was a little girl, we got into this conversation, this back and forth, this conversation, because I wanted to, to elaborate on on uh, what her father did and was he credited on the film and, and what have you. And um, uh, she said, uh, oh, no, uh, w- she used to be 
uh, allowed to visit the set. Um, and she remembers going to see the set with the uh, alien jockey, the, the you know, the full full size set. Um, and also some of the Nostromo uh, sets as well. Um, and I just thought, what, what, what a cool memory to have uh, as, a, as a child to be allowed to go onto these um, movie sets and um, interact with some of the actors. She says she remembers Sigourney Weaver very well. Uh, she was uh, very, very friendly. And um, uh, I think she gifted uh, a father something. I can't remember what it was, but she showed me some photographs of um, casts off the original alien like that the the hand she had an alien hand mounted on a, a sort of mahogany block and it just looked amazing and you know it's just one of those chance meetings that you have either online or in person that um can bear fruit so uh, yeah i've told her to keep an eye out for anything else that she might have uh, sort of tucked away in the loft that's a great story you're, ke- you're keeping that one uh <laughs> friendly yeah. are you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i don't blame you mate Watch this space, mate. Yeah, I love stories like that. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully uh, it'd be great to have something from Alien. For all the other films outside of Star Wars. He, he worked on, I think he worked on Empire, you know, because would it be Pinewood? Um, a lot of these films are made at Pinewood. So I, I asked her if he worked on some of my favourite ones like Crawl, um, Don't Laugh, um, uh, Flash Gordon. She, he worked on Flash Gordon, apparently. And um, she, he had uh, some original pops from Frash Gordon uh, sort of tucked away in the loft. Uh, so, yeah, definitely uh, keeping her on board. I used to, um, when I was at school, uh, in maths, we had to sit in alphabetical order on surnames. And I used to, a lad that I didn't really know through my school life, but there was a lad called Gareth Steers. And I used to, have to sit next to him in maths. And uh, it just turned out that um, his uncle was John Steers, who worked quite heavily on Star Wars and on all the Bond films, special effects. And he had the, all the original drawings for R2-D2. Brought them into school once. Wouldn't no. really have them. That's yeah. cool. All rolled up. And I don't even know whether he's really that bothered about Star Wars and that. But, um, yeah, if you check the end of Star Wars, he's one of the first named under special effects, John Steers. He's under all the Bond films. It was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> he just brought them in just to rub my face in it, I think. But uh, hey. uh, Did you uh, keep in touch with the guy whose uncle it was and... No, no, to be honest with you, I was never, never really that pally with him at school. It was only because we had to sit together in maths. And um, I think I used to force him to play battleships in the back of our books. But that's about as far as our relationship went. We can always go and commit burglary, you know. We can go and get these things back, you know, yeah. put them where they'd be appreciated. Come on, let's find him. It's Facebook. <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't giving him that's <laughs> mate. Get your hands on those plans. Yeah, he wouldn't even let me touch him. He brought him in. He, he unrolled him. He was like... He but, did that anyway, Mark. You know, just just yeah. just, just from yeah, before Star yeah. Wars. It yeah. wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, bloody uh, people. Right then, moving on. So we're going to move on to our latest acquisitions. I'm going to do what I did last week with Jason last month with Jason and Ed, and start with Mark and Andy. Obviously, not since I last had you on the show because uh, Mark, that's three and a half years, and Andy, that is forty, however old you are, years. So just your recent pickups. Uh, let's start with Mark. Well, I don't know about you lads, but um, collecting goes through funny sort of times for me because you can go months, sometimes seemingly years, without sort of finding stuff that you actually want to add to your collection. And I had a really sort of bad run on uh, resales because I collect palatoy resales. But like buzzes, you know, um, all of a sudden three come along at once. So I managed to bag a 20-back reseal R5-D4 
and that was off Ian Whitlock on uh, who's Paddy fan on the forum. So we're, thanks to thanks to Ian. Uh, the Hammerhead, 20-back Hammerhead, I got off uh, Steve Davis on uh, Facebook. And um, I managed to get a 45A Attack Commander, and that was uh, a recent one on eBay. Um, and I uh, managed to get that under £200, and it was a really nice example. And it was a mock, it wasn't a reseal, uh, which um, is a good thing about 45As. You can actually pick up a mock for the same sort of price you would any normal kind of palatoy resale. So we're pleased with that. Um, the, my, probably my favourite thing that I've picked up recently is um, uh, HC Ford pencil sharpener box from the first issue, uh, stationary range. The Jedi ones, are, whilst not common, um, you can find them every now and again, but the first issue stuff is very, very hard to find, and I've been after one of those for a long time, so I managed to get one of those on eBay recently. Probably the last thing that I bought recently is a Palatoy boxed Torn Torn first issue, uh, Solid Belly, which not a rare thing, but um, I found out only last year that um, they came in two different boxes, one with the Palatoy logo as a sticker over a Kenner box, and uh, a rarer, less known, is the printed Palatoy box, uh, pr printed logo, shall I say. Um, and I've been after one of those since I found out, basically. And uh, that was the first one that popped up at a, a reasonable price in decent condition. So we're, now I've got all three. So, yeah, happy days. But th those are my latest acquisitions anyway. That's some pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive items there, mate. All of them lovely. I, I saw... The photo you posted when you were talking about the first issue, is that the stuff you've got, your HC Ford? Because that was a great picture you put up. Yes, it is. That's that's out of my personal collection, and I'm finding now, because uh, like Andy, I only collect UK stuff from Star Wars and Empire. I don't even bother with Jedi, just Star Wars and Empire um, has to be UK. And I'm just finding it so difficult now to find things that I actually want to add to my collection and I've got like a list of maybe 10 things that I really, really want. And they just you just can't find them. They're just impossible to find. So what do you do with collecting then? If you've got months where you're not picking stuff up, do, do you collect other toy lines? I've just started collecting um, purely, purely because of that. Because I'm finding I'm going long periods of time now where I'm not actually adding anything to my collection. That I'm, I'm losing that kind of collecting buzz so i've started going back into other lines again so collecting galactica black hole uh, star trek motion picture uh, book rogers toy lines from the sort of 70s and the 80s that back of that kind of thing and i'm really enjoying it because you can pick some really cool stuff up at a fraction of the price yeah it is nice when you uh, delve into that and you can uh, afford i don't know if you saw on on star wars form the other day i think it was grant had bumped bumped some old Fred from Ian. It was only like 2013, but it was like, like a scout, try logo, 28 quid. And it's like, like then you look at recent Crazy. sales, and it's like 250 quid, and it's like six years. It's just, yeah, yeah mental. But um, Gold gold uh, prices haven't um, been as strong and as buoyant as Star Wars memorabilia, mate. No, no, absolute mental. Andy, what about yourself? 
Yeah, I've picked up a few nice things. I mean, the great thing about having a, a very wide focus, um, like I say, it's just about anything either made in Britain or for the British market back in the day. Uh, there's always bits and pieces that I can collect. So uh, I've had a few nice bits in recently. Um, first thing to mention, um, coming in from uh, Mr. Mark Daniels, actually, uh, got a really nice bagged uh, HC Ford stationary set. So this is in a sealed poly bag. Uh, I think these were sold through catalogue retailers um, as a way of selling a few stationary bits together. Um, so this bag contains a sketch pad, uh, a mini memo notepad, um, a pencil uh, with a uh, Emperor's Royal Guard pencil topper on that, uh, and an eraser. Um, so nice little set there. Very pleased with that. Picked up a um, Palatoy Grey X-Wing. Um, so this was the rarer Palatoy version of the X-Wing um, based on the Kenner body, um, the one that uh, I think you guys talked about on the podcast um, last show or two. Uh, the one that um, has got the electronic button on the back, but not the electronic features, uh, moulded in the grey plastic. So I got that in a nice uh, Empire, Strikes uh, Empire Strikes Back box. Really pleased with that. That's the first one of those I've ever had. Uh, I got um, a Frankel and Roth uh, bag. Um, again, I think uh, Jez was talking about those on the podcast recently. So this is a school bag, um, like a satchel. Uh, there was a set of four of these, so this is the third out of four um, that I've got. Um, they've got the Star Wars logo, but they actually feature scenes from the Empire Strikes Back. So this particular one has got a lovely picture of the Hoth battle. Um, so uh, just one more to go in that run. Uh, I got a Dairy Lee box, um, not a complete box. Somebody's cut the um, top and the bottom off, so uh, missing the sides uh, of the box. Uh, and I think this one was stuck into a scrapbook. Uh, but you've got the complete top and the complete bottom of the box um, unused uh, with the transfer sheet with it. Um, so that's the space scene. And again, that's three out of the four of those um, that I need. And then the other thing that I got recently, which I'm pleased with, um, is a set of four storyboards from the Empire Strikes Back. Um, now, storyboards being paper items, uh, provenance is really important with those, knowing where they've come from. Um, and actually, these ones don't come with any provenance. So I've taken a little bit of a flyer on these. Uh, they came from an eBay seller, um, somebody who was selling a lot of um, cinema-related um, stuff, not just Star Wars, um, he got uh, cinema posters and um, general memorabilia, um, press releases, material like that from all sorts of different movies. Um, he'd actually got these listed as from, from uh, Return of the Jedi, rather. Um, so he didn't really know what he had. Um, but uh, I got them for a very good price. Um, got them in hand and they feel the same as other um, genuine storyboards that I've got. They're identical on size and they've got the punch holes in the right place. So uh, I think odds are they probably are the real thing. And they're a really nice set. Um, so there's four in total. Um, the first one is a um, set of scenes from the Wampa Cave. Um, so within the one storyboard, there are four separate pictures uh, showing Luke calling the uh, lightsaber into his hand and the Wampa attacking and Luke fighting it. Uh, second storyboard um, is uh, Luke leaping away from the crashed snow speeder with the walker foot coming down on top of it. Uh, next one is the rebel pilots on Hoth towards the end of the battle uh, where they're stood there by the X-Wings and the transports uh, ready to pack up and, uh, and leave. 
And then the fourth one is a space scene. Uh, so you've got a couple of TIE fighters coming in, flying over the camera and shooting at the Millennium Falcon. So uh, some, some really good uh, storyboards they have there. So uh, uh, yeah, those, those are my highlights over the last month or two. Very pleased with those. Just a couple of bits in. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. There's some great items there as well. <laughs> well, I, I hope I, these boys can match it because Richard's been to a big event and uh, Pete, I, I sometimes love his random items. Pete, you bought an item for a penny, didn't you? I did, Stu, <laughs> but no, it's not vintage. Well, you know, let's say new vintage. <laughs> I'm going to call it new vintage from now on. Um, now, I've been, I've been, I think I was told the last few months, just been clearing up Amidala items, I think with Amidala on it, or Queen Amidala, it has to be Queen Amidala from episode one. So, yeah, I've been, I've been some of the stuff that's been being sold, you can just pick it for hardly anything. Like I said, yeah, got a, it was a box of, it was an empty box of biscuits <laughs> for a penny. A penny. Never bought anything for a penny before off eBay. But yeah, I've been getting all sorts. I think my favourite pick of the month was there was two things I've got to mention. The one is, um, and you normally get this with uh, the Amidala costume. But I'm not sure I can really like get excited about buying a massive box costume. But Queen Amidala makeup kit. <laughs> the makeup is going to suffer. It is the stuff in there is the quite badly, but packaging is quite a, kind of cool. Got that for hardly anything. So uh, one of our one of our frenzied listeners, David Reed, has sent me a huge bunch of stuff. All episode one, all paperwork, um, some I'm assuming they're kind of bootleg stickers from Taiwan, uh, and they're from you know, original Star Wars uh, episode one Star Wars. I mean, absolutely fantastic designs, completely insane. They're all sparkly. I'll have to I'll have to bring some to Father's from and give them away. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of fun for some prizes maybe but uh yeah so it just uh, just absolutely loads of amadalas of it. it's so so cheap and it's quite a kind of fun to uh to get hold of it so whether it's worth the thing i don't care it's uh but it's building it is building up i am starting to get you know slightly crazed on it um in fact i've agreed to go and pick up a huge bog, uh, lot of of someone not too far away um of basically cereal boxes from episode one tons of them Kellogg's, Rice Krispers, all that sort of stuff. All with Amidala on the front. But yeah, just just just, just loving the Amidala stuff. Just having a bit of fun with that at the moment. So no, no, no vintage. vintage. No vintage. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping Dave Tree does a show soon, maybe towards Christmas time, that would allow me to be in an environment where I can buy some vintage. But there we go. Uh Rich then, you went to that event. It's been a month. Did you I know you've already uh, mentioned in a non-recorded section <laughs> that you bought 31 mm-hmm. Master of the Universe. Any Star Wars? Yeah, I got a couple of Star Wars items from Women's Heels at, um, at the annual. So I bought from Mike Cooper, I bought an Empire Strikes Back Hoarded Hoth Rebel Commander. So I was delighted with that. Got that for a really, really good price. Wasn't it a Hoth Rebel Soldier? Uh, I thought it was Hot Commander. I could be wrong. I think you're wrong. I think you'll find it was the soldier because he's one of my favourite figures. And I thought, ah, oh, Richard's picked that up. Oh, and I but, bought uh, a, um, a hot level soldier from uh, Mike Cooper. <laughs> um, I got two full sets of Dixie Cups. So one was a Saga set because I haven't finished my Saga collection. And I went right through the cups and I'm still five or so short. So I thought I would finish off my Saga collection, but I didn't. And I bought a full set of Empire Strikes Back Dixie Cups, but I bought it for the box because I really love the Empire Strikes Back Dixie Cup boxes more than anything else. So it was the Yoda one with all the, the nice greens of Dagobah, and it was a fantastic box. So I was really, really pleased with that. I bought a Star Wars vinyl carry case from Bill Cable. 
who brought it to the States for us. Uh, so he brought it to New York for us because he lives in the States. And unfortunately, it's the only Star Wars carrier case that I already own. So it's better than the one that I've got. So the other one will be going for sale at um, Echo Live when I get down there. And I bought a carded, um, I don't know the company who makes these actually off the top of my head, but it's a Return of the Jedi pencil sharpener and a razor, and it has the Ewok on the front of them. So I've got a nice little set of that. But as I said there, I, I picked up many non-Star Wars items, but I don't want to go through those. So those are my purchases for this month, and I've got something pretty special coming for next month. Oh, what's that? I'm not telling you. I'm, ex- I'm excited, Rich. I don't know about everyone else, but I'm excited. If you let me know what it is, and I can correct you when you buy it next month. Yeah, you're probably good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't don't, don't, uh, don't tease us, uh, Rich. Just tell us. No, well, it won't mean anything to you, but you'll find out next month. Oh, yeah. he's just tease, isn't he? He's one of those miserable uncles who teases you. Do you know what? Last month I I bought an awful lot, but um, this month I bought three items. Didn't write it down. I have boxed some stuff away, and I now can't remember what I bought. But the only thing I can actually remember and find, which I've got in my hand, was from our good Spanish. Spanish comrade Pete, the man that sent you some beautiful pieces. Well, um, only one really. I haven't really bought anything off him, but I do love everything he has to sell. Yeah, so Javier oh, Florencio Suarez. Yeah, so I've bought off him a bootleg um, magnetic game, travel game, from I think it's 1978, but uh, uh, it's just got on the front of it Guerrero Espacial. Uh, it's made by a company called Jaipa, but it's got X-Wings and TIE Fighters and the Death Star on the front. And uh, it's got all these little magnet bits inside, a little grid, but the instructions are in Spanish, so never be able to play it. But hey, it looks nice. He said it's a very, very difficult piece to get. There, there is a cardboard sleeve to go over the outside of the box, but um, he's only just found one after years and years and years of looking, and that's why he's sold this one on. Yeah, but I'm not sure what else I bought, so I will have a think about that and have to do it next month. Because my mind is totally blank. I've had a lot going on and I can't think for the life of me what it was. But hey. But um, yeah, lovely pickup, especially uh, from the Mark and Andy. Uh, some very impressive pieces. Now we're going to go to the quiz. Jason won the quiz last month, but it's all to shame. So no pressure on the new guys. Richard's taken the quiz, so this, this could be anything. <laughs> I say that about Pete, but uh, <laughs> yeah, right there. Richard's Cantal last an hour, so best of luck, lads. I don't know how you did, because my, my quizzes are always nice and concise. Okay, right, the way the quiz is going to work, lads. So we've got two teams initially, and there'll only be two rounds, and the winning team will go for a head-to-head in the final, okay? So it's very simple. It's a very, very simple quiz. You are going to be given one minute to discuss and debate, and you have to name the first 10 cannot released action figures that appear in the movies that you select in order you will get one point for every figure that you get out of the first 10 and you'll get three points for everyone that you get in the correct order in the movie in which they appeared so obviously the phantom menace isn't one of these but if you had the phantom menace and C-3PO was the first character that kind of released and was seen in, in The Phantom Menace, then you would get one point for getting 3PO and an extra three for having it first. Can I ask okay. a quick question, Rich? Nope. No, you can't. Right. Okay, but that's just going to confuse people with... It's a serious question. Go on, then. Better be serious. So, is this purely from the figure line? It's not... If it was Empire, you're not going to be looking for the Probot. Ah, right. 
I'm going to clarify what I mean for each movie, okay? So, when you get your movie, I will give you some additional things of what I might be looking at, okay? So, it's just the first ten. The first ten is what you need to remember. Right, so to start it off, I need somebody to get an answer to a quick question, and then you will be able to choose your team member to shout out answers to get it right. In Return of the Jedi... At the 22 minute and 12 second mark, a key scene happens. What is it? Uh, carbonite. Uh, nope. Freezing. Layer. Nope. <laughs> R2-D2 firing out the lightsaber. Nope. Take. Darth Vader strangles someone. Nope. Layer killing Jabba. Nope. You're way too late. Before all this. Way too late. 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what happens in Return of the Jedi? Wait, I can't remember. Luke falling into the rank pit. Nope. R2 and 3PO arrive at Jabba's palace. You're close. Ooh. R2 delivers the message. Nope. That look. Uh, you see a Beaumont monk walking around. Ooh. I'm going to give it a Pete, okay? Oh! Luke, Luke enters Jabba's palace at that moment in time. Okay, so Pete... You have the honour of choosing your partner. Now, if you're feeling really, really lucky, you might want to pick Stu. But if you want to have a good go at winning, you might want to be looking at Mark and Andy. Don't pick me, because I didn't, I didn't answer a single one. Eh? <laughs> well, I think, I think it should be, it should be old boys versus new boys. So Stu, you and me, yeah, let's do Ooh, it. Oh, that's, that's cocky confidence for you. That's like, uh, that's like playing golf with a handicap of eighty-seven. Yeah, but that's that's I'm I'm the handicap. Yeah. What do you say? Like, you're very rude. Stu's the prop. Stu's 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 the one who actually answers. Come on, Stu. We've got Google. Uh... Nah, Google's not <laughs> going to be your friend on this one. Yeah, no, now. Google's going to help today, Pete. <laughs> I just right. Google things and see what he comes up with. Okay, then. So Pete and Stu. Okay, Pete and Stu. First of all, I need a number one, two, three, or four. Go on, Stu, you choose. Go on, Pete, you choose, because you're choosing well. Two, two. Number two. Okay. Right. As it happens, you've got the Return of the Jedi. Okay. So, from the very first second of Return of the Jedi, you're going to get one minute. Okay, and I'll tell you when that starts. I want the ten figures that Ken have released. Okay. So, this could be, for example, if Luke Farmboy appeared in Return of the Jedi... I would count Luke Farm Boys being a character, even though, you know, you get what I mean, he was released earlier. But the first 10 Kenner released figures in Return of the Jedi, you've got one minute to discuss starting from now. Well, the opening <laughs> scene is Vader's shuttle arriving, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, so Vader, and there's got there's stormtroopers there, isn't there? Is that an Imperial gunner? Well, there's Imperial gunners there, wasn't there, in, the, in that big bunch of people. Okay, so I'll put there's that There's also, I'm You've assuming there was... <laughs> uh, let's say Stormtroopers, Darth Vader... Um, uh, Is it like a Death Squad commander type character? And then you go to... You've got R2 and 3PO in the desert. You've probably got TIE fighter pilots in that, in, that, in that big amount of people. Yeah, you've got uh, Leah Bush um, early on. Han... Yeah, way there though, because you're then in the... You're in Jabba's palace. You yeah. saw a... Um, Mommy guard, yeah, yeah. Before her, what I'm saying is, if it goes into Jabba's palace, you've got all the characters. Yeah, but, char- yeah, but you've got Bib, you've got Bib Fortune, yeah. Got yeah. Bib, you know? 
Uh, I'm going to give you another 30 got, seconds. Uh, how many we said so far? 30 uh, seconds. Uh, because so they go have... back to the Emperor arriving after a scene, don't they? Yes. Yeah, oh, Luke, Emperor... Luke Jedi. He's um, in the hologram, isn't he? Yeah, but how many figures he have? I mean, if you've got Luke Jedi, you must have Bear Bushka's in there and Chewbacca. Bring Chewbacca no, R2 goes in first with the... with the. Um... Okay, how, 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 early, how early do we see um, Lando do his little... little... Headwink always in the background. That's when Leia arrives, isn't it? Ten yeah. seconds. And Chewbacca's in there. Yeah, Chewbacca's but definitely not. R2 and 3PO arrive first. Yeah, yeah. We've got definitely those displays Luke Jedi. But it's what characters are around That's got to be ten. That's got to be ten, surely. Stop, I've got three, okay. four, five, six, stop, seven, stop, eight. Stop, I've got stop, ten stop, written stop. down. Okay. <laughs> right, so give me your ten first of all. Okay, actually, you'll <laughs> put them in order. Because you we get extra points to get in the right order. Go for the It'll be in the right order. Uh, you get extra points if they're in the right order. Okay, extra okay. Yeah. So, okay. Do you want me just to read this list we've got, Pete? Go on, read the list. Right. Death Squad Commander or Star Destroyer Commander, whatever you want to call that figure. Yep, so that's in the correct order as well. So you're going to get oh, four. Okay. Oh, no, no, sorry. I made a mistake there. Nope, that was the second character. So you've got Imperial one Gunners first, yeah? Nope. Darth Vader, surely first. No, he doesn't, not until he gets off the ship, is it? They do the talking, don't they? Because he's coming into but land. How much, how much that background do you see, though? How much right, that background so you didn't you get the first character. The you said Death Squad Commander. What's next? Um, let's <laughs> read, read this list. Yeah. Oh, read the list. Read this. Uh, Imperial Gunner. Next. Vader. Stormtroopers. TIE Pilot. R2. 3PO. Gamorian Guard. Bib Fortuna. Luke Jedi. Okay, very, very strong opening there. Okay. Oh, oh I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five. Okay, so you got you got seven. You got seven of the ten, and two were in the correct order. Okay, so that is 13, if I got my maths right. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14 points. That's a very, very strong start. Okay. What were the other three that we missed? Four, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, no, thirteen points. Right. The first character you actually see is the Imperial Commander, followed by Descort Commander, followed by Stormtrooper before Vader, followed by Auto Date Two and C Three PO, but because they appear on screen at exactly the same time, I would have accepted them anyway round. Followed by the Gamorrean Guard, followed by Bib Fortuna, followed by Jabba the Hutt, and followed last by the Jawa. Okay, so very, very oh, strong start there. Jowers. 13 points. Mm. Little goosey jowers. Yeah. Right, okay. Mm. A strong start, lads. I don't know where this comes from. And I was expecting 1.3, never mind 13 points from them too. So Mark and Andy. So I've, I've had to up this to two minutes because uh, there was quite a bit of... Uh, I think they had three characters by, t- by one minute. So you've got number one, three, or four. You choose Andy. Oh, what should we go for? Number four. Number four. Oh, Andy. Andy, what have you done? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. You have a new hope. Hey. Right. Hey. Now, just to clarify here, it's new hope. It's the blue ray edition. Okay. But I don't think, I don't think it's any different from the original version. Okay. So you have got uh, two minutes. To name the first ten characters that appear in a new hope that was released by Kenner, and you will get bonus points for getting any in the correct order. So I will start your clock now. Three PO, R two, Stormtrooper, Stormtrooper, Vader, 
Um, would you class Imperial Commanders as one in there? Possibly Imperial Commander. Yes, um, poss- possibly, yeah. Imperial Commander. Um, so then we're down to Tatooine. So, Jawa. So Jawa. Sand Person. No, not yet. Luke. Death Star Droid. When do you see the Death Star Droid? Is oh, that Death before, Star Droid. before you meet droid. Luke? Yeah, Power Droid. R5D4. Yeah. yeah. Then Luke. And then the Tuscan. Then then Tuscan, yeah. Um, how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, we've got about 12, I think, there. That's your first That's one good. minute gone. What order do the droids come in? It's 3PO first, then R2, isn't it? Bloody hell, fire. How many times have I seen this film? Yes. <laughs> 3PO, <laughs> then R2. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. And um, then on the same corner, Trooper. Stormtrooper and, and Vader. And then, yeah, I think we'll go with Imperial Commander. Yeah, okay, Imperial Commander. Then they're down to Tatooine, like you say. So then it's... So then we've got the Jawa. Jawa. Death Star then, Droid. Power Droid. And R5 in that order. R5, yeah. Anything after R5? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, and then it must be Luke. And then it must be Luke, yeah. You've got five seconds. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're there, Rich. Go on, Rich. Give us 20 points, mate. Okay. Right. You, you've missed a glaring one. Who Five. is first? Yeah, they have missed one. A big one. Big cheesy one. 3PO. Okay. Who is second? R2. Right, I would have accepted them any way around, so that's four points for each of those. Next. Stormtrooper. Another four points. Next. Vader. Another four points. Next. Imperial Commander. Okay. How are they getting four points for each Because they've got them in the right <laughs> yeah, order. Yeah, what's going on there? Oh, he's evil, isn't he? Listen, listen don't start because I'll come up there and slap you. So foot or not. <laughs> right, okay. Imperial Commander is in the top ten, but actually comes sixth. So only one point for that one. Next. Uh, Jawa. Jawa. Yep, four points for Jawa. Next. Death Star Droid. Four points for Death Star Droid. Next. Power Droid. One point for Power Droid. Next. Oh, it's the other way around. R5. You're correct, it was the other way around. Uh, the glaring one you're missing is actually Princess Leia. <laughs> oh, god, yeah. And Princess oh, Leia obviously appears between Darth Vader. I blame, I blame Andy. <laughs> <laughs> between Princess Leia, uh, sorry, between Darth Vader and the one that I thought you wouldn't get, the Imperial Commander. So, well done on that, guys. So, you've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, that's 24, 25, 26, 27 points. That's hey, three three how is that scoring working? If we got I seven know. correct thought, and two in the right places and they're yeah. worth two points each? No, you get four points. You get an extra three points for getting them in the right order, Stu. You need to listen to the just rules. Just making it up. You need to listen <laughs> to the rules. Just making up. Okay. Right. Just making up, Stu. Okay, so back to, back to the morning minis. We'll have, we'll have Empire Strikes back, please. <laughs> no, you've got to choose your number. I don't want the Phantom Menace. <laughs> You've well, got to choose your number. It's going to be an Ewok film, isn't it? Choose your number. <laughs> what's Rogue One. What's, what, what's left? What numbers are left? I have a clue, to be honest with you. Um, we're going to go with number there's one and four left. Oh, crikey. He'll put the difficult one at one. Of let's course. Go four. Okay, let's do it. You're going to go four? Yeah. Okay, you've got Empire. 
Okay. Yeah. You're not original <laughs> enough to shuffle them around. Right. Empire Strikes Back. Okay. So I just want to be clear on this one. This is anything released by Kenner, but has some kind of intelligence. Okay. Now I'm going to include things <laughs> such as. I don't know, Jabba the Hutt's not in this, but I would include Jabba because Jabba has intelligence. I would include things like droids. I would include... I can include things that some people consider an action figure that you probably may not do so, okay? So anything that has an intelligence to it. So I'm going to start your clock now. Start chatting. I hope you're writing this down, Jim. Pro, Probot, yeah. Well, he's in there, but what what starts first? We've got, well, he's the fight we've got first, Darth Vader... Oh yeah, Vader, yeah. No. I thought it was Vader. Um, they, they were sending off things. So you got Vader. You got what? You got Imperial commandos all over the place. Hundreds of them, all getting strangled and dying. And you got Luke. Then you got a Wampa. I thought the Probot being sent to the Hoth planet was the first opening scene. Is it the first? Is it the first thing you see? I'm sure it is. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go. I'm just trying to remember. And then he goes back to Vader, and then, and then you've got the Tonton Luke, Wampa, Han and Chewie hiding and shooting the probot, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, so three, four, five, six, seven. We've got eight there. Have you got... Uh, um, are we including Tauntauns? They're I've intelligent the taunt, beings. I've got the Tonton now, yeah. Yeah, definitely, he said they were. What about, what about Obi-Wan? Are we, are we counting glowy beings? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> One minute down. Are we counting... No. Are we counting glowy we need, beings? Yeah, we need one more. Uh, Is yeah, there any... I'm, I'm, we're on the Vader Hoth, scene. Imperial commandery type people in Hoth yeah, gear. Yeah, but no, it's too early. They won't be landing on Hoth yet, will they? No, 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 no. I, mean, no, no. I mean the Hoth, you know, the, the uh, rebel Hoth. Rebel soldiers. Type. Are we, are we got a commander in there? Yeah. Because oh. he's going he's he's an intelligent being as well, so it's like, oh, yeah. Is there anyone else with Vader and the Imperial commander when they're do we have Do we have another Deathstroke um, squad commander? Fifteen seconds. Were they Were they in Return of the Jedi? No, I don't. Have we got, have we got any stormtroopers wandering around? Is he counting? I think it's too early. Pro- for is he Is he counting? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember seeing any. But might be one let's go. Let's go, Rebel Commander. I think that's a safe bet because he's in the. Um... Time's up. Okay, so <laughs> take give us your order, boys. Right, we've got to go with this done. order. Pete, yeah. do you reckon, right, are you saying okay, the Vader go. scene or the Probot scene first? I can't, I think, I think you're right with the Probot. I think the little things go out, don't they? They fall from the ship and they go out and then we cut to, and we cut to the, the thingy-bob scene. Right, where... so let's say, let's say Probot. Four points. Oh, oh good call, Now, Stuart. is it Han and Chewie looking at, at the Probot first or is it Luke going, I'm going to go and check it out? There's a meter it's definitely, it's definitely Luke saying he's going to check it out because that comes later when they're going. We're going to have a look. But what were Han and Chewie looking at when Chewie's got all the snow in his tash? That's that's a bit later, isn't it? Well, 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 Shut up, I've watched the movie, I noted it very carefully. The Tone Tone is actually next, followed by Luke, and I would have preferred Luke Hoth, but because he's doing so weak, I'm going to give you that. Wampa? Wampa? Wampa, correct, so you get four points for Wampa. Next. Good. What's on your list, Jim? What's on your list? It's a tag. Uh, Obi-Wan? 
Nope, Obi-Wan does not appear on the list. Next. Lion. Oh, he's, he's not going for four spirits, is he? I would have uh, went for four spirits, it doesn't appear yet. Han? Han does Off. appear, but you've missed one out, so I will give you Han. There's, there's one between. Keep going. Chewy? Chewy does appear, but he's much later on. Keep going. I'm sure I'm sure oh, uh, Rubber Commander? <laughs> nope. Vader? Uh, nope. Oh, Leia. And Leia Hoff. <laughs> yes. So that's one, change, two, change three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right, you've had your ten. And I've given you eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen points again. So even if you add both your scores together, you've still uh, lost. So the correct order, what I was looking for, was probe droid first. Then the torn torn because there's a there's a shot from like space virtually where they come down onto the torn torn. You then see the the scene that you mentioned. What torn torn's completely naked without a person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. then see Luke. The you then see Luke. <laughs> you then see the Wampa. Then it's the Hoth Rebel Trooper. Then it's Han Hoth. Then it's Power Droid. Then it's Chewbacca. Then it's Leia Hoth, and it ended with R two D two. So that's uh, 13 points from you. So you've scored. I think we stitched the last year. You've scored stitched a pathetic up. 26. Uh, the other two have got 27, so they're going to go in the final. But we're going to do uh, the next one anyway because this is going to be interesting, and I'm sure these are raring to go with the last one. So I'm going to reset <laughs> the clock. The last sure, you'll be minus points to get wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could give minus points. Right, I might give minus points if they were totally pathetic on this. Right, so the movie is Revenge of the Sith. Now. I'm including characters, okay? I'm including characters who were released as their older versions in the Kenner time period. So if, for example, Boba Fett appeared as a teenager, then he'd count. Now, Boba Fett doesn't appear in the Avengers, don't you worry about him. Now, however, if a droid looked the same as, for example, C-3PO, but was actually called C-2PO, then that would not count, okay? It has to be figures, characters, droids, whatever you want to call them, that are accurately called the same as what they were when can I release them and your clock starts now so Anakin Ben Kenobi R2-D2 R2-D2 Buzz Droids they um, weren't released by Kenner really uh, hang on is it vintage figures got to be Kenner oh so, vin- so so from the vintage line yes so you, you're right with those three Anakin Obi-Wan R2. R2. Then the Emperor. Yeah. Uh, Christ. After that, I'm struggling. Yoda. <laughs> what about Stormtroopers, Clone Troopers? Uh, are they clusters? Are you classing those as vintage then, Clone Troopers? If they were called stormtroopers then they would be accepted if they're not called stormtroopers they would not be accepted right well in that case they're only clone troopers aren't they so one minute gone um, the emperor the emperor wasn't the emperor at that stage what about palpatine uh, no not palpatine um chewbacca and yoda yeah yeah both in there yeah chewbacca yoda luke and leia right at the end luke and leia right at the end yeah Darth Vader before then. What about... Uh, was, there a, was there a Squidhead type character in the um, Senate scene? That's a good call, yeah. There was a few in the Senate, wasn't there? So there was Greedos, there was Rodians. 
in the Senate scene. There was Squid Ads. Um, yeah, no, Greedo is a character name, isn't it? So Greedo was in there. Yeah. But yeah, Squid Ed I can go with. And your Squid time is up. Is... Okay, so right. if you want to try, and I know it's difficult to give them in order, you'll get bonus points, not that you need them, but give us your 10. Right, okay, so it's Anakin first, then it's Ben, then it's R2. Oh, you were so close. Okay. And then I think we can go with Emperor. Okay. Yeah. Then go with Yoda. Okay. Then shall we go with Chewbacca? Okay. Chewie's not until later on, is he? Shall we go with the Squidhead and... I, uh, go, I think go with Squidhead. Squidhead, Greedo. Chewbacca. Then we'll go... Then go with Chewbacca. And then do you think Darth Vader? One, two, three, four, five... Then Darth seven, Vader, eight. then Luke and Leia. Yep. Okay. Yep. I've Everybody's got your order recorded. So, you've scored 5, 10, 11, 12, 13 points. Oh, okay, now considering, oh, considering that was pretty tough, that one. Okay, so for those who were interested, uh, I was never going to give you Greedo because there was no way that that was Greedo standing in the council chamber. Um, it was correct, it was a rhodium. Autodate was first, followed by Anakin, followed by Obi-Wan, followed by Emperor Palpatine. It is actually referred to as Emperor. That's why I've given that one. He is actually called Emperor. Followed by C-3PO, which you missed. Followed by Yoda. Followed by the Emperor's Royal Guard. Now, I checked this, and it was released, and it was recorded as the Emperor's Royal Guard. So the Emperor's Royal Guard uh, were in Revenge of the Sith. Followed by Chewbacca. Followed by Darth Vader, but he's not in costume. But he was called Darth Vader because uh, Palpatine sees a rise advised Lord Vader and gives him the name of Darth Vader at that moment in time. Followed by 2-1-B. Okay, so that was the correct order. Now, the uh, Razor Droid, which many people think is FX-7, but it's not actually FX-7. I think it's either FX-6 or FX-8. I can never remember. Not like it came anyway. So, 13 points. Well done. Well done. So, no surprise. Well, you know, let's face it, it wasn't. But we're going to take Mark and... Andy through to the final, okay? Right, now the reason why I know 22 minutes and 12 seconds is because a key scene happens at that moment in time, okay? And it's going to be a penalty shootout. You're going to name a character, and if you're correct, you get a point. If you're not correct, you, you lose a point, okay? So we're just going to start with Mark because of alphabetical order. At the point of 22 minutes and 12 seconds in The Return of the Jedi, I want you to name the 10 characters in the order that they appear, okay? So we're going to start off with Mark, which is the first character that you see from that moment on. Luke Jedi. Right, one point for you. Over to you, Andy. Who's next? So we're going from the moment he comes into the palace. So the next yep. one would be Gamma and Guard. Correct. Yep, it has to be released by Kenner. So second was the Gamorrean Guard. Who's next? Uh, Bib Fortuna. Incorrect. It's not Bib Fortuna. Over to Andy. Blimey, if it's not Bib Fortuna, I'm struggling. Platu. Incorrect. Back to Mark. So we've got Luke. He meets the Gamorrean God. Who is next? Not Bib Fortuna. Bloody hell, fire. This is really, really... How many times have you watched these movies, boys? I, uh, <laughs> honestly, mate, I, I, I'm it ashamed of talk to him really in the am. corridor. Rich, are you sure you've got it right? Because he says to Bib, you would take me to your 
master now, yeah, and that is in the corridor. Yeah, it cuts he minds it, doesn't he? It cuts to another scene very, very briefly before that part. So yeah. shut your trap, Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> it must be an, an imperial scene, isn't it? Yeah. Emperor getting nope, off. Nope, we're still in. We're still in the palace. Released by Kenner. If I because the next two are sort of work together. I'm going to say the next two are something of intelligence that is in the palace. You wouldn't get either of them corded. So I'm going to say Salacious Crom. Incorrect. Over to you, Andy. That's one of the ones I was going to say. Well, I'm, I'm going to say Jabba. Jabba is correct. Jabba was next. So back to Mark, who appeared after Jabba. Then I would say Salacious Crom. Salacious Crom, correct. So you're tied now with 2-2. Andy, who appeared after Salacious Crom? That's got to be Bib Fortuna. Bib Fortuna, yep. So you're now leading 3-2. So last go, and this is a tie. After Bib Fortuna... This is where it gets a bit. This is where it gets a bit tricky now. I'm gonna say C3PO. Ooh, is that the magic save? Three three tie. Right, the pressure's on, Andy. The pressure's on. If you get a, if you get the correct one next, you won. If not, we'll go to another another round. Who comes after C3PO? We're in the throne room. We got all the creatures hanging around. Uh, I'm going to go with Klaatu. No, Klaatu oh. is not. So on 3-3 three, three at the moment, okay. Over to you, Mark. Sudden death. After Klaatu, I'm going to say... Is it Lando Skiff? You know, you've named number 9 and 10 between you, but you're missing character 7. Back to Andy. Squidhead. Oh, that's character 8. Oh. Back to Mark. <laughs> Can you have a character more than one character twice? Or is it? Is no, this... I would. I wouldn't have. Nah, no. Oh, okay. It's not. It's not a repeated um, character. Okay. Okay. I would. I'm going to say, Boba Fett. Brilliant. Well done, Mark. You've oh. pulled it back from the death. Boba Fett is very briefly seen before it swings round and you see Squidhead, then Klaatu, although I would have said Squidhead and Klaatu probably arrived at the same time, then Lando, and then moving on to the thing. So, well done, Mark. You've won the, the quiz. You've put the odds to shame. Andy come in second. Well done, Mark. You carried Mark Thanks, through the first two rounds, and then the other two were nowhere. So, that, that's the end of the quiz. Well done, Mark. Yet another uh, guest, or two guests, wipe the floor with the Vintage Rebellion hosts. the man who shot Luke Skywalker. All about the annual. A long time ago in a town far, far away. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Okay, Rich, so tell us more about the man who helped the man who shot Luke Skywalker. Sounds interesting.
Yeah, Pete, this should be right up your street, this, with it being an artistic and photography book. So, as mentioned on episode 63, Kim Simmons is penning a new book, and I'm delighted to present an interview that I recorded last month with co-author Ben Sheehan. Now, in the interview, you will hear Ben refer to a hardcover, but sadly, due to costumes, the cover will be a perfect bind with a twist. I'm still not 100% certain what a perfect bind with a twist is, but I know for certain it's not spiral bound and it's similar to the Tomart's Guide. You'll also hear Ben refer to multiple volumes and I've had this confirmed with Kim that I believe he's looking for seven in the full set and then he's going to create a special sleeve that's going to go around the whole set. So enough of me waffling, let's go over to this interview now with Ben. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Ben Sheehan on this month's episode. Ben, welcome to Vintage Rebellion. Mate, thanks, Richard. I'm, I'm glad to be here. This is my, my first appearance, so yeah, I feel pretty chuffed about it. <laughs> well, it's, it's your first, but hopefully not your last. Now, last month we talked very, very briefly about the project that you've been working on, but we're going to run through that this episode. So firstly, Ben, can you just give an overview of yourself and what your collecting focus is? Yeah, um, mate, so I, I kind of had a, my entrance in the vintage Star Wars collecting was quite a ways back, around about 1991 or so, I had to give up work because I'd gotten pretty sick and a friend of mine had bought me some model kits pretty early in that illness and it, it was dragging on, it had already dragged on for a few months and someone gave me a, you know, kind of a loose vintage Star Wars action figure to go with my Star Wars model kits and from there it kind of built. So I guess I've been around a long time and like most people, in the, the evolution of my collecting was, was loose figures and then kind of went into the carded world. But then around, I guess, this changed around about 1994 when I first bumped into the Star Wars Collector's Archive. So from that time onwards, things kind of tended to be influenced pretty much by by the US. And then probably the last 20, 22 years or so, I've pretty much focused exclusively on Star Wars prototypes and pre-production from both packaging and, you know, and, and sculpting and, and tooling and that type of thing. I don't know if this was from an old Kivecast interview, but I seem to remember that you had quite a lot of say in the old Toil Toys debates, especially the final Cape Jawa. I think you did a lot of work on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess part of that evolution as a collector was initially you know, you're collecting whatever's available to you, and we had loads of overstock in Australia, so it was, it was mainly Canon product and a bit of Tri Logo, and and that changed, I guess, around 1990. I guess around 1995, I, I started to look at Toil Toys product or product that was sold the same product that I bought as a kid and I realized I could find that if I had a really good dig around in Australia and then you know I guess through the course of doing that and then getting into the higher end counter carded figures I noticed that there was a difference between the the Jara that I had on a, a Star Wars 12-back card out of the US versus the one that I had in my collection that kind of led me to, to discover one that was on a card uh, an Empire Strikes Back card in a collection that had come from a Toll Toys employee there in, in Melbourne Australia where I'm from and yeah I guess over a period of time, I kind of had almost decided that it was never going to be something that anyone outside Australia would necessarily want to either collect or, or would even understand and let, let alone believe was legitimate. I think around the time that the second um, Empire card of Cape Jawa turned up, I suddenly realized there was a bit of a window to maybe get the rest of the world on board with the figure that had been released locally. And, and I guess people were getting interested in variations then. I want to say that was around 2000 or so that I think finally... I sent my carded example along with another one to the US, along with my loose figure, along with some childhood photographs and a, you know, a bit of an explanation of the way they turned up and what was unique about the 
cape and, and why simply looking like it was a Bentonkanabi cape cut down wasn't necessarily the, the proper explanation for it. Now, before we get onto the book, can we talk about the research that you conducted yourself personally at the pre-production process of toys? Yeah. And the reason why I want yeah. to move into this is because you and CJ had a absolutely fascinating debate on one of the pre-production threads, and I was enthralled by it, and there was some new terminology come up, and the, the, the two of you are clearly very um, well-researched guys. Yeah, well, I've got to say, so firstly, his expertise as an engineer is in injection molding, and that's not my world. I've, you know, by trade, I think my first job was, you know, working in electricity distribution, then I've done property property management, and I've been a writer and editor for a while, but CJ is actually someone who's involved in injection molding. But, however, that said, I have been pretty much been embedded in the, the bones of the Kenner Toy Company for some time. I, I've interacted, I guess, with Kenner people since around about 2000 or so, but during the research for the, for the second edition of the Callan book that didn't actually wind up going ahead, I started to really spend a lot of time around people involved in you know, different aspects of work at Kenner during Star Wars. And part of that, I guess, is, you know, has been hanging out with guys that did tooling. And as time's gone by, you, you kind of, as you learn more, you're able to ask more questions. And I guess I think I'm at a point where after maybe six years or so of really kind of talking to those guys, understanding their jobs better and being able to ask at different times and, and have them kind of remember because this is, you know, going back a long way for them. So they wouldn't necessarily remember things off the top of their head. But, you know, I guess I've, I've gained what I think is a pretty good understanding of that. Plus, I've been... I was always able to read what Chris Georgiulius and Ron Salvatore had written on the archive as well, so that kind of has helped out. But yeah, um, I've consciously spent a good five or six years having, you know, I guess thousands of hours of conversations with Kenner people about the work that they did on Star Wars and the work that different departments did on Star Wars and trying to kind of hone it down to a point where things can be explained easily, which is not always the case because processes changed throughout the line so you, you what was done one way one year might have changed the next yeah i mean it's it's something that i've, I've put a bit of heart and soul into because i because i'm really quite passionate about it of course but it's also something that i think that can probably go on for a while too or at least as long as memories are there to kind of access now the reason why i've asked you to come on is because on the man who shot luke skywalker social media a teaser appeared for a book called kenna star wars 1977-79 volume one mm-hmm it seemed to come out of nowhere. We didn't know anything about it. I briefly talked about it last episode. So what can you tell our listeners about this? Yeah, this is pretty much the follow-up to the first... I guess it wasn't quite a book, but it wasn't quite just a pamphlet. The first book that Kim did, going back a few months now, where he tested the market to see what kind of appetite there was for a book of Star Wars photography. And so this is the follow-up to that after that was successful. And it's pretty much an almost... I don't want to say all encapsulating because there are a lot of images around for Ken of Star Wars toys, you know, in the, during the Star Wars years in particular. But it's basically a, a semi-chronological look at the line and looking most particularly at photographs that will be familiar to people but might be a little different to what they're used to seeing on packages and in, in catalogues in cross-sell. Yeah, so it's if you can think of things like the, the rocket firing Boba Fett, the Kid Bash Fett. It's images of, the, of these things that, or it's images of these things that you wouldn't normally see in at the the kind of resolution that you'll be able to see in this book because this book is about, I think it's about 11 by 12 inches. So it's it's quite a decent sized publication, kind of almost in similar an art book. Yeah, come about very quickly, and that's probably the the difference. Most collecting books, and I've been involved in projects like this too. You, you kind of announce it, and then six years later it comes out. You know, whereas with Kim, he really did want to get something out. You know, in double quick time. So, 
had really only been in production for a few months, I think, maybe two, two and a bit months. You know, I went ahead as you would, you know, in a professional setting, kind of go ahead with a book. I worked in publishing for about 10 years and had been a journalist and editor prior to that. So, like, you, you know, you, you're turning around sometimes two, 3,000 words a day and, it, you know, it's going off to print. And with this book with Kim, he pretty much drove it like that. So he had his wife, Pat, do layouts and she kind of went back and forth with me. This is after, I guess, compiling images. Kim and I sat down and worked out which images we thought were best or that people would want to see that weren't necessarily things that they'd either seen or they may not have seen the the wide shot of what they were looking at. And then there's a lot of also, I guess, packaging prototypes that he had images of that we included as well. But yeah, I guess the whole process, to cut a long story short, the whole process was fairly much compressed. Even, you know, rushing to print just before I was leaving to go to Europe last week, you know, was, I was pulling, you know, 14-hour days getting stuff kind of in there and, and making it as coherent as we could. What was it like working with the legendary photographer, Kim Simmons? Mate, it's always a bit of a treat because like a lot of people that worked on this stuff, like it's not like you ask a question and you're given an answer and that's kind of the end of it. Often what I find with, with Kim in particular, particularly during the, the last book as well, was that he'll look at something and maybe after five or six discussions, he'll come up with something entirely new that he, he hadn't remembered that winds up being the most exciting thing that he has to say about them. It's been pretty neat for me because it has really solidified kind of my understanding of what that photography is in many cases. I I didn't necessarily get it, but there's a real emphasis in the photography from Star Wars, and this is photography that Roy Frankenfield, Kim's, and a guy that was initially Kim's boss, had taken. And and you really get to see the, the, the selling process of Star Wars in this photography because a lot of those images will be of packaging columns from Cato Johnson, and there'll be photographs of packaging comps that feature photographs of the toys that were taken by Roy Frankenfield. So it, it's, for me, cemented kind of my understanding of all that photography and how it fits into things that can. Well, I'm glad you brought up memories because that's been a debate that's been raging for a few years now about some of yeah. the kind of employees and their memories. So how good yeah. are Kim's memories and does he have evidence to back up a lot of what's gone into the book? Yeah, right. So that that's an interesting point. And... Certainly for me, and I spent a lot of time talking to, you know, guys that are in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s and 90s about, you know, Kenner and Star Wars. And you, you can probably sum it up this way. I spoke to a gentleman once about Kenner's Star Wars line between 77 to 85. And he said to me, no, those dates aren't right. He said, we did that stuff in the 50s and 60s. And he wouldn't hear any different. Like, he was an outside vendor. And his memory of it was such that he believed it had happened, you know, decades earlier. I think memories can be reliable to a point. But what I've overwhelmingly what I've found is the more conversations you have with someone, the more a story will kind of start to head back towards where it, you know, where it actually was. And particularly if you've got paperwork to kind of cite and show them, or they can be exposed to images, you, you tend to get more accurate descriptions. And and with Kim, I guess he's no different. You know, we're talking a, you know, it's a workplace. Forty years ago, I know if you ask me what I did at work five years ago, I struggled with that. And so it's 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 kind of no different, you know, like it, it really. Yeah, that's that's probably the the best and most honest way to put it. Is that you could speak to a current employee, ask them about what they did at work, and they might tell you what they did at work, but they might realise a week or a month or even you know six months later that what they told you wasn't wasn't necessarily correct. And I think that's the issue with living memory is it's not as people would imagine when people could say, yeah, on this day I did this, and we always did it that way. It was more like we worked under so much time pressure, I can't really remember, and that changed you know, month to month and year to year. It's it's kind of more like that. And so it really is difficult, I think. So I tend to try and cross-reference 
you know, as often as I can, a few people's memories and then some kind of written evidence that one of them is correct or, or two or three of them are correct or they're all correct. I was at the Palatoy um, exhibition, I think it was last year now, mm-hmm. and there were about five yeah. or six ex-Palatoy employees and it was fantastic when one of them had said something and it clicked with somebody else and he went, oh, bloody hell, I've forgotten all about that. And the story that came out with was fantastic. Yeah, right. There must have been a lot of those moments with Kim. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that That's actually a great point because it, you're right. It's often when you get a room full of people all talking together about what they did that, yeah, a memory that's really lucid comes back. And Kim... Kim has got great recollection of what was going on behind the scenes. He will, in fact, he'll understand or he'll recall that what was happening during a shoot, for example, that he might have done during Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi better than he'll remember the toy and how that fitted in. Because for him at that time with work, I mean, he knew the stuff was important, but he's also a photographer. So the, the things that he remembers best are, you know, how a shot was set up and, and what was his thought process and why it wound up looking that way and I think there's a couple of times in the book where, you, where we mentioned something like Hammerhead and Greedo might be holding their weapons in their left rather than their right hand, and, and the reason that is significant to him is because he recalls flopping those shots or those shots being flopped. It's interesting, I guess, because his entrance point is a, is the photography process, not the actual toy line. But, um, yeah, th- those things definitely, definitely occur with him. And that points to great pride in his work. He must, even after all these years, knowing knowing that kind of information was suggested back then he must have been immensely proud of everything that he did. Yeah, oh for sure, mate. And 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 definitely he's I think he's he's proud that it's kind of regarded it the way that it is now. And even so again to to clarify, this book is photography that was shot you know by Roy Frankenfield because Kim didn't start there until I think eighty eighty one. But however Kim saved all his photography and it's something that I didn't realise and it was during this again this the process of researching this book that he kind of said, well, all this stuff was being thrown out. It was in the basement of the of the studio and it was in a, I think he mentioned it was either sitting in water or sitting in a barrel that had water in it. And he kind of rescued it a little, little similarly to the way Tom Nihazel did all of the, um, the packaging pre-production material that he had saved from the, the vintage Star Wars era. So yeah, I mean, he has pride in it and he, he realized at the time that it was, it was worth saving and that it was important. I guess maybe he didn't understand how important, but, yeah, he, he's definitely got pride in his, you know, I guess, his contribution there. But also guys like Ray Persick, who I spoke to for the book, who was in charge of the relationship between Kenner and Kato Johnson, who designed all of that packaging. He he also, you know, feels incredibly proud of his time working on Star Wars, as do the other guys. Well, even though at the time they didn't necessarily know how good it was or how, how well it would, might be thought of in 40 years' time, they, they were all pretty proud of the work that they did. So how did this whole project come to fruition then, Ben, and how did you get involved with it? I guess I'd, I'd edited that first, I guess, the sample book that Kim had done. Again, cause, because of my background in writing and editing, I'd kind of offered to do that because I'm, I'm reasonably friendly with Kim. Uh, he's someone that I think was picked over pretty badly by collectors back in the 90s. Um, a, a guy got a hold of him and was kind of pretty friendly and staying at his house and ended up, uh, I don't think I'm out of line saying this, I think he stole a bunch of stuff from him. So Kim financially didn't really benefit the way he could have from what he'd saved. And so I'd always kind of gone out of my way to, to um, do whatever I could to help Kim. And, yeah, it came about pretty organically through that, I guess. Right. Okay, moving on to his work then. So what are your personal thoughts on Kim's work and the success of the toy line? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think that's an interesting point to make because you you could probably say, and this is, this is 
an anecdote that I've heard about Star Wars and sales. So Star Wars was literally selling itself. However, Kim's contribution to the success of the toy line, I think you don't necessarily measure it at the time because people were genuinely turning up in queues to buy Star Wars off Canada and they, they didn't have enough supply to kind of to fill all the demand for it at different times. However, as an adult and as the line has kind of become a collectible, I think we're really seeing the, the value in Kim's work at this time because those shots and and his style created so many, you know, wonderful kind of nostalgic memories in all of us, you know, through looking at the packaging, the card backs and the, the cross sell photography and the mini catalogues and now as adults going back to look at the, the retail catalogues, I, I think it's pretty significant. It, it maybe wasn't as significant at the time, but definitely I think now it's it's such a huge part of, of uh, Vintage Star Wars collecting and the culture of Vintage Star Wars collecting that, yeah, it's pretty massive. One of the things I've always found fascinating is why certain figures are included in certain shots. Now, was that down to Kim or was he given more of a brief of this is what you've got to use? Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, that really is just down to, I think, you know, the fact that things got dropped in the studio or there was no kind of paperwork accompanying things to, to say what weapon should be used, what figure. So because, you know, Kim at that time is not is not someone who's buying toys for himself and really I think at, at that time too you're relying on whatever re- reference material that can provide. I think I've seen some paperwork where you, you're kind of told which weapons go with which figures but that was that belonged to a couple of package designers at Cato Johnson. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's probably down to the rush of, of doing that photography but also that once the weapons are kind of all hit the floor so to speak you don't kind of necessarily remember what goes with what. So why did prototype look exist for so long? It was really just down to what was sent. So the photographic studio, the Frankenfield photographic studio was given that look and they didn't ever receive a replacement. So yeah, it kind of continued through. Kim mentioned, I think, in the past that he always tried to get retail product into the shots as quickly as he could. But certainly during Star Wars, that wasn't always the case. And um, yeah, and I mean, if a figure was hard to, to find at retail or Kenner didn't ever get their hands on one to to send the Kim or it wasn't thought of it yet it continued to be a prototype in the shot. Okay then, so with the huge wealth of resources we've got available on the internet now, mm. what will we find out about in the book that we can't find out online? There's, there's actually, it's actually a great question. That's a really, really fair point to ask that question. I, I think why there are some, there's actually a pretty decent reveal in the book of, of something that people, or at least a twist on a toy that people wouldn't be aware of and then that happens maybe a couple of times. But I think the main thing is you, you're looking at images say of the kit batch fed i don't think they've ever been shared at the kind of resolution and size that they are in this book so you're really getting these these really really wonderfully i guess large shots of product that people would never have seen at this at this size and you're able then suddenly to realize that holy hell pretty much you know to a toy you're looking at prototypes here and all these packaging shots rather than they're just being toys and i kind of talk a bit about what a photo sample toy is and why it's different to production in the book as well. But yeah, I think that to me, the the excitement about these images is that you're seeing things at a size and or you know in a frame that you're not used to seeing them in. So you'll be you'll be familiar with the toy, but it won't be as you used to seeing it on packaging. Often when I interview authors, they want readers to get a wow, I did not know that moment. Yeah, and I'm going to guess there'll be quite a few of these when you were conducting your research. Yeah, you, you know what? Like, there's definitely been times when I've felt something's been pretty exciting to, to discover, and, and then I'll show it to someone else, and they just, you know, they're like, yeah, I just hear crickets back. So it's kind of tough for me to work that out because I guess everyone has their own kind of lens that they view the hobby through, and 
they all have their idea of what they might want to understand. I guess the biggest thing for me through you know what's been a period of research that goes back a long, long way is the understanding that I have now that, that really when we're looking for things to be set in stone in, during the, the making or the designing, the, the sculpting, the, the tooling and the making of the vintage Star Wars line, there is no kind of constant. Things really were evolving the whole way through. So that kind of, to me, the understanding that that's the case has been a, a big reveal. Because you'll, you know, you'll look at a tooling manual even from year to year and realize that, that those are written differently as well. I know that this is a bit off the question list, but mm. with the success of Empire being quite unexpected, mm. did Kim and the guys catch up very quickly or did they, did they think, what on earth's going on here with all these new toys coming out? That's an interesting point. I, I haven't spoken to them about what the perception was during Empire, but I definitely know that, that Kim, and, uh, uh, I should say at least Roy Frankenfield Studio and the guys who are designing the packaging, because those two those two businesses worked really closely with Kenner's um, packaging team. They were totally, they, they realized that what they were doing was good, but the very first review they got of anything that, that they made was the, the early bird certificate, which was referred to as a lump of coal by one of the guys that reviewed it on TV. And it was, you know, it was, it was kind of not well received at all initially. They knew it was significant what they were doing, but they had no idea. They, they really didn't, they didn't understand until, you know, until the last maybe 10 years how kind of, influential and, um, and iconic it was going to be. So this is advertised as volume one. What are the plans for the future? Yeah, Kim's, Kim's pretty adamant, and I think it's going to start happening sooner rather than later, that he's going to do... So this is this is obviously you know Star Wars 77 and 79. He plans to break it down into each movie and toy line, so we should see four books at least and possibly two each for Empire and Return of the Jedi uh, with the same kind of thing. So that that's something that's pretty exciting to think about because Kim's own memories during that time, I think, uh, obviously, he's more involved in the shooting of, of the the, um, the action figure line at that point, and he's pretty lucid a lot of the times when, when discussing that stuff. Yeah, to qualify, that should be, it should, it, we should see at least three further books, and, and possibly as many as five. So where can I order or collect the book from? Uh, so currently, his website is not up with a, you know, with a shopping cart, so to speak, but you can email Kim at themanwhoshotskywalker at me.com, and if you explain where you are and, and how many copies you're wanting to buy, him and his wife, Pat, I think, can uh, can sort out a pre-order. But, you know, within a couple of weeks or so, I believe there'll be a shopping cart up on his website. And what about collecting? Because oh, are you going to the IC for memory? Sadly, no. Look, I, I'm, my travel schedule tends to be pretty brutal, so I'm not able to make it there. But he's going to turn up there, I, I believe, with a couple of hundred books at least to sell. And, um, yeah, people will be able to do a pre-order from and pick it up from him at that event or, or buy one off him at that event, I think. And what does the book look like? Is it hard cover, soft cover, and how many pages are in it? Yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact it's actually a hard cover and it's printed in the US and there's 114 pages. So if we did go up a oh, couple wow. of times, as yeah, I mean, we would uncover more things that we felt needed to be included because initially it was going to be around 100 or so, but it went up twice. You know, the page count went up twice as, as we found more things that really needed to be included. I think from that point of view, it's, it's going to be great value for money and that people are getting to look at these, these images that they won't be familiar with. And we're kind of harking back, I guess, to the days, the first Sansweet Tomart book where you're seeing stuff you know, kind of for the first time since you saw it on packaging, well, it won't necessarily have been that you'll see, have seen these images before, but yeah, a lot of them you'll be seeing for the first time, which is, I guess, unique in this day and age. Yeah, certainly. How much is this book retailing for? Yes, um, in the US it'll be forty nine ninety five. I'm, I'm not sure what kind of distribution deal is oh. happening with Europe and the UK. It's probably going to be a bit more expensive there because it is actually quite expensive to ship it there, but 
I think Kim's in early the early stages of discussion with someone in the UK who may get uh, you know a pretty sizable order ship to him, and then he'll be in charge of distribution there. So, but I believe that would up the price of the book, and this is not set in stone, and I'm you know it, this may be even a lower number than what it will sell out, but I believe it will be around you know kind of that the seventy nine eighty dollar mark over there, just with the sh- extra shipping added onto it. Well, that's still very reasonable considering the price of some of the books that we've seen lately. I think that's an absolutely fantastic value. Oh, that's great. I, I, I didn't realise that, mate. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Kim did set out to try and make this book affordable, and he was kind of always saying to me during the production processes, I'm wanting to kind of get more elaborate with things. We've got to be able to sell this book for under $50. So, yeah, that's important to him, I know. So we've made mistakes before with books in the UK where each of us have ordered the books individually and paid a fortune in shipping. So perhaps this time, if our listeners who are interested in the book perhaps emailed us and we got a count together, would the best thing be for us to email Kim and say, yeah. you know, we're one ten, fifteen, twenty, however many we get? Yes, that's for sure. He did mention to me in, in my kind of discussions with wondering how people around the world are going to get their hands on this, so that would definitely be the way to go. So, yeah, please, by all means, um, if there's a group of people who want to contact him directly, that he's he's not only receptive to that, he, he really would love for that to happen because, again, he wanted to get this into people's hands as cheaply as possible. And uh, it's I've never heard anyone say that about a product that they were making, that they want people to get it as cheaply as possible, but he really was on the kind of, that was on his radar the whole time. Well, I'm really excited for this book, Ben, and I'm certainly thinking we've got Christmas coming up. I think quite a few people might be looking forward to this for an early uh, Christmas present from from relatives of the struggling, and certainly anything's better than any uh, modern wine bottle openers or... Uh, yeah, I mean, all of the other stuff. <laughs> I've been the victim of many of those things, so yeah, I'd absolutely say it's going to be better than that stuff for sure. But no, but it, it, I mean, it's. I, I, I hope that it. I hope that it's received as well as I think it can be received. Yeah, we we did work very very quickly, but I think in the end, it's um it's one of those deals where I, I'm not sure how much better we could have done with it, even, even with more time. The images, like Kim, just put so much work into making sure those images were going to be printed at a quality that he would be happy with, and he's a bit of a perfectionist like that. Well, thanks very much for your time, Ben. We'd love to have you on one day as one of our main interview guests. Really enjoyed this, and I'm really looking forward to get this book. No, cheers, mate. I've appreciated your time, Richard, and I appreciate you contacting me at all. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Okay, Rich. Uh, so what's all about the annual all about? Well, as you know, Pete, we were contacted by Ron Salvatore quite a few months ago now. And he mentioned that the Empire State's Star Wars Collectors Club were holding a convention, which was going to be called the Annual. And we have travelled a lot to the States recently, and we all thought, can we afford another jump to the States? Anaheim's have been announced in the States again next year. And I really had a think about and thought, can I justify it? And I thought, you know what, as a resident of the UK, I've listened to these tales and these stories on the Kivecast that many times. I've had an opportunity to go to one of these collector's clubs. I'd be stupid not to go when the dates fit. So I've always made a promise to myself, if the dates work, I'm going to get there. And this one was incredibly tight. It was the Labour Day weekend. Obviously, all of these collector's clubs, it's something that I really admire. I think the Americans do this really, really well. So, Pete, you, you know yourself, you walk down Collectors Club Alley, for want of a better word in celebration. You've got all of these clubs who are operating these little games, which we've sometimes seen a father's farm, all raising thousands and thousands of dollars for local charities. I thought, I've got to get myself involved in one of these. Obviously, these clubs host social events, local gatherings, uh, they go to each other's houses, they have meetups, and 
the Empire State Star Wars ones got so big now that they thought, you know, it's becoming a little bit impractical to have to perhaps have, uh, you know, drinks at a house. I think membership from memory was somewhere around about the 140 mark. So they decided to hire a hotel um, in Fishkill in New York, and it's about 40 miles north of New York City, if I've got the geography correct. And when I contacted Ron, I said, yes, okay, tentatively, I think I'll get myself away there. Who would be there? And he said, looking at about the numbers of 70, uh, Ian Sanderson was planning on being there, but obviously with Hurricane Katrina, he couldn't end up going. He, he didn't want to leave his family quite rightly. Uh, Lee Harris, who we've had on the show before, you know, Christopher Reilly, and I thought, you know, I do know a lot of these guys. I, I'm going to get myself there. So on the Friday... On the Friday, 30th of August, I arrived at Stewart International Airport. And even that was lucky because there's been a flight from Newcastle to Dublin and then Dublin to Stewart, only running for a very, very short time, maybe just over a year. And the flight actually worked out really well. But on the way back, I'd learned that the company's actually gone bust and they can't operate that route anymore. And I think everything after September the 15th had been cancelled. So I only got it, you know, within, within the space of two or three weeks of the airline going bust. So when I arrived in Stuart National Airport, it was 5pm local time, so that was 10pm my time. I was pretty tired, but I was collected by Christopher Reedy and Lee Harris, who I've already previously mentioned. And I got picked up in this absolutely amazing Jeep, a real rugged Jeep, and it's called a Renegade. And I put a picture on that online, it was absolutely fantastic having to drive through New York countryside and that. Arrived at the hotel, checked in very, very quickly, um, had a had a very quick shower, and I thought, right, it's getting towards half ten, eleven o'clock my time. I thought I'm going to be sensible. I'm just going to have a couple of little drinks, mingling, chatting, and then I'm going to go have an early night. So I wasn't ruined for the Saturday. Walking down the hotel corridor, and we'll hear some noise, Lee and I hear some noise from a room. So the door was open, so I went in, and bay hugged okay cause, i mean i'm a big guy but i'm nothing compared to fons neapolitano fons bay hugged us more or less lifted us off my feet and within 30 seconds vodka in hand that was it game over plan out the window so we had a great little time in, in fons's room you know meeting quite a few new collectors some i've never met before some who you know i had a really really good chat over the weekend and after that we headed down to the lobby so Chris really, his wife Stephanie, uh, they put on lots of pizzas for us. So that was fantastic of them, you know. And, and the, that night was just all about mingling. I met John Paul Ragusas, John Paul Ragusa, who is the owner of the Imperial Gunnery and has the Imperial Castle shop in New York. He came over with some He-Man figures that I purchased, uh, which was fantastic. But he thought the room sales were that night, which they weren't. They were the next night. So I, c I could only see him very briefly. I basically picked up the He-Man figures hit the brick wall because it, by my time it was like four in the morning by this point uh, i thought right i've got i've just got to get to sleep headed off upstairs it was about half 11 ish and i just zonked out but because of the timing and the way i work i, I mean it's, i'm getting to the point now where i don't even have to set an alarm to wake up so i woke up which would have been half two in the morning local time and I thought, right, I'm awake now, I'm not going to settle. Straight out, down the lobby. So I went out for a local walk, and I thought New York was just one big metropolis. But obviously, you know, I'm now being educated a lot better. New York, I could take the photograph and said, I'm in Alaska, or I'm in Canada. You know, and you would have went, oh yeah, yeah, that definitely looks like that. Just such a beautiful place. Mountains, greenery, trees, 
absolutely amazing wonderful wonderful place i'm really glad that i had time to explore it was quite a while before others came down to meet us so i bumped into narayan nike justin haney blake morgan and dan lasalle now we had dan on last month's episode where him and david quinn and brent scotchmark were talking about the iccc great to spend a little bit of time with dan so we went off to a flea market now, now, Pete, this is of you would have still be there now. You know, it's one of those markets where it's everything you think it would be. A huge field, absolutely massive, capacity for thousands and thousands of vehicles. Okay, so we call these car boot sales, and it's all zoned off. So you would go to one area, and there would be kind of what you see in modern UK car boots, where you would see things like cleaning products and. DIY tools and all that kind of stuff. So that's all off in one area. And then they would just have, you know, whole rows and rows and rows of vintage anything. So there was like, you know, wooden carvings, vintage toys. Um, there were some vintage Star Wars. They were, they were quite pricey, not, nothing fantastic. I saw, you know, carded G.I. Joe figures, vintage posters, a lot of furniture. So something that you could just go and have a good rummage around. We spent about an hour there. And every, every time we turned the corner, we saw another collector who was just popping their head up amongst the tables. Is anything under there? Got any Star Wars? I think, I think they must have been sick of people asking if they had any Star Wars. So we had a great time. I had a great time running around the flea market. I didn't pick anything up, mainly because the stuff that they had that I might have been interested in, it was just too big. And I could get it back in the UK for the same price. When we left there, we had a few hours to kill. So I was delighted that we went to visit John Paul's shop, the Imperial Castle. This is an odd place, so it's located in Poland, and Poland is, it looks like a, a residential village with a huge village green, and it's not something like Forden Bridge, so if anyone's been to Father's Farm, you see lines and lines of shops, nothing like that at all, and I, and I pictured in my head it would look like that. It's actually just a residential area, I think it had a couple of churches, garage, selling petrol, and then just a shop, and there didn't seem to be anything else there. And I, I was really surprised to actually see a vintage toy, well it's not just a vintage toy shop, but a, a toy shop in that location. So went inside the shop, really nice shop, nice and clean, nice and bright, store displays, um, he loves it, John Paul loves it when you press his button on his K-Base display, so he's got this uh, countertop display, and you got, it's got a button on it, and the K-Base all sing a song. And he sees the kids do, the little kids in the area, keep coming in and pressing the button. And he sees he probably hears it about 40, 50 times a day. So if you do visit your shop, keep pressing that button because he really does like it. Lots of Star Wars, uh, modern, different toy lines, different ranges. Kind of like a Forbidden Planet feel, but without, you know, obviously the big comics and stuff like that. Now, what was really great in John Paul's shop is the stuff that's at the back. So a lot of it is still in boxes. Anybody who's watched the John Paul videos on Jabba's Court or Palace or whatever it is, he has these two big black tables and he just pulls things out so he let me rummage through them and that was it was fantastic just going through the boxes and um, lots of loose modern figures lots of modern prototypes he brought some of his own collection down for us to have a look at so we all posed with photographs of things like the irish three pack you know, the, the trilogo four pack the harbert yoda and some bootlegs and we, we took a photograph and posted it online and said these are our flea market finds and John Paul was saying, nobody's going to fall for that. That's just ludicrous. But one or two people did fall for it and said, wow. When I was there, I picked up some more vintage He-Man. I could have sworn, could have sworn I only bought about, you know, 12 or 15 He-Mans. But I actually ended up bringing back 31. So I'm not sure if they just multiplied or what. 
and I got some, um, do you know the expanded universe figures, like the Marva Jade, and there's like a white, is it a Space Ranger, Pete? Yeah, there's that uh, Space Trooper uh, figure, the, the, the big, sort of big silvery muscly one. Yes, so I got that, and I got I got Marva Jade, and I got one or two other troopers, so I'm, I've nearly completed that line as well, and the, the price was fantastic. Uh, he's got them all marked up as well, so he knows the toy line. He, he, it's got written on the because they're in these little packets, and it'll say complete. You know, so I was really, really pleased to pick up those. Did you get those loose or carded? Rich? They were loose. Because like those have actually got some of the best packaging out there because they actually fold out into like a little box scene. They're actually some of the nicest figured items I say out there because of that. I mean, they really are spectacular card backs. They're probably the best card backs of the modern era. Because they they give you a little diorama within the car back, it folds out. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I haven't seen them. I'll have to check them out. Right, when finished John Paul's shop, we were there for quite a while, and Narayan had said, "Okay, what do you want to do, guys? You want to go and get some dinner? Um, we've got a couple of hours to kill before the first of the panels." And my response was kind of, "I'm easy, guys. We'll do whatever you want." And I think it was Justin. Justin had said, should we go and see if Collector X, uh, I'm not going to name the Collector, just to protect his his collection and himself. And should we see if Collector X is is in his house and maybe we can pop along? Um, And I was like, yeah, yeah, if you want to go and do that. But what I should have said was, in hindsight, I should have said, yes, we've got to go there. Absolutely, do not miss this. Do not put the doubt in your mind. Justin sent Collector X a text message and he hadn't replied quite quickly enough so we started heading towards somewhere to get something to eat because we thought he's not in we'll just go and get something to eat but on the way to get something to eat he responded and says oh yeah i'm in and then when he sent with the dress he was actually not far away from where we were planning to get something to eat so i thought well we'll go to his house first we'll get something to eat later and i'm so glad we did so we got to his house just a, a, a small house certainly no clues as to what's inside so we went in there and he said one rule just one rule only Despite what the cats ask you to do, do not let them out. I was like, okay, right, cats have to stay in the house. Now, he said, now, I don't have a lot on display, so, you know, kind of, y- y- you'll see what you'll see. And went to his living room, and he had quite a big storage unit, and my jaw just hit the floor. Just absolutely hit the floor. So many toy lines crammed into this. So you're talking carded knickerbocker Lord the Rings figures, loose knickerbocker Lord the Rings figures. You know, lots and lots of unproduced prototypes from toy lines that that I don't follow so much. So I think there were things like what they call them superpowers and and Thundercats and other things. And absolutely, that little cabinet alone was amazing. And and if that's him not having stuff on display and not having a lot, you might as well say I don't even have a collection at all because you could have spent so much time just looking at that so after that he said right do you want to go down look in the basement and i thought oh you've got a basement basement yeah sure and um, because basements aren't that common in the uk some houses have them but you don't expect to have a house with a basement so we went down the stairs turned and looked and it was it, it was like a small part of the end in a raiders of the lost ark aisles boxes floor to ceiling all marked up absolutely amazing now this this guy is a is a toy collector and a toy dealer so he had virtually every toy line you could think of so master universe yep there's the pre-production items there's the loose figures there's the corded figures there's the loose weapons just help yourself go through them pull them out if you want to buy anything we'll sort out the price thundercats yep they're down there and it was a case of right so do you have any loose weapons for star wars and um, he would go that box over there the one that's got Jurassic Park written on it pull that box out 
inside that there's another little box and he knew he knew where everything was he knew where everything was unproduced toys box vehicles the the best of this guy has clearly traded up over the years you know so he's traded up to get the best of the best items and he said well he said this is just one of four places where he has things so he still had a lot of stuff his parents house he had three storage units and he said his current goal is to build he's building a new house or a new plot and it was you you, Pete, you could have spent a full day there you could have spent a full day there harry potter yep so he would have all these things out you go well this this is a, a bookend to a harry potter you know a library you know when the book ends stop the books falling over this was unproduced this is the reason why it was unproduced he knew his stuff didn't matter what the toy line was he had something from it and it was all quality stuff absolutely brilliant i bought a couple of he-man figures off him and, and a couple of loose weapons that i needed uh, absolutely fantastic but what i've really liked was when we started to head out he had this photo album and he went through all the photographs of all the old store displays that he found because obviously he knew all the guys at the flea market that were being new and he was there in the mid 90s you know getting the the store displays and selling them you know on on the various uh, mailing lists back in the day and he, and he told her that he, his mum was a, his mum was a teacher and i think she worked in the school where he went to and he said he actually went to school one morning, watched his mum leave and bunked off to go back home because he'd ordered some carded figures and various other Star Wars items off a guy in the UK. And him and his mate had, I can't remember if they pulled together $5,000 or $10,000. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he said they pulled together this, this sum of money and the delivery was due to happen when he was at school. And he said two huge storage removal trucks turned up and the first one opened up and it was full. And he was thinking, how how am I going to be able to explain this to me, ma'am? So they unloaded this full truck, you know, he rammed it into his bedroom as best he could and, you know, out of the house. And when he opened the second truck, he said he, he, he couldn't believe it. He said it was only half full. He was so delighted because he just couldn't fit everything into his house. So obviously he had the foresight to do what all of us wished we had done. Um, so it was great hearing stories like that, seeing his photographs, toy displays. He knows who we sold them to, he knows where they went to, so, so that was absolutely brilliant. So we're left there and we're headed back to the hotel, we got something to eat. It was one of those typical American diners where you would order, I don't know, an omelette. And this huge omelette would come with, you know, 15 pounds of chips. Uh, or fries or whatever they just called over there. It was just virtually impossible to eat uh, to eat uh, full meals. We'll go at the panels, and the first one, the first panel was hosted by David Quinn, who I mentioned before was on our last show. So he's host of a Star Wars podcast called Star Wars Prototypes and Production, and it was a fascinating history of how the ESSWCC was founded, and it featured a rotation of many guests, including the founders Thomas Quinn, Jason Thomas. Um, Sky Payne got up, Mike Ritter got up, and it was really fascinating listening to how this whole club had formed. Now, David has since released that episode on his um, Star Wars Prototypes and Production podcast. So if you want to go and listen to that, it's on there now, and I urge everybody to do it. It was absolutely brilliant. I was really enthralled listening to it. The second panel, which happened about an hour later, um, that one was by Matt George. We've had Matt George on the show a few times. Who's, he's the co-author of the popular book Engineering an Empire. So Matt George talked about how he got involved with interviewing some of the Kenner engineers, and he also revealed that they're definitely working on Volume Two, and it's about halfway through. So I'm really, really excited to see uh, what they're doing with Volume Two. The third panel was brilliant. Pete, this is this is one that's right up your street. So Jonathan McElwain. 
Now, you know Jonathan McElwainen has a ridiculously impressive collection of non-action figure related Star Wars items. So if you want to know about Pine Sol, you contact Jonathan McElwainen. You want to know about Dixie Cups, you, con you contact Jonathan McElwainen. Uh, so he could do a panel on virtually anything. So he did a panel on all these different items, toy lines. He would, um, you know, focus on pine sol promotions. Really, really fascinating. Absolutely brilliant. And then the last panel was done by Duncan Jenkins. Now Duncan could just talk forever, you know, about any topic. And it was honestly, he just started, and, and then five minutes later, the other was gone. And we were just all enthralled looking at the items that Duncan was going through. So you would have a photograph of. I don't know, say a Yugoslavian comic book, and he would talk about why it looked the way it was, point out little things that we hadn't spotted. He did a he did a visual tour of his room, uh, where sorry, of his house where he keeps his Star Wars items. Not a room because it is actually a house. And he's done a video I think on Jabba's palace where he's he's take the car a camera around his his room. So I would urge people to go and check that out. And that was brilliant as well. Duncan was available for for question and answer session, so that was brilliant. We then went into room sales, so room sales was absolutely great. There weren't a lot of carded items. I thought I thought it was going to be all carded items, and it wasn't. It was it was some carded items, but a lot the lot of it was mainly the oddball stuff, you know. So you would have, I mean, there were there were um, you know toy displays there, um, you know there was a loose DT Ben. There there were some really nice items, but a lot of it were like Dixie cups and things and and display cases. So I did pick up some nice items from room sales. Uh, that was fantastic. It was great just mingling with people, talking to a lot of people. No egos. It was just brilliant. A lot of people have said, what's the difference between it and celebration? Just picture celebration, but without the stress and hassle. That's what it was like. You could just go up to anybody and chat. You you could see the things at the room sales. You could walk around. You could have a good look. You weren't pushed out of the way. You know, it was absolutely brilliant. What a, what a great time. So Sunday, my last day, uh, this was what I was really looking forward to. I got up quite early in the morning, uh, as expected, and we went to Ron Salvatore's house, and it was just everything you would think it would be. Absolutely brilliant. Ron was a brilliant host. I spent a bit of time talking to his mum and his sister. They were absolutely fantastic. You know, they could, they were telling you about the local area, telling us about Vegan Fest, telling us about you know such a welcoming family. So obviously, a lot of people are going to be at Ron's house. So we went downstairs first, went downstairs and he had, uh, you know, some nice carded figures on the wall, lots of posters. Anybody who follows Ron knows that he's posting um, pictures of posters quite a lot. He had, what I thought was brilliant, was he had a, you know, a large green, a large green telly and he just had his posters on cycle. And we were trying to work out how many posters were on the cycle because we, we never saw them loop. I mean, they must have looped because we were there a couple of hours. But, uh, you know, he had all his posters in high quality on, on a telly. It was brilliant. And then I got the opportunity to go upstairs. So upstairs is in two sections. So I turned left. And when I went left, I saw everything that was production. Boxed Death Star, boxed TIE Fighter, you know, all of those kind of things were, were there. All fantastic fantastic condition you know all the the, the the you know the nicest condition there is somebody who's traded up and traded up and traded up so that was really nice just looking around at all the different things in that room you know 12 inch die cast and and ceramics you know absolutely brilliant and then you go into the the, the main area which is you know where his truly stellar pieces are so the way he has it 
divided up is lots of display uh, cases which he was telling me that actually that's quite a new feature and if I had it went there last year it would have been a case of rooting through boxes but he's got everything out on display now so in the centre he has all his carded figures starting from the first 12 goes right the way around ending up with you know Power Force and uh, Droids and Ewoks and things so, so that was absolutely fantastic to see on top of that he has his store displays so they're in big cases and he's got them cased up with feet on the bottom so he can actually display them so they're not hanging from the ceiling or anything actually displayed on top of cases uh, so that was fantastic but the cabinets the cabinets were amazing so if you started off at the first cabinet that was 1977 and he had these little white cards that would have you know things like um this is a wax gulp from this line bloody bloody check out the difference between this and the modern he, he has an emperor and the emperor has the hood down so you can see you know the details of the skull of the emperor and he has a little card explaining what it is and you start in 1977 and you go right the way through to the end and he has everything laid out in chronological order brilliant so you start off with things like the early bird kit or even before that you know sketch drawings internal paperwork business cards um, so you start off with Star Wars, you know, you go all the way through that line. Um, so, for example, if you got to a certain character, okay, next to that character, if he had it, he would have the wax sculpt or an acetate sculpt or first shots or hard copies or whatever it is he had, they would be there together. And you could spend hours and hours and hours and still not take it all in. So I, I looked at it all. I come down, I sat outside because I was so overwhelmed. And then you'd hear somebody like, I don't know, Matthias or perhaps Trent Bailey or something like that. And they would say, oh, so what did you think of his whatever? And I would go, what? How did I miss that? And so you would have to go back up again and look at it and go, how how could I miss that? You know, you're such a fantastic item. So, something that, if it appeared in Vectors, it would be all over the place. And you just had so much of this stuff, and you go, you look at it again, and you go sit down. You just sit back down, and somebody say, "Oh, so what? What did you think of the alternative of this?" And you go, "What? How do I? How have I missed that?" <laughs> if he straight back up again, you know, having a look, it was just brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. You put loads of food on, you know, absolutely fantastic time at Ron's place. Loved it. So once I finished at Ron's, or once Wall finished at Ron's, back to the hotel, um, and then we went on one of the river cruises. And I spent a bit of time talking. Uh, Pete, I, I don't know if you picked up on this as well, but Americans are loving mere soccer. Um, you know, as they call it, soccer. So I was talking to a guy called Bill Fryer. And Bill Fryer was seeing him at Celebration quite a lot with Bill Cable. Uh, so I got chatting to him and he he said that him and his son had done a tour of Scotland where they'd visited, you know, things like Aberdeen Stadium, Celtic Stadium. Uh, they went to Dundee, you know, just visiting stadiums and doing tours and things. I was talking to a couple of the Georgia guys, like Narayan, and he was saying that they have got season tickets to go and see the Major League Soccer teams over there. I was really surprised about how much the Americans knew about um, soccer and about, um, you know, players like, you know, Almiron has left the Major League Soccer. He now plays for Newcastle. So I was talking to a guy who would watch him play in the Major League Soccer, saying, ah, he's not very good, he's been shipped over at the UK now. And obviously Newcastle is the team that's closest to me, so he's actually playing for my local team. So, you know, it really is a small world, so it was great talking to Americans about that. Well, they are, they are I mean, remember, they are hosting the World Cup in a, after Qatar, the 2026 World Cup with them, Canada and Mexico. So, uh, yeah, they've, I mean, you know, American football, soccer fans, uh, um, they're, they're no longer... It's no longer just the three main sports um, or four main sports. Um, 
American football is getting bigger and bigger. I mean, you know, purpose-built stadiums. Although, having said that, I think someone's moving back into the... Uh, um, I think in New York, I think someone's moving back into the baseball stadium. But apart from that, yeah, it is. It is in in, in some areas. I mean, the, the, there's the expansion of teams over there in the MLS. I mean, more and more teams are joining. You know, obviously you've got the, the 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 East and West conferences. You know, it's it's going to be East, West, North, and South at some stage because the amount of teams joining. So it's definitely a sport me up in in America. They just need to get their national team sorted out because it's a bit naff. It's about Scotland standard, to be fair. <laughs> Most of the time when we're on that boat, it was not Star Wars. So we're talking about with jobs, we're talking about the local area, we're talking about hill, hiking in the mountains, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the Americans call them castles. And <laughs> obviously, we know what castles are. But, you know, you've, you've got to say, yeah, it's kind of like castle like, I suppose. But yeah, it's great talking about castles. Um, even Jason Thomas, you know, talking about battle reenactments from the War of the Roses. You, know, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't expect that. And, and he had such an in depth knowledge of the War of the Roses. It was unbelievable, you know. And it was just a case of all of us just walking around, mingling, mixing, chatting. You know, everybody was available to chat. It was absolutely brilliant. Once we're finished there, we got off the boat, and unfortunately, I had to rush very, very quickly to catch my flight. Say bye to a few people, very few people, because they were heading off to a meal, and it was such a shame. And it was also a big shame that I couldn't go to see Yehuda's collection on the Monday, because Yehuda basically hosted an open house, and I'm very aware that Yehuda's got such an eclectic mix of tastes and styles, and I would like to see his ceiling, because I don't know if you've seen it, Pete, but he's, he's the one with the Star Wars painting on the ceiling in the room, and I would just, you know, I, w- I would love to see that, so um, Yehuda's invited us over uh, next time I'm in New York, I will definitely go back again. So my message for anybody who gets invited to go to one of these, if it was a choice between this and celebration, because a couple of people have asked us this, right? If it was a choice between this and celebration, so just say, for example, that the annual number two, so that was the first one, so just say that the second one was going to happen at the same date as next year, which obviously it's not going to, but if it did, which would I go to? Well, if I knew that those guys were going to stay at the annual, then I would go to the annual. But I know they're not, so I'm going to have to say celebration because I know that those guys are going to be at celebration. And I'm so glad I went because I know there's not many UK guys are going to Anaheim. And I've got a whole new group now of people who I can mix in the rat with, talk to. And yes, it's going to be busy. Yes, it's going to be hustle and bustle. And I do like Star Wars. It's not just like I like vintage toy collection. I like Star Wars. I like seeing cosplay. I like, you know, walking around having the dealer's tables. I like, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels and all that kind of stuff. But the annual was just so much more stress-free it was relaxed it was calm and, and that was absolutely fantastic and when i go to Anaheim, i know exactly what i'm going to see because i'm going to see orlando again i'm going to see chicago again i know exactly what i'm going to get but but the annual was something just completely different and what it felt like to me was the first time i went to essen you know, the first time i went to celebration europe 2 which was in essen that was my first celebration and it was meeting the guys for the first time it felt like that it felt such a up close and personal thing and absolutely love it and I thank you very much to Ron thanks to Christopher really and to his wife Stephanie you know you put on this tremendous event with you know many other people uh, you know Jason Thomas I previously mentioned and Tom Quinn you know without you none of us would have been there to to get to know each other and if you get the opportunity just don't even hesitate just go you will love it as long as you enjoy celebration you enjoy vintage toy collecting, you enjoy vintage toy panels, and you enjoy room seals, you will love the annual. 
I've seen these collectors kind of tours before, and yeah, I think it was that one in Seattle, wasn't there, when they all went around the the houses on a minibus or whatever it was. And I always think, you know, I wonder why we don't do it over here. And I I, I was trying to think, I think a couple of reasons really. I think one is um, sometimes our houses aren't as big as Americans. They have these enormous houses with ridiculous, you know, um, they're the size of small towns in in the fact they're huge. Um, I want to say, you know, are, are we a bit more private? You know, I mean, people talk about Americans and they don't realise how welcoming they are. I mean, as 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 you said, you know, you've been welcomed into the fold of these uh, people. Obviously, lots of people you don't know. They just welcome to you, and you know, they don't know that you're some dodgy bloke from from the north of England could could be on the on the rob, as most of you are up there. Um, and they just welcome you in, and you know, they're they're, they're so welcoming. They're showing the collections. I mean, you must be going around the house. I mean, I'd be. I'd be very awkward about people coming to my house. <laughs> I just would. I mean, yes, close friends, but you know, people I've never met, I'd be like, Ooh, oh, hello. You know, what what they're gonna nick, what they're gonna think in my bathroom, you know, what they're gonna are they, are they gonna nick my crisps out of my cupboard? You know, what what's what's that about? So I think it's a it's a cultural difference between the, the two countries that we don't really do it. And we could do it over here. I mean there's plenty of people with wonderful collections, but we don't do it. There's, that's not a thing. Well, there's co- I'm glad you actually brought that up, right? Because one of the things that was tough for me was walking around, and I am the clumbiest oaf on the planet. You know, if there's something to be knocked over, I will knock it over. And I was telling the guys about, you know, I broke a DT Ben Sabre, I dropped a DT Vader on the floor, and I almost sucked up a DT Look up, up a Hoover. You know, and these guys, as you see, they don't know me. You know, yes, yes, I've met one a few times, but again he doesn't know my background you're right and then when you add that to what Carl Cunningham did these guys have got to be on super high alert you know Carl Cunningham was a very very trusted guy who stole a corded rocket firing effect from Philip Wise and stole lots of items from Banjo Obi-Wan and I can only respect the faith that they put in me and all the others in, in, in going around and you know allowing us free reign you're absolutely right now, if it was a, if houses in the UK, it is a cultural thing, right? Because I'm even hearing things like, "Oh, it's 90 minutes away. I, I, I'm not going to drive 90 minutes to go to somebody's house." These guys in the states are flying from different states. These guys are driving um, from memory. I think somebody had said from the top, which is I think the Syracuse. You know, somebody's going to be laughing at me here. I'm either getting the geography right because I've learned it, or I'm getting it badly wrong. But I think Syracuse is at the top. And I think to get from there to the far end of Long Island, if I've got it right, it's about a nine-hour drive. You know, that's how big New York State is. And you've got these guys who are driving three, four, five hours to go to meetups at their houses. So one of the reasons why it doesn't happen over here is because we say we're spread out, but we're not. Farthest from is not farthest from. It's an hour, an hour and a half out of London. You know, yes, it's a six-hour drive for me, but these Americans are doing this without battling an eyelid. They're flying six hours without battling an eyelid. You had Brian Angel coming all the way from Los Angeles, or he's, he's certainly in California, coming over to this. Secondly, the house size is definitely an issue, definitely. I mean, how many, realistically, I could probably only have three people coming in to see my collection in one go, um, because I just don't have the room. And on top of that, I think we are... Private is. I'm not saying the Americans aren't private because the, the you know they are. They're definitely private. And if you listen to that interview on David Quinn's podcast, there's a guy called Tyler Ferrigan, and he tells about the first time that he hosted people to his house, and he knew Thomas Quinn, and he knew one or two others, 
and he said that Thomas kept slipping more names into the guest list and he said before he knew it he had you know upwards of a dozen people coming to his house he didn't know any of them and he said Tom Quinn arrived and Tom was like you know I don't know these guys either and Tara was going you're kidding I'm bringing these people into my house and I don't and, you know so, so they have exactly the same feelings as us but they deal with it better than us you know they, they are warm they're inviting you know they, they welcome people in they have guns Rich they have guns <laughs> true. but they break down barriers quicker than us because so when I went there, uh, you know, one of the biggest fears I had was I'm an outsider. You know, I'm from the UK. I'm different. I, I don't, you know, mix. I don't mix with them on a regular basis. But all of that ended virtually immediately. Virtually immediately ended. You know, so it was absolutely brilliant. So the reason why it doesn't happen over here, we don't travel and our houses aren't, aren't as big. I think that's right. And and obviously Americans don't travel, but the two Americans do travel. Yes, they might not travel outside of America, but they they, they certainly travel all over the place. Did uh, Ron Salvatore have any Star Wars items in his bathroom? I don't think he did, actually. I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, Ron's house, the way he's done it is really, really well. You know, he's, he's kept it to being in zones. So the posters are all over one wall. The Star Wars stuff is there, the Star Wars stuff is there, and the Star Wars stuff is there. So if you wanted to have a non-Star Wars area, it, he had places like that as well. He's done it really well. So how do you get invited to this sort of thing? Is it just, uh, you know, I mean, do they, do they invite outsiders in often or did you just kind of like you know right right person right time or they just thought let's let's get a token geordie in <laughs> uh, yeah yeah the invited is in the stoners as i got there that's a, a good question pete because I, I wanted to know that myself because it was very difficult telling people i was going because i didn't understand quite what the rules were and to be honest with you there weren't any rules you know there was there wasn't anybody excluded from this it just the way the way it I think it's worked out was the the Empire States group had said right okay we're going to hire this place do you think they'll be interested for it they got a lot of people interested they then invited the friends so you had like the Georgian guys going up and people from other states like Matt George from Texas and, and people from Canada and then they thought okay we must be hitting 50 or 60 here can we make it a little bit bigger so then the likes of Ron would you know I think they contacted Stu and said do you guys want to come over they might have contacted you know like Matthias obviously Matthias said do the Swedes want to come over you know and it, it had just it was it was friends of people you know and I think it was good like that I can understand why they didn't do a whole making it a big open event because bringing people into your own house that that's changes it slightly and then on top of that obviously they probably wouldn't want to have impacted on the ICCC because if they did the whole you know this is the New York annual it's going to be a 4D event you know two weeks before the ICCC yeah I can understand why they didn't didn't do that so it you had to be known you know they had to have confidence in you going if you get the opportunity and you can do it go you will not be disappointed and a huge huge thanks to everybody who interacted with us uh, lots of people I didn't know, lots of people taking us in the car, you know, just, yeah, we've got space, jump in, we'll take it with you. Uh, you. You know, you've really made that weekend for me. 2019 has not been the greatest year for me, hasn't been a good year, but those three days will be remembered forever. Absolutely brilliant. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Okay, so uh, a long time ago in a town far, far away, something happened or could be happening, let's hope. What is it, Rich? So Dave Tree has announced Father's Farm 21. Woohoo! We've been waiting for this for so long. Uh, and Dave Tree, don't do this again to us. Don't cancel one because, you know, we'll we get, we get the Father's Farm blues. So Sunday, the 1st of December, is going to be Father's Farm 21. So that is the Christmas Father's Farm. 
uh, Fordenbridge Town Hall, which is in Fordenbridge, Hampshire. Um, so he hasn't got lots of details yet. You know, obviously it's it's early doors. So he's advertising it as the only show in the UK that is 100% dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia and it's back on Sunday the 1st of December 2019. So early bird entry which is 11 or 12 is £5 a person. General entry from 12 to 4 is £2 for adults and a pound for under 13s. If you've never been before, what are you waiting for? Totally agree. Many collectors will be there, many friends will be there, you know, many of our friends from Transform UK will be there, I'm sure the Jabba guys will be there, you know, really looking forward to it. Uh, what he's doing this time is he's putting on some panels, so I'm really, really glad that the panels are back. So it's a series of presentations and talks by men and members of the collecting community, so that will be upstairs in the town hall, so people will be able to go in, sit down at a seat when the time panels are on, and I'm just really excited, really, really excited about it. But on top of that, Pete, it gets better than that because on the Saturday beforehand, it's going to be the Fanta Day. So those of you who are aware, the Saturday is when Fanta Tracks takes over the town hall and they will have probably sign-ins from some of the Disney movies. They have games. It's much more family-oriented. But Pete, it gets better than that because on Saturday evening is the annual town Christmas lights switch on. So what's really important about that is the roads close at about 4 p.m., now most of us arrive around about five o'clock, six o'clock, um, to get to Father's Farm where we relax, we'll have a beer at the pubs, um, we'll pop over to, to the town hall, you know, and we might have a when we go for curry or something like that. So the roads close at four, so you need to get there before that. And I'm going to guess they don't open again until much later. And I think it's some kind of carnival little thing. So people, perhaps you can get uh, do you have fancy building a carnival down there. Uh, uh, what what do you call them? Uh, a float? Do you fancy building a float or something? But I think we should have. I think we should have a float. We should have a, a vintage rebellion float. And just fill it full of old Star Wars fans randomly on the back, um, showing bits of cardboard. Yeah, we'll, we'll have Stuart at the top of the Christmas tree or something like that. Yeah, be, it'd be good. <laughs> so really glad it's back. Absolutely delighted. Brilliant, Dave. We're going to be there, and we we'll hope to see as many of our listeners there too. And we will be making recordings for this form. Okay, so so we're going to have. Uh, what we want to hear is we want to hear is what you bought, and particularly from the people who beat the forest from the first time. Yeah, it'd be good to see new some new faces, and it sounds like it might be a little bit bigger than normal as well, with an upstairs apparently available. Well, it's 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 got so big downstairs, hasn't it? That to put the panels back on to have all their chairs out, you've got to have fewer dealers. Fewer dealers are going to be fewer people going there, so it makes absolute perfect sense to go upstairs to use the seats. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so if anybody wants a table, send a message to sales at allthecoolstuff.co.uk. If you want to be part of the panel, again, sales at allthecoolstuff.co.uk. Okay, so all the information is on his Facebook page. If anybody's not part of the Fathers Forum, um, Star Wars UK Facebook group, and I suggest you join in. There's a couple of good threads going. And... Make sure you search for Father's Form, because I know Ian Sanderson and one or two others call it Father's Form. It's not Father's, it's not a U in it, right? It's Father's, F-A, okay? So you'll have a great time if you go. Honestly, it's a long drive for some people, yes. It's a long drive for me, but I have never once regretted it. Never once, except for the first time I met you, Pete. But other than that, never regretted it. That's what all the ladies say.
right now i'm delighted to welcome our interview for this month and uh, we've got a, a fantastic uk collector who uh, when i finally well I, f- I saw your collection on star wars forum uh, uk it's so impressive and uh, so vast um you're known as cornish jedi on the forum uh, we're just delighted to welcome alistair kirkland to the podcast alistair uh, Hi guys. welcome to the Vintage rebellion thank you for having me on well, thank you. Uh, we we share a passion for for Sigma. Now, uh, last month in August show um, during my acquisitions, I mentioned the Rebo Band music box which I got, which was kindly sold to me by you. Uh, I think you initially messaged me when I on the podcast after the podcast, me saying I wanted one. I think that's when we got talking. Yeah. Um, several months ago, but <laughs> has arrived. Brilliant piece. But but you have recently completed the sigma line yes that's correct um other than the infamous display and a i think there's a foreign catalog out there um but the actual sort of production pieces yeah i've literally just come to the end with the purchase of my vader mirror table mirror so now the mirror is probably the hardest piece to find isn't it i have seen in the five years i've been collecting it um, one come up, but the mirror was broken, and they were advertising it as a picture frame. Yeah, um, they're quite hard to the, sort of distinguish between the two, between the picture frame because there's a Darth Vader picture frame yeah. and a Darth Vader mirror. Um, and if you had them next to each other and took the mirror out, it's very hard to tell the difference, certainly from the front. Yeah. So, how did you? Where did you finally track that down? Uh, yeah, that that was an American find, and I sort of, sort of took a big lump in my throat and had it posted over because you've already got ceramic and a mirror to then post but it, it, it did arrive safely thankfully and yeah i think that's the only second one i've seen come up for sale um and i do have a theory on that and that's i think there's only one per case when they've ordered like big cases i've seen a case dispatch and there's only one per case so that could be that could be the reason behind that yeah now Obviously, buying this stuff's not easy to find in the UK. I think a few mugs and figurines come up quite regularly, but but generally this stuff's in America, isn't it? And um, how have you had to source most of it from the states? Yeah, um, probably on the, yeah on the majority. A few of like you say, figurines I've managed to find over here. Um, they tend to turn up normally with their sort of display boxes as well, which makes it a bit easier to post. But yeah, most of the things have come from the states. Um, and up until recently, I think all of it's arrived safely. So I just must've been lucky, but it's also very heavy to post as well. So it's taken a, taken a fair few years to put together. Did, if you literally got them, the sellers to post them directly to you? Yes. Send them a, like a, a diagram on how I'd like them posted. <laughs> think I'm very strange. And it's just like, no, I just don't want to post it three times and pay for it all over again. I think um, Ian Sanderson must curse me because I think I asked him to, could we arrange one piece? And then I think I added his address to my my eBay account and was just having stuff turn up in his porch. <laughs> All this ceramic. And I can remember him uh, messaging me with a cookie jar going, this thing's really heavy. I'm like, but, yeah. uh, I think there was one point my uh, fiance she was working in the States. So I had the parcel delivered to hers. And when I went over there and then brought it all back on my hand luggage. So, yeah. <laughs> nice, one, nice light case. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, they weigh those. 
Yeah, I'm just going to introduce myself to this interview, seeing that I've been cut out at the start. You all right, <laughs> Sorry, <Alistair>? mate. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, oh, definitely, yeah. I was just going to say, um, Stu, did you, not, did you not buy that um, cracked Vader mirror? Because unless you're going to be wearing a bag where you heed most of the time, surely any mirror you're going to get is going to get cracked anyway. <laughs> so it would have been cheaper. It'd be cheaper for you to buy a cracked one than to buy one that's in a macular condition that's going to end up cracked, surely. <laughs> just, just nasty for the sake of being nasty, Rich. I am going through fits and starts with it. I'm missing a fair few bits, but get in there, you know. But yeah, outside of the Vader mirror, what else cool. did you find difficult to find? Um, I think one of the last bits was actually the turret and probot. Again, it's a sort of music top turret and probot. That that took a while to find. I, could, I saw a couple, and funny enough, actually, just the gun of the turret and probot was broken. So I think it's just because it's, yeah, obviously a bit exposed. It tends to get chipped or broken away. Was it actually snapped? Because I know, um, I was talking to, I can't think who it was, possibly Ron Salvatore, that they came in quite a lot of different lengths, but the end of it's bulbous, isn't it? So Yeah, that's what I mean. It sticks yeah. out there. So, yeah, that took a while to find. Um, and then I think one of the, one of the la- later pieces as well was that um, anodized money bank, the Darth Vader money bank. Oh, the UK piece? Yeah. Do you have any idea why we got a UK, basically, metal piece and uh, the rest of it not yeah. available over here? There's, there's a couple of bits. One, it's, it's the only piece that I can find in my, certainly I've gone through all my collection, that's actually got a date stamp on it of 81. So it's quite early on for the Sigma series. You know, they, yeah. they, they got their license late 80s. Um ran with the Star Wars and Empire stuff to start with before Return of Jedi in 83. Um, the only theory I had was that a bit of history, I mean, Sigma was originally bought out by the Tau company, who had quite a lot of homeware and all sorts of facets to them. Um, but they also had a silversmiths, Tau silversmiths, that were based in Boston. Oh. Um so I'm wondering if there's some connection there, but how that ended up making its way to the UK, no idea. It's it's actually a beautiful sculpted piece. Actually, mm. it's um, when I look at that, the the, the cape's got loads of character to it, it's reflowing. It's actually a really good piece, but it's very it doesn't really sit with the rest Maybe of the stuff. Does most it? of not having having it. Like, like, no, no, it doesn't. It's because it hasn't been fired and you haven't got a glaze on it. The sculpting's a lot sharper on it. Yeah. it looks looks really nice. But fight again, finding that with the original stopper in the bottom, because it's got a paper surround, they tend to break. That's right. I um, had two or three before I found one with a stopper. Yeah. Not easy. Uh, Rich? Yep. I'll start as a R5 focus collector, <laughs> and, and I've, I've wrestled with this a few times. I've bought the R5 D4 pepper pot from Sigma, yep. and I don't have the R2, and I didn't buy the set and split them up. I bought the R5 just because that was for sale. And I've had one or two collectors who said it's not right splitting a pair up like that. Um, they should always be kept together. So how do you feel about that as a, as a Sigma collector? Because somebody out there yeah. is going to have the R2 and not get the R5. You never know. Maybe a R2 focus collector's got the R2, Rich. Yeah. Well, maybe the R2 smashed and they're in use. <laughs> yeah, someone just... seems to be dropped. Yeah, they are notoriously fragile. Um, no, I mean, I, I, as a whole, I don't have an issue with it. Um, I think I think it'd be nice to see the pieces together. 
Um, I've seen it done with bookends as well. You tend to see one or two of the bookends come up on their own, which is odd. Um, but then again, so if someone wants that one piece, then that's what they want. You know, there's enough of the stuff out there realistically for you to hunt hunt it down or wait for a pair if, it, if Sigma as a whole is your focus. What is it about the Sigma you like? Because it, it's it's so some of it's really random, isn't it? Yeah, firstly, I think I just I mean as a whole, I'm a, yeah, I'm a completist. I'm unfortunately a completist when it comes to Star Wars. So I got a few bits. Um, I can't remember some of the early bits. I got with a couple of mugs. Um, and then my dad bought, did he buy? I think he bought the cookie jar for my collection, the big Vader C3PO cookie yeah. jar. Um, and then it sort of just goes, well, I started looking at all the other bits and I just like the color and some of the designs and some of the quirkiness, like the, uh, the infamous sellotape dispenser, C3PO sellotape dispenser. And yeah. I'd been, like I say, a completist. I just wanted to get all of the bits then. I don't think there's anything that I dislike. I think some, no. some, some of the quirkiness is actually some of its novelty as well. The only thing I'm not overly, overly keen on, and that is the pencil tray with the 3PO. It's just so big. Yeah. <laughs> I find it quite bumpy. Um, all, it seems like it wants to be a soap tray more than a pencil tray. Yeah, but it's so big, isn't it? It's, you could get about three or four bars of soap across it yeah. quite easily, um, I've put it on a plate stand, but uh, so it can stand at the back. But yeah, when I first got it, I thought, "What am I going to do with that thing?" But um, yeah, they're great. What about if I pushed you for your favourite piece of Sigma? I think it might be the teapot, just because the size of it, the Tauntaun teapot. Brilliant, isn't it? The most useless piece of. I mean, you can't make, you can't use a couple. I mean, it weigh, in itself, it weighs a small ton. But yeah, it's just the size of it, and having a Tauntaun as a teapot is a brilliant piece. So you just said you're a Star Wars completist. Hmm. You collect odd, obviously you collect Sigma, but you collect oddball items as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see a therapist. Um, no, it's, yeah. So, I mean, I started with the toys like most people and then finding the other odd bits and pieces. I thought I like, like the look of that. That looked good for my collection. And then, well, no, I'll get the whole set of whatever that thing is. And then it sort of keeps going. So I think, like at the moment, uh, trying to round up the last of my UK metal, you know, the tin collection they did. Oh, yeah. Pencil, pencil cases and tankards and all sorts of little tins. And there's a far more than I've realised. Now, you're quite fortunate um, from when I look through your collection that you've got a pretty, a pretty large collecting room, haven't you? Yes, I've. Um, if I'm going to be brutally honest, I've got three rooms that have now wow. taken over. So, yeah, two rooms which are only useful by storing Star Wars in them. Because just your Sigma alone is in a huge, great, uh, is it circular? Yeah, it's one of those old display shop cabinet. display cabinets. Yeah, I managed to find one at an auction, or my dad managed to find one at auction for me. Yeah, and, so have uh, the Sigma range, you've got, you've got to be talking a pretty big unit. To start with, anyway, mm. I know that um, the pieces I've got are spread pretty wide already. And you collect a host of other type of ceramics as well. You've also got are they the other cookie jars? Because they're big, aren't they? The which ones? Um, I think it's a Jabba and a layer and a Chewy. No, Huge. I haven't. I haven't. I've looked at those, um, and I haven't got them yet. I've got some of the rump mugs. They're nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so... these collectibles, aren't they? 
yeah exactly um so ceramic is at the very beginning but yeah no i've got my vader and the chewy arrived in the post the other day and i've found an obi-wan so it's just about getting it posted um so that's the three of those you've got the big um the big 3PL on the bottom shelf. Yeah, so that's that's the 20th Century Fox Roman 3PL. That's right, yeah. And then now... the smaller one is actually from Australia from the same time, so it's a 77 piece. But it's identical cast, but smaller, and that came from Australia. You're getting this stuff sent from all over the place. Now, if I just go on to your actual um, your showcase, mm. you've also got, which looks ceramic to me, it might not be ceramic, but... A humongous Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a almost. It's got can't be far off full size cookie jar Yoda, and that's not, that's actually modern. Um, but yeah, they did the cookie jars uh, late nineties, early noughties, and that was the test piece. So they produced three of those, and in the UK, and one's broken. So there's two of those still around. It. So they're not. They were never sold. They were just. Um, for promotion but i don't i dread to think how many cookies you fit in it but the head comes off and everything else it's full-size yeah, it comes over his shoulder doesn't it yeah so, that's it it's a humongous thing when, when i was flicking <laughs> through it, i was thinking what is that is that so the smaller one next to it was that that's the regular so yeah, they released you, that that was available yeah. was it yeah and then the full-size mold was one they did as a promotional piece yeah managed to find one of those yeah oh, fantastic i must admit i love that and I can remember you um, you picking this up. I think you put it on the acquisitions. If it wasn't you, someone's bought the same thing. But you've got the the bed, header and footer. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was me that put it on there. Someone managed to find one. Cause it's someone from, else, uh, was it? Yeah, I think because it's a, it's a Scottish company. And I can't remember the name. But it's actually, um, yeah, they're based in Scotland. And I've got a collection. Well, I was quite young, to be fair. It's quite a big collection. Someone's just sunning off, and they had both. And I didn't know they were bedheads at the time. I had no idea what they were. And um, years later, reading through the tomarts, I remember seeing both of them in there. The actual header of it with Luke Jedi, Storm Invader is mm. is is just beautiful. Yeah. But that's got to be big as well. I know yeah. you've got three rooms, but where how do you go about displaying something like that? Because it's sat where you almost see it. So it's on the end of a display unit. Or I've got some drawers which I um, store some of my Power of Force 2 figures in. And that's just stashed on the end. Yeah, it's a cabinet header, as it were. Oh, brilliant. Rich, you're a completist. Why haven't you got them? I just don't have the room. Simple <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, that's fair enough. You can attach it to the end of the bed. But, yeah, so you're talking about completists there. So I'm, I'm looking at your um, Canadian bottle caps because yep. I've, I've got a few of these now. Um, you've got the Auto D2 that I'm missing. Um, and I had a look, but I traded it away. If if I'd known you needed a look, I would have been able to send you a look. On R two, you've got. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I was wondering is, um, knowing that you're never probably ever going to get no, the Leah, no. and probably not the Darth Vader as well, because no, I I think that that is also incredibly tough to find. People don't really focus on Vader as much. How how do you feel about probably never being able to complete that? Oh, it's, it's part of the fun, isn't it? Um, it's part of the fun of always looking. I mean, I don't always look for bottle caps, but I'll go away and look at something else, and that'll be my focus for a little while, and I'll come back to it. 
Um, and yeah, I might kick myself if I ever missed one. But it's the, obviously constantly looking for these things just to sort of fill a hole or to, like say, complete a run of something. That's the fun. I'm not overly worried about not having it. It'd be just nice to have it. <laughs> And, and you've got the um, the quarter cola painted cups as well. You've got the display for that, haven't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's the the old Japanese ones. Yes, um, I saw one of those displays for sale last year, the year before. I don't know um, if it was this one or not, but they were also quite tough to track down as well. So yeah, yeah. the trays we... are really, really fragile. I mean, the, yeah. the, there's there's a slight break you can see on top right, and that was in the post. Mm. Um, that came from Japan, and yeah, they're so fragile. I can't I understand why they they probably didn't last. They weren't designed to last like all this stuff. Um, so, are the plastic? Yeah, really. It's really thin plastic. I mean, I think I saw one once. Um, it was uh, might have even been at the celebration we've just been to, Rich. But the, that plastic is quite thin, isn't it? It goes quite brittle. Yeah. Um, and easily broken. I think it's a bit similar to the old the bubble bath statue um the figurines they came on a very similar type of plastic mm. i think they're really fragile as well but they look amazing absolutely amazing with your ball yeah. tops in it yeah got them framed up so hopefully it should be nice yeah. and protected for a bit um you've obviously got an awful lot of pieces already how long have you been collecting is this are you one of the old school collectors um no i mean well old school because i'm it came clean. I was born '84, so I technically missed all of Star Wars. Um, but I had a brother who's he's 11 years older than me, so that's where it started. Um, I I sort of had his, or well, I say had stole borrowed his toys, um, but there's no Star Wars around at that time. Um, I just played with the toys, and then so early '90s, I. I I bought, I went to a shop and there was just one weekway in a shop. I was blown away. So I've, I've sort of played with these toys, but I've never seen a new toy in the shop. So I, I secured that. I made to save some pocket money up and bought that. I don't think the shopkeeper actually remembered him even having it. So, so yeah, I've been really collecting since I was about seven. I'm now mid-30s. Right, so you've literally gone right through. So you, yeah. You, yeah. I haven't. I mean, I've been, you know, like everyone, I go fits and starts, you know, I'll, times of your life where you just can't collect and it's just nice to enjoy what you've got. Um, and then a sort of refocus on new bits or older bits again. But so you, you were collecting during when everything was quite reasonably priced and then you had that yeah. just, yeah, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just a price well. rise, was it? It was oh. astronomical Facebook and the amount of collectors came in. Did, did something like that put you off? You see your hobby go like a, a box stand, a 10, 15 pound mental card is now a hundred pound and the hundred pound mental cards are, you know, I can remember the rise of the, the vinyl cake Jower from when we started the podcast, they were going for two fifty three hundred. Yeah. within a matter of a year. They were over a grand. The, yeah, the price once, rise was just. One just sold, didn't it? For $1,200 loose yeah. on one of the Facebook groups. That's right. It's sold within two minutes of it being on, on the group. I saw that today. Yeah. And it, that's just mad, isn't it? The, yeah. Does anything like that, did you think to yourself, oh, this, that's, that's the hobby gone? No, I don't think it goes, but it does, it does have a bit of a down and out again. Especially if there's something that you really want. Just because you like it, like the look of it, or a whole spit of nostalgia, and then you look at the price and go, well, I'm never realistically 
going to be able to buy that. Um, but then it also comes down to, and this is something I'm going to say now, focusing, you know, so if you want something particular, then you save up and you buy that piece if it's within your price range. There's always going to be something out of your price range. I don't care who you are. Um, but as a whole, I think, I think enjoying what you can get hold of. There's always something within budget. Um, but it, I mean, I do know what you say because I remember getting the Cardiff figure when I was, as in like old stock when it was being sold through the dealers and the traders when I was about 12, 13, my first Cardiff figure. And that's when I actually I kept that one on the card because I just liked it. And I went through a sort of a Cardiff phase to get a few more because the dealers had loads of them. Like you say, it was all readily available, boxfuls of these things. Um, just just for the light, not really collecting a particular figure or a run. And then I didn't come back to it until, well, really when the prequels came out. And even then, the prices were, well, well I can compare it to, you know, from paying, I think the most expensive figure when I was a kid with dealers was a Leia Organa. And on a 12 back, I remember that being £40. And it's like, my parents were never going to buy me a 40 back. Oh, sorry, a 40 pound figure. Um, and even you know, I came back to it like in the prequels and it was, yeah, two, three hundred pounds. Yeah. So, no, I don't think for, for me personally, it, it puts a little bit of a down on it. I think this should always, this in a day is what it is. It's toys and there's a, there is a lot of it out there. But um, I think there's always some kind of enjoyment. I mean, recently I went back and started doing some of the, key variants on the figures which i just missed when i was younger i never thought of them as variants and now i look at them i think oh that's quite cool and i go back and i find them and they're still reasonably priced depending what you're looking for you've just talked about focus collecting and you do have a focus figure and you've just given us a story that you found found this figure when you were seven years old in the shop now you focus on weak way um (laughs) how do you say do you say weak way weak Weekway, I say weekway. Yeah, you're the same as me. Rich, how do you say it's bound to be hilarious? Well, I used to say weeky, but now I've obviously learned that it is weekway. <laughs> weekway. Well, when I was now, a kid, it was definitely weeky, definitely. <laughs> Winky. <laughs> Love it. Um, now, I, I look at your card collection here, and I know you've got um, car, uh, foreign, ver- uh, you know, a couple of foreign cards, but. You always, I always think of like uh, the Jabba's goons or mm. a biker scout or Emperor's Royal Guard. That there wouldn't be that many carded variations on things like Kenner and whatnot because they was late in the line. But um, you've got quite an array of cards. Are they all different? Yes, uh, that was my hope, Stu. I, I thought I found my old card back from that first figure and the only figure I've ever bought in the shop. I found it when um, sorting my collection out one day. I was like. This would be a good figure to get. I've got my nostalgia. I've got my link to it. It's not a heavily priced figure. And like you, I thought, how many variants can there be? You know, a few 65s, maybe 77 backs. And now I'm on to 30 plus variants. Yeah, that's quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm attention to detail. So some of them are factory code differences. Um so they come from different factories, but there's probably only half a dozen are different factory codes, and the rest are, are variants from either countries or car backs. I, I can accept 
the tri logos. So I'm looking now at your picture, and yeah. you've got you've got four tri logos, and I can see them all being different. <laughs> I can guess you've got the the two different Palatoy ones, maybe a German one and the French Macau one. Yeah. And I, I obviously I can see your miss calls there in tri logo, and there's there's, yeah. there's a few of them, but 23 different Return of the Jedi card <laughs> box. Now, when I'm comparing that the R5D4, of which there's about three, you've got 20 extra. So I can see a clipper one, right? Fair enough, that rules that one out. And the 77B, which there's no R5D4 in the 77B, but you've got two 77Bs. So yeah. actually, you've got three. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just struggling to see how can there be so many different variations. Uh, yeah, so I went with... So you got the 65s, I'm not going to go into all of them, but you get 65s and then you've got the, for the C's, up to the C, you've got a uh, factory code difference. So there's actually, those three become six. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're on your 77s. Again, 77s have got factory code error, uh, differences. 77 Bs, oh, you know, stretching my head now. Um, I've got one and then I've got... Um, the other one, you actually see those 79 back with a sticker offer on it. The one with the Boba Fett is actually a 79 back. And then we're on to actually what you'll probably look at, because you look at the front, that's a Tuscuda card. Oh, uh, right. Okay. That's so what it is. Back, yeah. yeah. So then you sort of into that. So, And then on to Canadian, I think it must be. And then Toll Toys, Australia. Mm-hmm. That'll be... That'll be the one with the new num sticker on. And then, yeah, onto the Palatoys, which have the bubble variations and back variations, then clippers, then a lady, the lady. Then, yeah. And if they've got a free coin off a sticker on them, are you collecting them all again? Yeah. I think so. I've got a separate run towards the bottom. <laughs> yeah. I've got a separate run at the bottom, which is just all the ones again with a coin offer on. When you say uh, a factory code, is this literally a couple of digits on a card? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty anal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I'm that not going to actually. Yeah, yeah, that was. And that, that, it was just sort of me sort of looking again. Oh, are there any differences? There's all these factory codes. Oh, there are differences. I wonder how many have got that different. There's only two factories that they're coming out of, but, you know, for the 65s and 77s. Um, you can see those different factory coats. Thankfully, they're not on any of the Palatoys that I've seen yet. And that, nothing graded there as well, is it? Have you bought all of these ungraded? Um, I do. I think one of my Palatoys is graded, um, mm. purely because that was the only, uh, when I was looking for it, that was the only way I could find it. Um, but everything else has been, no, ungraded. Um, yeah. I'm astounded that there's not hundreds of these heading off to the to be graded i mean weak way surely is in demand <laughs> i'm just holding them rich you're building the bubble up <laughs> you got um a couple, I, I like the two packs I, I find them um i know the bubbles are often khaki on them and the back of the cards are a bit boring but the two packs are always a always a lot of fun the old kb ones um i see you've got one with medine in there yeah. the the second one of them, I can't make out the figures. The light off the camera's caught it's on it. Chirper, odd okay. mix, Chief Chirper and Weakway. Which, okay, well, you, you can't go wrong with an Ewok. Yeah. I know you have a bit of yeah. love for Ewoks because um, I've seen all your Wicket stuff in another photo. But uh, we'll get on to that in a minute. But um, 
Is is there any cards that you're aware of you're missing? Especially Kenner. I'd like to know if there's any factory yeah, era cards. There, well, there's in there's um there's a factory code difference for a 65B. I'm missing. Um, the catalogs a lot of the the uh, saying there's a 79A. Uh, I haven't seen one, but I've got space, so uh, ever looking for that one. Um, and also, yeah, I'm yet to find a a Toltoys carded. I've only got the card back, so I think that's as far as I'm aware of. Oh, and there's uh, one miss card. There's a Trilogo miss card with Chewbacca. Chewbacca oh, card nice. back. Yeah, be nice, wouldn't it? I love the fact that you collect the factory cards. So when a weekway comes up for sale, do you um, say, oh, could you just take a photo of the, the factory yeah, code? I do, I do try to. I look at probably every weekway that comes up for sale, just in case. Because it's, it's only that one one or two that I'm missing. I just wouldn't want to miss it. No, now you've gone down that route. You need to finish <laughs> it, don't you? Yeah. And uh, obviously you've got the mailers, which are quite cool, the Return of the Jedi. Is that the eight-pack mailer, isn't it? Yeah, so there's an eight and uh, three pack yeah nice and a few bootlegs at the top a few bootlegs or they're the polish bootlegs Um, and they're quite cool aren't they i like the way he's got you know he's got a bit of a snazzy wardrobe uh, got a bit of a sort of native indian look to him yeah yeah i like that but um yeah nice little focus because you you don't see enough love for some of the um jabagoons do you sometimes they they, even then i try to look through things and like one came out the other day and I've, i've got it here actually now come in to have a look at them so i knew what i was talking about but there's um the italian import sticker one that's what came out. instantly know after you look at enough week race there's something different and it's got the big white sticker the italian import sticker so that was quite a nice little find and then i found one which has got the a paint error so it's not they've failed to paint his arm but it's already in the card which is unusual what what does week we appear on that's not an action figure has five box i think well there's a cut the cartoon art on the skiff yeah i'm just thinking that um obviously gamorian god appears on a lot of stuff you know yeah. like um Andalier strap isn't he in the um strap yes no i'm thinking of things like the random house bookmarks or you know there were ah. so, so many opportunities to put yeah. weekly on no he doesn't appear not in vintage line doesn't no. appear a lot it's all the Really, the very sort of standardised, well, for the area anyway, standardised press pack and photo shots from the skiff. That is, appears on that a lot. So all the, I've got a little catalogue with the um, foyer giveaways um, from the era in Germany and France. But they're, they're, it's the standard sort of press image of him on the front of the skiff. But they're beyond the toy stuff. There's not a lot with Weekway on, which is probably a blessing. I bet you there's some real random item out Someone's going to find it now. Yeah, that's a shout-out to the listeners, if <laughs> anyone can find. I suppose Andy Preston, actually, um, is on this show with us. He, he, will, he collects a lot of oddball stuff. Andy, when you listen to this, can you find him the most obscure <laughs> thing that he needs to hunt down? Give him a, <laughs> a real focus to, to find something, yeah. Carrying on with your card figures, carded figures, your minute-on-card run, yeah. I noticed that... Um, you have completed, um, I think it's a, a run similar to what Richard's trying to do, yeah, yeah. every figure on a card? Yes, yeah, literally end of, so if you think, first one was when I was a teenager, I finished it last year, 
So, um, yeah, finished it last year, end of last year. But, was so, there any rhyme or reason to which car they had, or was it just what popped up at the time? And what, um, Yeah, whatever looked nice, fancy. I'll be honest with you. Whatever looked nice. Um, and I kind of like it now. Now I put them all together um, and they're all sort of displayed in some of the GW acrylics. You can just look through and see all the different sort of car back variations there were. There's a few foreign variants. The tri logos, 21s, I think got A12 back somewhere. Um, and Palatoys and Kenners. You know, whatever came up on them, it was nice. Yeah, I'm just looking at your first 12, actually. You've got um, a nice, quite a nice eclectic mix of that. You've got uh, Luke's in the, in the gunner chair rather yeah. than the um, original pose on a Jedi card. You've got Layers on Empire. Um, you've got the Trilogo for Vader. Uh, you've got the Takara for, for the Stormtrooper. Yeah. I'm guessing that's a 12-back. Yes, that's a 12-back. Um, yeah. And Solo on the Tri-Logo, the Jowls on the Power of the Force. So you, you've kind of kind of covering most of the, uh, the card fronts with the first 12 there alone, aren't you? But, um, yeah, there's some great... Uh, I'm glad you chose the uh, Tri-Logo for FX7. I think that's his best yes best card. Nice choice there. But um, I was trying to check what you got the R5 on. Oh, you got it on a Star Wars card, which will be yeah. happy. That's with the coin offer. Yeah, because uh, well, I've got I love the card back, but the the coin offer was a bit of a story in itself, wasn't it, uh, Alastair? Because um, there was a bit of debate about that. Um, although it's not the only Star Wars card that I've seen with the coin offer sticker on. Um, but I mean, I'll let you describe it, Alastair. Uh, your coin offer sticker. Yeah, no. Oh, it's so it's um, yeah, it's a R five on Star Wars card. And it's the thing with it is obviously it's a Star Wars card and whatever what is it? It's twenty back, and it came with a very neatly attached or applied sticker offer, and the sticker is actually over over the priced sticker that's just underneath it. You still see it or see the price, um, and it's just a debate of the card and the bubble is amazing condition but then it's got this sticker offer and you think when the sticker offers were applied um as all that that era how that card could have almost survived that period of time in that condition for then someone to stick a sticker on it um i didn't know whether it was sort of post applied but then as i put out to the groups i put it onto stars forum uk and there was a discussion about it and why anyone would want to stick a stick on a, a almost pristine twenty back? You know, it makes no sense. Um, but there is, like I said, there's there is one more. Um, there's a there's a gonk droid, yeah, which is it's almost identical marking, as in it's placed in an identical position. And which is, is there not a hammerhead, Rich? I think there is a hammerhead, yeah. yeah. But I've seen one where it's slapped over the character's face. <laughs> and and that's that's what I would expect. I would yeah, expect somebody you look at them to all. whack something on there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, you look at them all and they do tend to be yeah, hat dash stacked on wherever, uh, front, back, and never as neat as this. But um this R five and the gonk droid that exists, it's got it very neatly in top left hand corner. So but like I mean people, could, ultimate, people no one... could put it on neatly though, you know. Someone yeah. You've gone into work in the morning, you're feeling pretty good. Oh, you know, I'm going to have a good day. Start doing them there. And by the afternoon, you're just slapping them anywhere. <laughs> there's, lo- there's loads of reasons why it could be on there. And I'm, I'm, 
they, these were shop put on, weren't they, the stickers? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so there's every reason, you know, someone's got Star Wars cards knocking about. We, we see boxes of carded figures coming out of the woodwork 20 years later. There's no reason why these couldn't have been in someone's warehouse and they're slapping these offers on early cards. No, I agree, sir. I don't, I don't think any reason why you'd want to put it on there, you know, post. I mean, those, those coin offers you know, on the real go for a fair bit of money now. So for for monetary value, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, yeah, unless you're a focus collector, like Rich, maybe <laughs> you wouldn't. Yeah, this this doesn't make any sort of any extra appeal because it's actually sort of taking up half the Star Wars logo itself at the top screen, at the top of the card. Yeah. You need that, Rich. I don't. No, I don't. I, I think what he <laughs> what he said there is exactly right. Um, it, it takes up too much of the card, and I'm not I'm not a huge fan of stickers being applied like that. I've got a, oh, I think it's at a commander where the I've got one of those coin stickers, and it's slapped right across the whole image on the card. You know, and you, you can't see anything but Empire Strikes Back, and then this big free coin offer sticker. And the amount of times I've looked and thought, I want to sell this because I just don't like it. I moved on a um, Bosk Minimum card for the same reason. It was a round stick. I can't remember what it was advertising. But they'd put it directly over Bosk's head. So you had the outfit with this sticker like his head. It was, um, it used to drive me nuts looking at it. But um, yeah. Yeah. I can see why. Uh, do it. What was the last um, Minimum card you picked up um, to complete that run? Cool. It was a Luke Bespin. So it's a Kenner Luke Bespin. And I got that from actually from a from a sort of friend dealer that I was sort of dealing with. I got my first figure off by pure luck. He sold me my first card of figure when I was a teenager, and he's still doing bits and pieces now. And he had one cut for sound because we knew he did me a mate's rate, and that was the last one that arrived to go into the collection. Nice. And just looking through these pictures. Um... Have you got all the ships and play sets as well? Uh, I think so. I can't think of anything. <laughs> if not, I'm probably sort of... Other than Ewoks, you know, if you're going down the lines of the cartoon Ewoks, I've got an A-Wing and the droids, smaller vehicles. Nice. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I haven't, got, I haven't got a box for my sand crawler. But other than that, I think I've got most things boxed. Um, yeah. So yeah, it takes up a lot of room, just when you've got things like Atats and Falcons. Yeah, small, aren't they? You, you've got <laughs> some, um, you've got some nice diecast uh, vehicles, and I've seen your tie bomber before. Mm. But you've got yeah. to, a one that's silver. So what's the story behind that one? Again, this was just a yeah, board one night, and I started trawling through eBay things that were on there, and this came up, and again, it's from Japan. And it looked, for all intents and purposes, like someone had just disassembled a TIE bomber. Or I'd never made it to, you know, to the assembly line. And I thought, okay, that looks interesting. And you didn't want to, you didn't want to ask that money for it, you know, sort of comparable to a, an MPC kit. So bought it, arrived. And the more I compared this to my TIE bomber, the one I had, I'm lucky enough to have. And it's, it's almost, it's a direct cast from it. Um, and I mean, if you were to assemble it with the right paint, you wouldn't tell the difference. Um, they're that close. I mean, in the mouldings, if they have been recast, um, the mouldings have been 
exceedingly well done. But they were in just a normal like brown box with a someone of photocopied the Thai bomber um, box art and then stuck it to this, the surface of this brown box, put a model kit or advertises a model kit inside. But it's I say it's a one for one for the Thai bomber. Um, so where it's where its origins, I don't honestly know. There was a company in America in Nashville, I think it was, they were selling these. Um, or a very similar version of it um, in the late 90s. Um, so a few of those have turned up, but never out of Japan. And I was, you know, you always wonder whether it's come out well. Their factories it's been sort of leftover stock. I don't, don't think you'll ever really know. It's a nice colour, you know. It's yeah. it's, it's more accurate. <laughs> well, that's that's it's because it's the die cast body that just hasn't been painted. It's the it's the raw metal. I'm just just sitting there, just flicking through your your collection here. So good. I love the Adam Joseph banks in the red boxes. Yeah. Um, the game guard in the front. Now, that was Erwin Toys, wasn't it? But the same kind of box design. Sorry, the the, the, game, the Adam the Joseph Erwin. boxes wasn't the game yeah, guard yeah, only yeah. available in Canada uh, and Australia. I think Australia I think as well. Couple, yeah, 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 a couple of turn, right, yeah. yeah, a couple of turned up in Australia. Um, but it's yeah, I think general understanding is it wasn't released in the, in the in states. The states. Yeah. Yeah, I believe uh, Merwin Toys put them out in in Canada, but they're a great. Um, they look great as well. The game yeah. card's quite difficult to come across, isn't it? In a yeah. nice box. Um, yeah. Someone in the states, he was um, selling his friend's collection off, and he had. I only had the Vader, and he had the other three um, available. Uh, so, after again, it's one of these things you sort of talk to people. You be fair, you be honest with them. So, explain the gambling guard was more. Or rarer, but it's very hard to put a value when you come to buying these things because not many of them sell. No, they're not overly. I picked up a couple from a, a vector sale, and um, I, I think I only paid like 10 15 quid for it. Them yeah. each, yeah, it was a yeah, yeah. I think I probably paid about double that for the Gamarine Guard loose, but I think that was I haven't seen another one since, and it looks really cool with the other three box behind it, yeah, definitely. Nice selection of Dixie cups there, Rich. I know you're a uh, Bit obsessed with Dixie's. <laughs> Have you got the two impossible to get between the Jedi Cups? <laughs> no. no. You're, you're missing them as well? Yes. Well, this is it. I've got some sealed Return of the Jedi Dixie Cup boxes, you know, the, the store display boxes. So mm. now it's like, are they in there? <laughs> Will I ever know? Will I ever open and find out? <laughs> and I'm, I'm just flicking through the photos at the moment. The, the pencils with the pencil toppers, um, I can't see the stand. Are they in some kind of special stand that was, yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a workshop one night with my dad when i was really young those, we found those pencils at the car boot um i must have been about eight or nine and someone just had a box full of those pencils um and they're selling them off or whatever a couple of p five p each so he found the pencil toppers and just drilled a hole just in a piece of wood and uh, oh, so that's all there. homemade they display yeah. beautifully like that don't they so did the same with my toothbrushes as well uh, the old toothbrushes drilled a hole in a piece of wood and stuck them in there. Yeah, and I love I love this post. Now you've you posted, um, you wrote a little thing with it. Before the days of online resources, I made this to help me work out what went with who. And you've got all the weapons attached to a, a bit of paper with some writing next to each one with what figures they went with, all framed up. Yeah. That is amazing. Have you still got that? I still got that, and I refuse to touch it. I think. I don't know, you might get mixed reviews if you did that now, if you siliconed all those weapons to a piece of paper. But I don't know, at the time, like you say, 
you didn't I didn't have that big resource that you've got now or people to speak to so uh, a friend of mine uh, is now anyway a friend he used to sell Star Wars and he had a, just a list just a black and white list is what you see typed up um, of everything that was available so I got him to print me one of those and I cut those out and then slowly added the different weapons and the different kind of weapons to that list so I knew what I was looking for um, and it just stayed there and it's stayed there for well over 20 years now you've just answered the question i was going to ask because when i see lists like this i normally go straight to the luke skywalker and the stormtrooper disguise to see what color weapon um you've you've put down next to that <laughs> but it, but it's empty so i thought oh well i wonder if it fell on the bottom but it's not yeah. on the bottom either i've so, got a stormtrooper helmet on the bottom um but yeah that didn't last uh but yeah on the list it just had all the different characters that came with a stormtrooper blaster whether it be and then I've got in there, I've got a light blue, a dark blue, and a black at the top left. But, but moving it on again, another great piece, a UK department store display, which yeah. says here you bought at an auction house of shop furnishings in the 90s. Can you just describe what that is uh, for people listening? Because that is brilliant. Yeah, well, it wasn't until well, earlier this year, I suppose. It's again, just maybe just lack of research on my part. But I was happy that it was a, a, Look at it several times, and I thought maybe it might have been homemade. What you've got is a, I don't know, supposed to be a three foot or two and a half foot deep, and then yeah, about the same, two and a half, three foot wide. Um, just an MDF built box with a purpose built uh, acrylic semi bent or half bent front. And then it's got this molded base like you'd have with a railway almost, and then hand painted with a bit of um, moss and sort of railway additions, it almost looks like. Um, some printed card with the Return of the Jedi actually printed on the back that forms the surround. And then all the characters, well, a lot of the characters that came out for Return of the Jedi and 60, sort of 65 back here, I guess. Um, there's also a scout walker in there and a, oh, I say a forest ranger, Ewok glider. Um, and yeah, and they're, they're all, all the figures are in position. There must be 30, 30 plus figures in there. And, uh, yeah, we just brought back again. I've got to thank my dad at the time he went to an auction to look for something for the, for the house and he found this piece and it was, it was advertised on the auction listings as a you know, shop display, Star Wars. Uh, he got it, he brought it home. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, so it's taken sort of centre stage from my styles collection ever since. And then I put it up on the forums this this year just to sort of share it. And some people came back and sort of said, yeah, I've got one of those as well. Uh, Transpires, they only made them in the UK for UK department stores. And you don't know what department store it was? No, well, someone said that they, they got theirs from with the paperwork from Hamleys. Uh, but that was for the Empire one. So there's an Empire, Return of the Jedi, Power of the Force one. And there's apparently there was a Star Wars one created, which was a lot lot more simple with a base. Uh, I think one little platform and then uh, a Death Star. Actually, a full-size Palatoy Death Star was in there. Amazing. I love it. Absolutely love it. Brilliant, brilliant pieces. Um, yeah, your collection's just... It's just stunning, mate. You have oh, so you. many great pieces and so many talking points. Um, people who you, you need to go and check out his uh, showcase on on the forum because 
there's so many photos on there you've got so much different stuff and um from bubble baths and soaps to, to stationery to 12 inch to toothbrushes to cup it you you've 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 made a big dig it's a kind of a collection that i think we all um kind of aspire to have uh, I'm not, I'm really lucky. I said I started when I was young, and I've managed to keep hold of it. I, think, you know, I speak to guys, and because of the way people's sort of lives progress, if either had to move their collection on, either younger stage or later, I've just managed to hold on to everything as I've gone on. And uh, yeah, that's what's kept me sort of. It's my happy place. Sure, I come back here and just sit here and just look at things for a few hours. And the world's world's back in order again. That's it. You've, yeah. you've got quite a few modern pieces dotted around. So what? What's your focus on modern? Um, Weequay. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't believe Weequay is the most expensive card on a Power of the Force, yeah. whichever <laughs> one it is. <laughs> so, Weequay skateboard. So can I, you? I, yeah. yeah, it was one of the like, one of the show exclusives. Um, but yeah, so now, I've, Rich, I've pretty, I've done the same, unfortunately. So I've what most of yours you see on those photos I put on the forum is my vintage room. And I've got two more rooms, one for sort of 95 onwards and then one for modern stuff. And there's a few crossovers like the Sigmas in my 95 room because it's the only place I could put that cabinet. And it's a constant battle to find what, what to collect, what not to collect. So, yeah, vintage, modern, prequel, sequel, it's all here somewhere in some, some disguise. You need three rooms, Rich, one for each uh, era. Yeah, I do, don't I? Because well, you've got picked... rid of one of the kids, so when the other one goes. <laughs> Just start putting your toys in his room, you might take the hint. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, right, well, I tell you what, that's, it's gone very, very quickly. Um, let's start to wrap it up because uh, just, just just flowing with um, things. Do you, what about um, do things like prototypes and pre-production or anything like that interest you because i know a lot of people just like the production stuff yeah they don't have that thing but does it do anything for you that kind of area oh, it's, it's an interest sure it's because it's part <laughs> of the toys no it's an interest i haven't dabbled in it mainly because of the, the price brackets so so much higher and you sort of think well for that one piece it's just going to sit on a shelf uh, for me personally it's going to sit on a shelf i could buy another hundred other pieces maybe um, especially when you look at beyond the toy stuff. Yeah, no, it doesn't doesn't float my boat really. Not as a collecting point of view. I like the yeah, understand it. Um, in that podcast you're doing with the proto modes, and stuff, I like understanding where the figures came from. But as a collecting point, it's not for me. That being said, and I do have to take a bit of humble pie there. I've just splashed out on a weekly uh, film cell from um, Kim Simmons. But it wasn't a bank breaker, so it just looks cool. And um, I've got to say thank you to Christian over at GW who sent me over the case, and I've put it in a case with a full-size print of the sill, and it looks really cool with my weak way focus. But as a, you know, as a whole, it's, it's just a bit out of my price range, and I just don't think I get the enjoyment from it as much as the actual toys and the other stuff. Is that a similar sort of opinion towards things like cast and crew items as well, or props and stuff? Again, they're really cool. <laughs> I like the idea that they've got a bit of history and they've got this, this sort of that connection to the films. But a lot of it, it comes to, yeah, like, especially when you start looking at cast and crew or up to props, the price range is just out of my budget. 
yeah um i've got a, a decent sized collection but it's been built up over years and to go and splash out uh, effectively a large or probably a month's pay or one piece i don't think i'll get the enjoyment from it but that being said i see them i see some of the pieces especially when you've got direct cast links to them it's very tempting <laughs> it's very tempting but um not not so far no no don't blame it um that's a slippery slope as well I think. yeah so. <laughs> slippery slope to divorce when i'm not even married yet <laughs> um so what are you actually are you, are you actively seeking anything at the moment what can people look out for you for yes yeah, so I'm, I'm really after a um a sigma display stand uh they produced this really nice black display stand for sigma with a vader head and it was actually a vader the same casting for the carry case that they did so that's a really nice piece um i, I think i need that to finish my sigma runoff truly yes yeah, so i'm looking for not at the moment no I, I like just perusing the likes of the focus groups or the you know sort of the beyond the toys and yeah I've the guys yeah, yeah yeah the guys from toys of tattooing that you had on the other day just looking through some of their pages and just seeing some just some nice things that i can slot into the collection somewhere yeah. but do you, what about the um, convention scene? Do you do you get to many? Have you been to Farthest Roms and Echoes um, and things? Yeah, I've been to a couple of Echoes um, and went to the London convention. Um, this year's going to be, well, second half of this year's going to be quiet. I'm getting married in October, so i going to sort of pace myself where I need to be. But um, no, I do try to get to them and... To be honest, that's what I've got another joy from this collection and collecting is just meeting the people actually that aren't just on a screen or in a forum. You actually speak to people, talk to people, have a beer with them, pass stories, help each other out. And it's, it's another sort of facet to the collecting, which I really enjoy. So I do, yeah, I try to get to a few now and then. I've been down to Father's From a couple of times. Um, but yeah. I do, I do, I do enjoy them, and I hope they'll get back to a few more next year. See, Dave, another one that likes Farthest from. Come on, yeah, just putting that out there. To him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just needs to be keep being told that we appreciate it. Peer pressure. Uh, yeah. Um, final question: I ask all the uh, all my interview guests. The Earth's dying. We're being shipped to another planet. There's not a lot of room on the old shuttle. Monetary value isn't going to matter. One diddly squat. And you can only take one piece of your collection with you. What piece are you grabbing to take? Well, I'm going to be really. I'm going to be that person who brings the oversized size case, and I'm going to. Uh, I'm oh, going to drag my '77 Atari arcade machine. Oh, fair, fair enough. Uh, yeah, but that'll keep you entertained on the long space journey. No, again, you've it was got a, you've got the arcade machine. Yeah, the stand-up one. Um, Brilliant. Okay, Fully, okay, is again, it, does it work? Yes, my one works, and yeah, it's but it's had to have the tubes changed. So hopefully it will just last a bit longer because I'm not sure how how often I can find parts for it if it won't get down again. Well, see, that's that's exactly right. When we say to interviews, there's so much more in your collections. Um, <laughs> not even tapped on the fact that you've got an arcade machine. How cool is that? And we'll let you on the shuttle <laughs> with that. You make a bit of a killing out there if money does come back in. You can um, <laughs> put the coin back in it and let everyone have a play. <laughs> That's a great item to be taking. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Alistair, thank you so, so much for um, taking your time to chat to us, for sharing your images online. They're brilliant to look at. Thank you for uh, doing me a great deal on my music box. You have no, no idea how much I love that thing. 
Um, and just just thank you for coming on tonight. We really do appreciate it. Oh, pleasure on my show. I really appreciate it. And yeah, the stuff you guys do and listening to your podcast always inspires me. I'm always willing to look at stuff or re re sort of focus and things and think, oh, I didn't really know that about that item I've had stashed in my collection. So no, see you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything you do. It really does effort for the community. I start a new focus every month as well. <laughs> we talk about something. Like, oh yeah, I might get some of that. Like, yeah, that's being weak, I suppose. But um, I'm sure you um, fell in love with the Imperial Dignitary several months back, the greatest figure in the collection. Yeah, I must have missed that bit too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rich, any anything to say before we go? No, I, I just think what I like about your collection is that you can do what so many of us can't do, and is showed off in the way that is probably the way it's meant to be shown, so people can actually see it and like, walk around and look at it. Um, whereas mine, I'm a lot more cramped and I don't have things in boxes, but they're very tight together. At least you can spread yours out and you've got, you know, things on different walls. So I visited Mark Hockley's collection and Jez's collection in the last two weeks. And they've also um, done a lot on their display cases and, um, you know, with, with lighting and things. And it, it's really made me think now about perhaps stop and collecting for a little while to actually get the display of it sorted out because it's it's really important i think that you can get the display nice to show off your collection yeah you're right rich it's a, it's an ongoing battle uh, as always if you're going to be collecting and definitely i can say this last year year and a half when i started posting some of those pictures is when i refocused on actually getting things out and display properly and it's so much nicer to come into these rooms and actually sit down and look at things be able to walk around rather than have stuff in boxes which they were for years um so yeah no, i know what you mean well alistair thank you so much again mate um really do appreciate it and uh, i look forward to seeing your uh, add-ons to that <laughs> as it grows <laughs> yeah, see. yeah. Cheers. Yep. cheers alistair and if we were being shipped off to another planet i would let Stu and Pete stay here and you can take another two items if you want <laughs> as long as there is a sufficient quality like your uh, arcade machine that sounds like a perfect deal Rich I'll hold you there you have to sit next to Rich so that's the only thing Well, the second of License to Thrill. Please don't bet that you'll ever escape me Once I get my sights on you I got a license to cheat Now, we're always thinking, okay, what, what, what am I going to talk about this? You know, there's thousands of licensees. Let's choose something. And seeing as Stuart always copies me in when someone's trying to sell Decker items, I thought we'd do Decker because it's absolutely amazing. Well, it's not that amazing, but it's pretty good. Right. Decker Plastics Incorporated of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, if you have a Decker item, you will see that inscripted on the bottom of everything you buy from Decker or you get from Decker. If you're lucky enough, you normally got a sticker on there as well. There's not a lot of information about the history of Decker. There's no website about it. Um, I found a few people talking about working there. Um, so the company seemed to have existed in that place or all of its existence. And it seemed to go from around about the 1960s 
to it probably up until about 1990. I can't find anything with 1990 printed on it, and there's a lot of Decca out there. The earliest thing was 1969. What did Decca do? They made plastic cups, bowls, decanters. They went a bit crazy with some of the Star Wars stuff at the end, um, but it was pretty much the same kind of stuff throughout the ranges they did. I found a few bits and pieces which they had, um, like cups with feet on, and other effects like ears and sort of heads that flapped. Uh, but not, they didn't do a great, <laughs> interesting range of stuff. Maybe they they were quite happy with what they did. It was easy to produce. So those bowls and cups, they were they were made of a substance called melamine. Melamine was, a, was kind of a hard plastic, invented in 1834, but not really used until the 1930s when all this stuff started to get produced. What is melamine? It's a type of plastic, durable and virtually unbreakable. I'm not completely convinced it's unbreakable because I have a Empire Strikes Back cup with some big gouges out of it, so someone you can heat it up and destroy it. So it's an organic-based, nitrogen-rich compound, and it's great for using these products because suppose it doesn't break, you, ha- you if you drop it, it will not break. If you bite it, it won't break. Um, it's supposed to look and feel like a fine porcelain and ceramic. Um, it's also very good for food, and you can use it in conventional oven and microwave use. But... Um, don't put, I'm not sure whether modern microwaves would, would agree with that, but obviously the integrity of modern material, modern melamine materials is slightly better than it was back in the 60s and the 70s. And of course, it's perfect for indoor and outdoor entertaining. So if you had a kid's party, this was fantastic because you could, you know, have these out for kids. They could throw them around, they could drop them, and you could use them again and again and again. If you look at the Star Wars ranges and other ranges of licensees, these things are really, really colourful and entertaining. And that's because you could actually get them printed. So you could put designs in there and print them. There is a kind of a, I would say, a flow of design throughout the entirety of everything I've seen from Decca. It's a white base, and then there's a printed image on it, and that's it. So like I said, there was very rarely did they make something that was slightly different. Let's talk about the process for printing on Melamine, because it's, it, it is quite relevant to why, why we see the same kind of design on there. And the fact that uh, we hear people saying, oh, it's stickers and stuff. It's not stickers. So uh, surface preparation. Start of the process. Um, obviously, you want to get the printed images and the designs onto the plates and the uh, the, uh, the other crockery. So they start off by taking a, a pressed, uh, cured and polished plate, um, which is called a blank. And that would then be coated with a thin layer of a cool uncured liquid melamine and uh, that would then be ready for the next stage which is the image transfer i found this fascinating actually so the image transfer would be a very very thin film and it would have the image of the design would actually be on that film and it would be laid down over the melamine plate but as it's still wet it would obviously be a bigger size because it got allowed for shrinkage uh, and, and placement during the curing process and then when that's done and once it's cured a second thin coat of cool liquid melamine is then painted or sprayed over the top of the image and the plate was completely cured inside the plate. And I, 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 I never knew it was done like that at all. You, you couldn't possibly peel anything off this because there's a layer over the top. I mean, I've seen people say, oh, yeah, this, this is a Decca item and, and the label's coming off. I thought, OK, that's strange. So I had a look at my, my stuff. I thought, OK, it's, it's not coming off anywhere. You know, it's not chips, not damaged, not anything. So that, that can't be right. That's why I started looking into the whole melamine thing. I thought that, that is relevant to, it's not a stick. It's actually in, almost like, it's not embedded in it, but it is, it's part of the production process. It's actually there. It's not stuck on afterwards. So mm-hmm. that's why these things are lasting. You know, the, the images are still there. 
so, so it's almost like a lacquer put over the top of it to prevent it coming away. Yeah, very, yeah. very thin film, yeah. Fascinating. The curing, which is the sort of third and final uh, stage of the process uh, for the Mamar plates, is um, the plate moves on into an oven where it cures at a temperature uh, between two and 300 degrees and uh, under heat, the liquid malamine bonds with the previously hardened plate and encases the image or design between the two new hardened layers of malamine. But they did have the Star Wars license from 1978 to 1985, and they covered Star Wars Empire Jedi, and they went a little bit Ewoky at the end. According to the Tomark Guide, which is one of the only sources that actually talked about this in any, any depth, they did actually sell products in the United States, Canada, Korea, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Taiwan, England, Ireland, France, Venezuela, and Australia, but I cannot find anything, and I don't believe they did anything other than just sell those products as they were. Um, there really isn't any packaging. There's the only packaging we can find is the um, stickers. Well, actually, still, I do actually have a bowl with a sticker still on it, so obviously it wasn't used. No boxes. There were some displays, which we'll come to. So it was a very easy range to sell because you know you didn't need a package because it weren't going to break. <laughs> if you threw it on the floor, it's not going to break. So that just goes to show how confident they were their product. It'd be fascinating to know if anyone ever saw this in another country, but uh, I certainly can't remember seeing this in England. No, from me, mate. I just you know it's one of those products that i never ever remember seeing anywhere in a shop and it's only really since i got back into collecting that it, it actually sort of popped up on my radar and the only thing that i think i find even relatively interesting is the um the jug the pitcher jug for empire strikes back which i think is a really yeah. cool looking thing um it, i mean if I, I did collect that kind of stuff outside of the UK. I, I, I definitely want to hunt one of those things down because it, it is a really cool looking thing. You'll see that um, that design feature on lots of other licensees, which they did have a lot of. So, guys, if you want to just chip in here. Now, um, as I was looking around, things that just came up, I saw Smurf, Star Trek, Pac-Man, Richard's favourite uh, franchisee, Lady Lovelocks and, and the Pixie Tales, which I know he does collect quite heavily. But uh, just shout things out, you, the, the other ones you've seen. Thundercats, there were sort of generic um, clowns and Halloween creatures, and uh, they did some uh, animals. There was something called Hip the Hippo and Duke the Dog. <laughs> Gobot, so cool. Spider-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, E.T., Garfield, you name it. I think they had a pen in just about every licensee that was going. Disney, Star Trek, Marvel characters, they had this sort of a time with Disney for the parks. So I found a lot of sort of Disney park characters advertising it. You know, I'd love to find out if I, I mean, I was trying to find a website of like a Decca collector, but it seemed more like people were plate collectors or something and they featured in those. So if anyone knows of a Decca collecting website, I'd love to find out. But it, it's, it went on forever. So kept finding another Care Bears, which again is uh, Stuart's favourite, along with Strawberry Shortcake. And Jukes of Hazard, that was another one I found, which, which is like, okay, nowadays you won't even be able to do that because of the, the flag. The lineups, I said, Star Wars, Empress Strikes Back, Return of Jedi, and some Ewok stuff. Now, I'm trying not to list all this stuff out. They did various size soup bowl and, and bowls, a large cereal bowl. There were tumblers, pitchers, um, mugs, and also the my favourite, which I keep missing out on auctions, compartment plates. And that is where I kind of want to sort of start, really, on the design of stuff. If you look, look at the, the range of the characters, so we've got Luke Dar, C-3PO, R2, Leah, Stormtrooper, Jawa, Tuscan Raider, and Chewbacca. This came up the last month's Art of Clark's Shoes. There's someone missing from that range. Can you see who it is? 
missing Han again, isn't it? Han again. So we've gone, we've gone with some, we've gone with Tuscan Raider. This Tuscan Raider was, you know, we're seeing he's featuring all the time and he's knocked out poor little Han Solo. There was no, I mean, where's Han Solo? No, we'll have a Tuscan Raider. Does anyone want to give me a theory on that of why we've gone Tuscan Raider and not Han Solo, who was one of the major characters? Is it something about Han Solo that we have forgotten that wasn't particularly popular at the time? Was he too much of a rogue? Surely this could be something like image rights, isn't it? He did not appear on stuff. You know, surely if they got the license, they got license to, you know, they're, they're not negotiating. I wonder if it's because you've got Luke and Leia on there. I mean, they are definitely the two lead characters of the movie. Uh, but beyond that, certainly for the first Star Wars movie, and to some extent the others as well, a lot of the licensees chose to go with the aliens and the robots and the masked characters. Now, whether they yeah. were just more saleable than the humans, I don't know. But I think probably something like a Tusken Raider or a Jawa is possibly just that little bit more appealing to your average seven or eight-year-old kid than maybe uh, other human characters. Again, for the Star Wars movie, Ben Kenobi, really main character, and he's not on there either. So I wonder whether it's simply a choice to focus more on the non-human characters. Yeah, because Luke and, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think Luke and Leia are kind of kid-friendly, aren't they? They're, you know, they're young, they're groovy cats, and uh, whereas Han Solo was a bit of a rogue, you know, he was like the older brother, the the kind of like dodgy uncle, whatever, <laughs> driving around his shit with his dog. You know, it's it wasn't kid-friendly, but then again, you know, Darth Vader is going around strangling people to death. And he's on there. I would agree to the extent that the robots and, and mass characters are more interesting. But then, you know, if, you, if you're going down the kid route, you wouldn't even have him on there, would you? Oh, Tesco Raiders are pretty scary as well, really, weren't they? You know, Jowers are kind of goofy. Chew is lovely. And then you've got this this murdering, murdering get, Darth Vader. I, I wonder if that's something to do with the images that are available. I mean, if you look at Chewie, that, that's quite a poor composition. It doesn't look quite, it looks more like Bigfoot. And I wonder if they didn't have a suitable image of Han that wouldn't work with the rest of the images. Because a lot of them are fun shots. You know, a lot of them are fun, almost as if they're posing for a passport photo. Um, the two exceptions are probably Vader and Luke, and both of those had to be on the blade. The overall design, it's quite consistent. Yeah, that big red logo. Big light blue kind of star field behind those characters and those characters are in their poses so they were really really ultra consistent with the whole design throughout that range yeah i, I would love to find out somewhere how they made made these decisions to, to put whichever characters on you'll see in that picture that's a label that was that was stuck on the bottom of the of the dish and that's that's the only packaging you'll, you'll get you have stickers attached um, including a super bowl super bowl ha 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 sticker which states and the usage from soup to nuts. The tumbler sticker just a tumbler and a bowl as bowl muggers mug and all that sort of stuff. And they're all shiny kind of goldish kind of stickers. And they recommended it was dishwasher safe on the upper rack, which I'm not sure the dishwasher I have will probably destroy it these days. It seems to, to bake everything. So um, let's just move into Empire because again I don't want to don't focus too much on you know every single tiny item because we'd be here forever. But uh, on the Empire Strikes Back range, they changed up a little bit. Um, we got, again, we got a range of bowls. We also got four 10-ounce mugs, and they started to group the characters together. So we had a Chewy Droids, Luke Learhan mug, Vader Fett mug, and a Yoda mug. And on our compartment plates, which, again, is kind of like a, a central point to all the designs that, that, that went from here, we this time went for Darth Droids, a very smiley Leia was not from the film, it seems. That's just a, one of a, like a promotional shot. Luke, Chewie, and now they're joined by Han. 
hands down in his Hoff outfit, uh, Fett and Yoda. But again, we're missing out on all sorts of possibilities. Um, no Lando and uh, and all sorts of things, you know, no ships or anything, no Wumpers. Again, any any thoughts about the, the selection there? We do have a hand. Any reason why we've suddenly got a hand? Was he Did he prove more popular than they thought, maybe? Maybe he was a bit more child-friendly, or maybe it was his love relationship with... Uh, with Leah than anything on. What about that very smiley Leah shot? I wonder if Decker went into partnership with Parker, and that's why they put Han on there. <laughs> the middle messages. There's a bit more. I'm trying to work out uh, the background. It looks like it's... I'll just look at my plates. I've got here. Am I right in saying it's a bit of Hoth going on there? Yeah, it's on the Wampa Cave. Wampa Cave, isn't it? And I'll yeah. see, is it Bespin? It's hard to tell. It looks like it's a bit of both. There's clearly space next to Luke to have another two images. I've got the, the bowl in front of me. And there is there's a huge space there on both sides. Now, on my bowl, I'm not sure you can see in that image, but you've actually got the trademark information, so maybe they had to have it there. <clears throat> and because of that, they had to leave some space. I don't know. But, yeah, it is slightly odd where they've got, got a bit of a gap and just didn't throw some more figures in there. Same design went throughout the entire range. Well, now we come to Return of the Jedi. Now, this is where it starts to change a little bit, and we'll come to an even bigger change in a minute. Okay, what's what's different now? What's different? So I'm showing the guys a compartment plate. So what is what is changed with the style of the uh, of of the whole range for Return of the Jedi? It's artistic images, isn't it? It's not it's not um, images from movie posters or stills or anything like that. I want to be, I don't want to be too harsh on the range, but it starts to kind of lose it a little bit. Now, we've still got uh, things like soup bowl, cereal bowl. We're getting into tumblers. Uh, we've got our pitcher again. And we've got a few things that don't appear on the plate. So um, on some of the bowls and stuff, you've got a Max Rebo scene. You've got a Jabber and Slacious Crumb scene. You're getting different scenes. It's kind of like the early part of Return of Jedi, but they're actually putting in there... Um, you know, like, like the other ranges where it was the same figures used throughout all the mugs on the side of the mugs. You are actually getting different scenes. They're just going, right, turn to the scene, that sounds good. Stick it on the side of a, a bowl. Um, there's all sorts of things that are not quite the same. You're getting very Dixie Cuppy in your imagery here because the Dixie Cups did exactly the same in the Return of the Jedi line. They changed the artwork to be more like this than on the earlier Dixie Cups, which are much more... Had a marvel feel to them. And we'll come to it with the display headers that feature in, in shops and stuff. That what was actually happening with the range, it seemed that they, they start to, to lose control a little bit. And that takes off into kind of the Ewok section where they started packaging things together and there was no there didn't seem to be much consistency. It was like, oh let's just shove those things in together. When you actually have Return of Jedi and Ewok things put together, it didn't really make a great deal of sense. But on those on the on the, on the Return of Jedi stuff <clears throat> the Return of the Jedi logo is on the top on some things, uh, it's on the bottom of others. You know, they, they really are, there is no consistency whatsoever. Uh, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was it was the start of the end of, of Decker, because I said they, they did end in the late 80s, maybe early 90s. Um, so maybe there was, a, there was a change in management. Something something seemed to happen. Maybe they weren't checking enough stuff. Maybe they were trying to get this stuff out because it was selling and they were just like, shoving it out, getting images on there. Uh, it was a little bit of a shame where things were, were going missing. So that does take me on to the babies and Ewoks. And I think this is one of the most bizarre things I've I've heard of in a Star Wars range. The baby's first feeding set. If you've got a Tomark's guide near you, I, couldn't, I don't think I could find an image online of the baby's first feeding set. But it's got 
Uh, it's a five-piece set. It's a spoon and fork, a return jelly compartment dish, a tumbler and a bowl. I think there was something else in there as well, but I can't find it. what it was. The packaging of the actual item, this is only kind of like the packaging I've seen. It, it wasn't Star Wars packaged. It was Decker branded. There was nothing that's there that said Return of the Jedi or Ewoks or anything. It was just um, cardboard with, with their own stuff on. You know, for a first baby's feeding set, you're looking at things like Lando Skiffguard or um, evil characters. An Empress Royal Guard was on on some of the things. You know, these these are things that <laughs> do little tiny babies care. What they they're looking at? Surely it should have just been an Ewok set with just Ewoks everywhere. There were Ewok items in there, but there's also Return of Jedi stuff in there as well. Um, a little bit of same with the Wicked Ewok three pieces child set. Tell me why why am I saying it's inconsistent? I've looked at this image so many times and I cannot see what it is that year. Twisting about. I I can't. I don't know what you're talking about, mate. <laughs> right. We've got a wicked Ewok plate. We've got an Ewok plate that you're writing on. Then we've got Return the Jedi stuff. So it's just oh well, it's not even a even consistent. It's just like throw it in there. It's got Ewoks on it. Shove it in. It, it's absolutely fine. So it's not. It's just that in a in, again in a Decker box. It's just a three-piece child set. I love my three-piece child set. Kids of all ages. Um, it's just a metal plate and bowl and a mug. Plate and bowl, thermal plastic mug. And there's nothing, there's just nothing there that, that screams at me, you know, Return of Jedi, Star Wars, Wicket, Ewok, it's just all over the place, you know. Today, you wouldn't get away with that. You would have to have it all branded and, you know, have Star Wars on there and Lucasfilm on the box and stuff. But no, it's just shove anything in there. They didn't even bother to make a Wicket, the Ewok mug. They just used the the Return of Jedi one. And you see, you'll see in the image. So, again, this, it's just like, it is a little bit all over the place. Advertising advertising now this is where it comes very very strange now we, we've talked about the the uh, sort of photographic images of star wars empire strikes back and then the kind of drawn images on return of the jedi now if you have a quick it goes the opposite way around for the the star wars decker dump display header which is a really nice image it's a drawn image without any consistency to what was actually produced apart from the red star wars logo anyone want to talk me through <laughs> the, the the composition of that of those images anyway okay so what you've got there then is you've said you've got your red star wars logo very typical very common across a lot of products you've even got the yellow um stripe coming down which is very uh, reminiscent of the the book cover and various other things and this one's got collector's edition on it but the the look the layer or <laughs> let's face it if they weren't on this item with star wars written above it you would struggle to identify Luke and Leah. Uh, Leah, hairstyle, has she got buns? Sort of. Um, she's got a white dress on with a huge necklace around her neck and what's possibly a cape billowing in the background. Luke, you can you can see his utility belt. He's got his, his bindings around his legs. He's got no lightsaber or anything. Uh, Darth Vader, you can tell it's Darth Vader, but it's, I think I could draw better with my right hand than whoever's drew that Darth Vader. Uh, quite a lot going on with the eyes as well, which is a bit weird. Oh, it, it was probably the best for me drawn out of them. You know, whoever's drawn this is possibly better at drawing robots and droids than all of human likenesses. Yeah, I would give that a solid 3 out of 10. I really love it. I think it, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the Clark's shoebox artwork. That Vader specifically looks very much like the... Um, Clark's artwork. I, I love it. I think it's a great display. Something I've never seen before either. So uh, it's a new one on me, and I really, I really like it. Reminds me of is the 
Marvel comic artwork, um, and that in particular, that image of Leia with her cape billowing out behind her. I'm sure in one of the very early Marvel comics, there was a poster of Leia wearing a, a, a billowing cape, very, very similar to that. So uh, I wonder if there's a little bit of inspiration being taken from the Marvel comics line at all. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I'm just intrigued by Leia's pose. She's She looks very regal with a cape billowing for no apparent reason, but she's not in action pose. So why is the cape billowing away? Well, she seems to be sitting down with her hands on each other, looking very like a finishing school pose. It's very, very odd. Yeah, the rest of the image I like, because you've got Darth Vader's eyes, which are sort of sparkling yellow, and both of their hair has this kind of same kind of reflection on it. But it's just Leah's pose. I've never seen it like it. And we've also got those two, Darth, and then R2-D2. Okay, <laughs> no, no Chewbacca or C-3PO to, to balance that out. It's just those four. Very bizarre. Like I said, it was images. This is, again great artwork not in line with the, the range of stuff it was it was advertising let's move on to empire strikes back anyone fancy going through this because darth Vader's reappeared it looks as if it's been drawn by the same guy you've got empire strikes back logo at the top and then you've got the characters on there so you've got luke skywalker you've got yoda you've got uh, 3po and r2 and then you've got the big darth vader head in the background darth vader head looks almost identical to the star wars one so uh, as you say very poor rendering of vader funny glowing eyes or something going on there uh coming back to luke he's uh, i'm not sure what he's doing he's uh, holding a very funny looking blaster rifle isn't he uh got a very strange expression on his face not quite sure what he's planning to do with that uh below him you've got yoda and uh, yoda's seen something that's really amused him he's got a great big grin on his face hasn't he in the middle there you've got c-3po he's been eating the pies i think he's looking a bit chunky and he's got his hand resting on r2d2's dome and once again whoever their artist is he seems to be able to get r2 right because uh, yeah that's not a bad rendering of r2 but uh, very strange artwork there lovely piece of artwork <laughs> <laughs> the only consistency that on that one is the empire logo is in black that does appear throughout the the deca empire strikes back the luke thing really disturbs me because it looks like he's eyeing up yoda and he's going to shoot him i don't know where they got that rifle from oh man that's wicked <laughs> i love it it's so cool <laughs> I love the colours. I mean, obviously, it's been screen printed, so um, it looks like they've got maybe four or five colours to use there. Um, and uh, it's just just brilliant, you know. Um, really sort of captures the era that it was um, it, it was done in. Um, really quite naive in some instances, but uh, I think it's really striking. I love it. It's very striking, but it's that... That, it's that loot with that rifle it's kind of mad yeah where's he had that rifle it's not even a star wars rifle it's, it's a, no. it looks like a i don't know i don't know what kind of <laughs> rifle that is like an air rifle yeah i think we need our american friends to tell us what kind of rifle that is it's, yeah i see nice star wars is it prune faces rifles he nicked it i don't know and that empire strikes back logo i've always loved the, that the one that's on the slant the italic one i've always loved that logo Anything with that logo on looks great. That's why I kind of collect Empire bits and bobs, because I said, you, you see that on the... Now, I'm holding my bowl, my Empire Strikes Back bowl, and because of the amount of colour on it, you know, you've got the figures, but because there's so much colour on it, that black with a red Star Wars on it and the white background, it pops. It really does pop. That's why I like these on display, because yeah, the Empire Strikes Back range for me, it, it, it's brilliant. I love it. It's one of my favourite bits that's on my display, because you can just it just stands out everywhere. So it's, it's fantastic. Right putting my decker down the the third image now this is where this is where it flips over with the actual design of things so we've had two drawn images 
And the third display header is actually a piece from the movie. So we, we flipped it around to not match the rest of it. I think the Jedi one looks fantastic. Again, this is the first time I've seen this. I didn't know this existed. They've just picked the best shot from Jedi, where you've got Vader coming out of the lift in the Death Star and the two Emperor's Royal Guards either side. Really, really powerful shot, that. And uh, the logo at the top. Normally, I'd, I'm not a huge fan of Jedi-branded stuff. I, there's something about the Jedi logo it just kind of... I don't know, it's not as strong as the Star Wars or Empire branding. And that's why I don't collect it. It's, it's a bit colder. I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me as much. But this looks fantastic. It's the thinness of those of the letters of the Return of the Jedi that I don't like. Was it Times New Roman or whatever it is? You know, Empire Strikes Back, big chunky letters. Star Wars, big chunky letters. That's a little bit kind of... Uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't kind of... I mean, that, that, that logo they've used on there, just to describe what it is, it's exactly the same display header again. They didn't really like make something different. They just put a different image on it. Kind of like a, I don't know, it's almost R2-D2 shape almost. It's kind of kind of strange. The logo, they, they've got the one with the Return of Jedi kind of coming out from the background with the red shadowing behind it. It, it's, it really does strike it because the rest of that image is very black um, and all the red on it, you know, the lights, the Emperor's Royal Guards and their own logo itself just sticks out. And they've got for kids of all ages underneath Darth Vader. So you've got a sinister murderer and uh, for kids of all ages, <laughs> nothing else fun. Um, and that, of course, doesn't doesn't relate at all to the Return of Jedi range, which is very drawn, very nicely drawn. But um, that logo doesn't appear like that on any of the Return of Jedi items. So, um, yeah, it's it's a real kind of departure from their overall design, which is very odd. But, yeah, it, as you say, it's a beautiful display piece. You, you would have that on your wall, wouldn't you, any time? Right we kind of come to a bit of an end. I said, it is quite a small range. It's easy to get hold of. Um, all this stuff, um, now I've, I've not seen, I couldn't find the Ewok stuff online to buy. I'd imagine there'd be a little bit of price there, but it's, it's, it is kind of an odd, odd, oddity of a range, but you can find the loose bits of about, it seems to be cups, anything from about 10 to 20 pounds, the, the bowls, similar. Compartment plates usually go about 30 odd. I think you see them on, on the toys quite a lot, don't you, Mark? They, 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 they do tend to pop up now and again. It, it's it, like like we've said, you know, it, graphically, it's actually quite a striking product. Specifically, the Star Wars and Empire ones, I really do like them. But yeah, it's not a particularly rare product. There is quite <laughs> a lot of it out there. <laughs> there is, but I, I guess because it was you know pop, a popular kind of product. Because I mean, like I said, you you do find it mostly used. You do find you know, that it does appear not used. But this stuff must have been stacked hard. I've got a price tag. I've still got a price tag on my plate. One ninety nine was the plate. So you're buying a you're buying a very usable plate uh, for one for a couple of dollars. You know, it's it was cheap stuff. Everyone could use it. It's fun at parties. You know, you could wash it. You know, do all sorts with it. Put all sorts of food in it. So you know, it, it, it was an easy thing, and and you, you could effectively still use it now. There's so much of it. You if you wanted to use it for for a retro party, you still could, and it would, and you could wash it, and it's it's surviving. I said, there's only. Um, my cup's yellow, but my plate and dish and all that is still white as anything. So it has lasted. It has done the test of time. I think it was, well, a licensee with success, I would believe. I mean, goodness knows what happened to Decker in the end. Maybe they lost all their licensees. But uh, if anyone knows, if anyone's been to Elizabeth or lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and has any memories, please let us know. I, I did contact some ex-workers of the company, just kind of like, you know, 
to tell me what it was like. It was probably just an old factory, but uh, I've even gone on LinkedIn and, and asked a few people. But uh, the, the only replies I got was, yeah, I worked there for like a year. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. It was nothing interesting at all. Just that they worked at a company, but there we go. You know, I'm now retired. Leave me alone. A nice little range of stuff. Any any other kind of comments on the whole range of stuff? I think it's a nice area for people to dip their toes into. I think a lot of it's readily available. I'd imagine like most collections, they're the odd piece that you just can't track down. Possibly it is the Ewok uh, line. I, I do like it. I, I, I think it's a really nice little collection. I think if you want to get into Decker stuff, I think it's a reasonably easy... If you want to do Star Wars, Return of Jedi and Empire Strikes Back, you could put that together reasonably cheaply. There's not tons of it. But there's enough to make a nice striking display in any cabinet. Hello, what happened here? Ah, good. New acquisition. Welcome to this month's NA, and we're going to start where we always start over on Star Wars Forum UK. And on page 2379, I want to give a shout-out to Spoons' latest um, latest pickup, Andy Norton, of course. He's got himself a Sears Diecast Landspeeder mailer. Now, I wasn't really aware that these came in, in mailers, but uh, if you ordered them from the catalogue back in the day, you would have got it in a mailer. Uh, one interesting thing was on the box um, over on the archive, I found that uh, it says that the Landspeeder box is incorrectly labelled as a Star War. So the box reads, Star War Diecast Landspeeder. Basically, they came in a plain brown box and uh, they were packaged just with tissue paper and a product catalogue. And he is a huge diecast collector, so a great piece added to his diecast focus. Uh, well done, Andy. With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? So staying on Star Wars Forum UK, over on page 2380, now, we've highlighted this bloke's pickups before. Does he pronounce that Sidow? Yes. I just wanted to give him a shout-out that he has still got a Boba Fett cardigan, which was knitted by his grandmother in 1980. Anyone else absolutely love this? Brilliant. I love it. The graphics, how she's done it. It's got like a – it looks a bit like the you know the Capture Log logo. It looks a bit like that on the back. Presumes the back anyway, and the uh, logo on the front. It looks amazing. It is brilliant, isn't it? You know, we all had. I'm sure all our grandparents, if they were knitters, knitted or something back in the day. I never had a Star Wars jumper, but it is still in amazing condition. It would certainly be part and parcel in my collection now. Did did anyone have any hand knitted Star Wars stuff? I reckon you um, you did, Mark. I reckon you were rocking a Star Wars. Okay. I, I, I didn't actually, but I did have uh, one of the um, ones with the transfers. The, you know, the uh, the Hill, I think it was the Hildebrandt image. I had a T-shirt with that on. I also, my favourite piece of clothing as a child, and I, I remember it quite vividly, was a Bionic Man sort of tracksuit top. Absolutely loved that thing. And I wore it till it fell to bits. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they were a bit like that, weren't they? Actually, Jason Smith's, Mum, I think it is, still knits him a Star Wars Christmas jumper. don't know if you've seen some of them at the Christmas farthest roms. He's often sporting a, a hand-knitted garment. It's uh, it's not a Christmas farthest from unless Jason's got a new Christmas jumper on. Yeah, yeah. actually, I was a bit disappointed. I think it was the year before last. He'd um, got the same one on two years running. Oh, shocking. I think, 
Yeah, I think his mum had fallen out of love with him. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, would you get away with wearing a, a knitted a knitted sweater up north? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I think most knitted sweaters were made by grandmas or nanas, as we would have called them. And because all grandmas are as hard as nails, when you were three, four, five, six, seven years old, you wouldn't have dared criticise anybody else's knitted jumper because you would have got the grandma coming down giving you a, a beating. So it was acceptable up until about the age of seven because everybody wore them because everybody's grandma did that. Seven beyond, no chance. Really feel for you, Rich. You know, it's tough being northern. But um, yeah, it was more just a shout out. Fantastic pickup. It's those kind of items that, that mean so, so much. You came napping? You're braver than I thought. Nice, come on. Also, uh, it's now in the sales archive, but obviously it was on the sales thread. Now, coming over to you here, Mark, because Palatoid Junkie, good friend of the show, John Aves, he was selling a Palatoid 65C Gamorian Guard Toy Tony mint on card. Why is this card still so expensive even after the Toy Tony reveal? Oh, I spoke to John uh, briefly about this, and there's no sort of right or wrong answer here. It's... I, it's, it's a bit difficult to pinpoint, but I guess one of the reasons is it must have been an expensive figure to produce because there's a, an awful lot of plastic involved in making a gamma ring guard. And also it was a popular figure, must have been a popular figure. I remember seeing them on the shelves in, back in the day and just being completely enamoured with them to the point where now bear in mind, I didn't have two of any figure apart from this one. I had two Gamorrean guards that stood on the back of my Jabba the Hutt palace and just, just a really cool army builder figure. One of the things he, he did mention was obviously he had a TT and I think he sold the, the TT example to upgrade to this one, which he found on eBay. The, it was in the US, weirdly, which is a bit strange for, I know Palatoy stuff does tend to, Across the Atlantic every now and again, but he did actually find this in the US and nobody else bid on it. He got it for um bargain price of $150 and he then sold his uh, TT placeholder for $225. So that more than covered his uh, legitimate example, shall we say. But even TTs, even Toy Tonys are, are considered rare because I think there's only was it 30, 31 cards that were on that list that Joyner provided? So, you know, not even Tony had that many cards to start with. So, um, yeah. I think it was you, Rich, that, that highlighted this to me, you know, that we, we needed to talk about it. The, there's some of these TT mocks. They're, they're still not just the Good Morning Guard, but you see it with the Fets and things. They're, they're still holding a pretty penny, aren't they? There's clearly a lot of people that are still happy to have them in their collections. I know Cy has certainly bought a couple of Toy Tonys in the last couple of years and is happy to have them in his collection. Well, yeah, because if, for example, I don't know, say, what have I not got? I've not got a 45E or 5D4. And if if a Toy Tony, and I know there's no R5 Toy Tonys, but if a, a Toy Tony example came up to fit that gap, and the money's not going to Toy Tony, I wasn't buying it out of his cabinet or off his eBay account, I was buying it off somebody who's already had it, then I would have no problem with it. It would be a placeholder, and I, I know what it is. It's a Toy Tony. It's clearly identified by, by Toy Tony, because I may never, ever get some of these rare Palatoy cards. You know, they, they might be the only example that some people are going to see of them. So 
I've got no problem. And there were people buying them. You know, there were people actively looking for Toy Tony examples because of how nice and clean the cards are. Yeah, what about you? On on it, Mark, as well, you're, you, you've obviously have got, um, we've had you on in the past, you've got quite a extensive resale run. Does a Toy Tony bother you in that respect? Because it is original parts. It is really. I, I, don't, I, I don't have any issue in, say, selling... Because uh, when John did actually buy this Gamery and God, he actually approached me and said, is it all right if I sell a Toy Tony on the Palatoy group? And, of course, I, I personally don't have any problem with that. As far as I'm concerned, they are, and I've got to be careful with my words here because I don't want to sound like I'm condoning the actions, but they, they are legitimate elements to a Toy Tony. So as far as, far as I'm concerned, as long as that information is passed on and they are labelled as such, then I don't see any problem. Same with reseals. You know, as long as something is labelled as a reseal then and it's not being passed off as anything else, then I don't see what the problem is. I will just say that I did actually speak to him about sort of other 65-back palatory rarities, uh, which ones are, you know, quite hard to get along with the Gamarine Garden. He, some of the figures that came up were Emperor's Royal Guard is is pretty tough. Biker Scout is tough. Low Grey is, is, is a pretty tough one to find. And a Luke Jedi with the blue saber is also quite tough to find. And Weequay, believe it or not. Whereas common examples like, you know, Jabba's Goons like Reese, Klaatu, Squidad, Big Fortuna, you know, they're, they're pretty common. I'm not afraid. Yeah. You will be. You will be. Moving over onto Facebook, over on the Star Wars 12-back and early vintage group. Now, Rich, you uh, picked something out from a, a Mike Esposito. Yes, Joe. So I saw a bike, a bicycle, in the Star Wars um, early timeline group, the 12-back group. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen a bicycle in the Star Wars line. And I thought, with it being in the 12-back group, I thought, yeah, it must be a Star Wars bike. But after I've done a, a bit of checking up on it, it's not a Star Wars bike. It's actually a Return of the Jedi bike. It's a Huffy bike, okay? So initially I thought, well, I don't think Huffy had the license that early. But on the SWCA, it's noted as a Huffy Return of the Jedi line bike, but it's decked out in the Star Wars livery, which is why it's been posted in that group. So it's a blue children's bike, probably age, I don't know, maybe three to six, somewhere about that age range. It's fantastic. It's got a chain guard cover with a, a wonderful X-Wing design on it. It's got Star Wars on the padding around the main frame. Um, and it's got an image of R2-D2 and C-3PO, which looks as though they're on Endor, with another X-Wing in the background, um, on, a, on a plastic plate. I think it's plastic anyway. That's tied to the handlebars. And I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's one I'd rather have that than one of the Huffy Beater Bike bikes that I've seen. I think this is absolutely wonderful. It's clearly been well used because you can see the way in the tyres and things. But it's an absolutely fantastic condition. It's it's been well looked after, and I just think it's it's delightful. I love the artwork on it, especially the X-wing and the C-3PO on the front. I think it's brilliant. Is that the same bike that Todd Chamberlain had on his stall at Celebration? I didn't notice it, but. He had a bike up high on the left of his stall because everyone kept going to me, oh, you should buy that, Stuart. But 
And I would have been very tempted if it wasn't the fact that I couldn't get it back to England. But Could be right on that one. Could have rode it, Stu. Just rode it back. Yeah. <laughs> the little, little feet going. It is an amazing item, isn't it? Yeah. The saddle looks really uncomfortable. It's really <laughs> hard. You, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you're getting saddle sick. Yeah. I haven't seen anything like that on spokes because the spokes are not metal. They're clearly, they're clearly plastic, aren't they? They were funny shaped spoke. They are. They're really thick. You couldn't get a spokey wokey on them, could you? No, you couldn't. You couldn't. It looks quite, uh, it looks quite modern almost, almost like, like a like a car wheel kind of thing. It's quite nice. But that saddle, yeah, it goes right up there, doesn't it? You almost got a back to it, so it curves up your rear end. Doesn't look as though it's got brakes. I was trying to look and see if I could see any brakes on it. So I wonder if it's one of those bikes where you had to backpedal for it to slow down. <laughs> I think you should put your feet down. Because I mean, if that's for a young kid, a lot of them didn't, did they? Because you normally you just put your feet down because you're not going that fast. Yeah, if that's yeah. like you know, three or four years old, just put, you literally put your, you use your feet. I had bikes when I was a kid who used to use your feet. I think you're right. I can't see any. There's no even brake cabling or anything, is there? Coming, running, they used to run down the crossbar, didn't they? That stuff. If I think about it, the um the the bike my little nephew had before he got his proper bike that you know it was like those sort of training bikes that didn't have brakes so you just because you don't yeah you, know, you weren't going fast so that doesn't look very big because I mean that's that's behind the car seat that's going to be that's not big is it at all is it unless it's a massive car that's a little kid's bike but I looked to see if there was some way that you could put the training wheels stabilizers and unless you took the main nut off at the back there isn't another slot for the stabilizers. So that's why I ruled out it might have been a two, three-year-old bike and thought maybe it was a bit older. But, yeah, I wonder if it's a backpedal brake or something. But I, I love it. Oh, there's another sticker. They actually, if you look on the rear mudguard, there's something red coming up. Yeah. Go, go faster stripe. Yeah, it could be a go for, Oh, and on the front mudguard. The bar that's coming yeah. off the chain guard is very unusual, isn't it, on a bike? Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. very strange... Yeah actual it's kind of like oh that's that box a bit unsafe let's just stick another metal rod there was there any other designs rich or you're not sure it's the only one i could find i see i'm only aware that huffy made that and the the speeder bike that were mentioned and if i had the choice between the two i think i would take that bike i love it was there other bikes because i'm pretty sure there's an ewoks bike isn't there almost certain oh there is an ewoks bike there's an ewoks girls bike Huffy, actually, Rich, yeah, boys' bicycle with bike plate, which is probably this. Mm-hmm. Ewok girls' bicycle sticker sheet. Mm-hmm. Ride on speeder bike pedal car. That's the speeder. Return the Jedi boys' bicycle sticker sheet. Ewoks girls, but yeah, just the two bikes. But hey, yeah, great item. Love it. Would love that, but it's like a bit like the Huffy bike uh, speeder, isn't it? They probably weren't available in this country, so. Wait, I'm going to stone you here, Stu. Go on. Rich, hang on, Rich, hang on, hang on, Rich. Mm-hmm. Rich, just to interject, on that one bike, you've got stabilisers. You've got, you've got uh, some extra training wheels on the back of the bike. Oh, there are, there. Yeah. Okay. They are yes. attached, so it is a little, tiny, little kid's bike. I mean, they're called, the, the, the girls' one is called a first bike, so I'm assuming, that, yeah. So, yeah, it's a first bike. Well, consider me astounded, but I'm just going to blow you away with this, okay? Oh, oh so, I've just put in text chat there if you want to open that image up. So, that there is from the 1979 product concept binder into Star Wars bike accessory. It is absolutely amazing, absolutely brilliant. So it looks like, it basically transforms your bike into a TIE fighter. It's a piece that fits over, so when you've got your handlebars and that either the four bolts that attach the handlebars to the forks, 
where it's a piece that goes over that that looks like a t it looks like a Tie Fighter, and it's got you know sketched on it such as computer target screen. It's got the front view of a Tie Fighter cockpit, and then on the hand grip it says does it say search beam laser search beam and ignition? Laser yeah. Okay, and with with a, a little fancy and it's got it's got lights and sound as well. Search beam from the lighted cockpit, so the light a light comes out of the Tie Fighter's cockpit. Laser is an animated light below the cockpit, and the ignition makes a simulated sound of the TIE Fighter starting up. How brilliant is that? That's yeah. absolutely brilliant. I've never seen that before. I would oh, have killed for that, which yeah, I would literally murdered people. I take it that was just a concept that wasn't made, was it? No, just a concept, but wow. Absolutely brilliant. That, I mean, that's the value in the SWCA. You just don't see anything like that. We, we've got to share that on social media. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and, and whoever's written it up has put there, can't you just imagine Chris G riding around with one of these? Because obviously he was a, he's a BMX fan, isn't he? So, yes, yes, you can imagine Chris G riding around one of these with his training wheels. Over there! Tomorrow! The I see them! Wait, Leia! Moving on over to the Beyond the Toys group, and I'm going to come to you, Andy. Something Ian Ward has picked up an Oral B store display. Yeah, this is something he's bought from Anthony Tripkala. I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, but he's a guy in the US, a very active member on the Beyond the Toys group. And yeah, it's a store display for the Oral B toothbrushes. Now, we've done a little bit of research on these, and there is a website, swspaceclub.com, which gives a lot of information on Star Wars dentistry products. So uh, that tells me a little bit about this. Uh, it's what they call a floor dump. Um, so this would be a freestanding store display where obviously the uh, toothbrush range from Return of the Jedi would have been placed out on sale. In total, the display is about four foot high and it comes in three parts. So the lower part is a base piece. It uh, looks like it's got a, a sort of square base and then it tapers up towards the top. Uh, you've got three images on this base piece, which are uh, Vader, uh, Luke Jedi, and a couple of Ewoks. And standing on top of the base is the middle section, which is a tray. Uh, it's got the Return of the Jedi logo on the front, and inside that, um, all the uh, toothbrushes would have been placed for you to come and purchase. And then at the back of the tray, 
Uh, there's the upper part of the display, which is a header card. That's the main display piece. And the main feature on there is the two droids, R2-D2 and C-3PO. And then an image of the, uh, I think it's six toothbrushes that were available in the line. And uh, the Oral-B logo. So this was a fairly common uh, display uh, back in the day, I understand. And it was a versatile display because Oral-B released additional header cards later in the day. So the one that Ian's got is the first release header card. The second header card featured a free poster offer with an image of Luke and Darth Vader. And then the third header card was for the free Jedi Masters toothbrush, and that had a great image of the Jedi spirits. Uh, so it's a lovely display, nice big piece, and uh, I know Ian's very happy with it. So uh, yeah, um, congratulations to him. I'm not certain, Andy, but I think I saw that exact same st- uh, store display at John Paul's shop. It was definitely an Oral-B store display he had, and it wasn't for sale, but he had it positioned in his shop. But I'm pretty sure it was the same one. Yeah, it's a great piece. It's very distinctive. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you'd recognise it if you saw it. I was bidding on one at Vectus. Do you remember when all those displays came up about three, four years ago? And I just missed out, but um, that was a complete one. Yeah, can you remember when, when when that one first appeared? And Graham said, uh, nobody tell anybody about this Vectus auction, nobody tell anybody I'm, I'm going to get all these. And then everybody in the whole of Britain and the world was watch, watching this Vectus auction. <laughs> and, and Grant had been outbid at everything two weeks before the auction even started. He was devastated. <laughs> you do see pieces of this Oral-B one pop up. Not always the complete parts, but like you said, in three parts, you do see the odd piece of it. Pop up. I don't think it's the rarest of store displays, but it does look cool. If you had that in your collection room, full of a few of the toothbrushes, it is an awesome piece. And it was available in Britain, wasn't it? So I expect Mark and Andy have both got one. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, no, I, uh, I think the British one's slightly different, actually. Uh, but it's is not it? one that I know too much about. Uh, I don't know whether you know anything about these, Mark. I, I really don't, because it's, it's Jedi. It's... Um past my remit really so i don't really have any interest in in that kind of thing i certainly haven't got one no the the oral b range was certainly available in britain um, and you can tell the british toothbrushes uh, because i don't know how widely they were available but certainly in boot stores there was a special wrapper clear plastic cellophane wrapper put over the toothbrush which had the boots logo and the price um so uh, the british toothbrushes are, are, are really hard to find but uh, and they are out there um, and a, a distinctive british piece there's also a british box uh, that had the toothbrushes packaged together when they arrived at the shop but uh, as I say, not too clued up on the British store displays were. No, maybe one to look into in the future. But Ian, great, great pickup. Looks smashing. Hope you've got it in your living room and your your better half really appreciates it. Because I, well, I'd love to see my wife's face if I brought that home. <laughs> I've walked in with her life-size Ewoks and stuff and uh, <laughs> sometimes her face is, is a picture. But, I, hey. I think it'd be quite, quite tame compared to what you have had, Stu, to be fair. I always think the toy Toyota was her face was the best one. She was like, what have you got now? <laughs> like, Look! Yeah, yeah, but at least that's practical. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, an Ewok, that, that's part of the family. She keeps moving it. I have it at the end of my desk, you see, but it looks out into the hall when my door's open in my office, and she keeps putting it over the other side of my office so she can't see it. I keep it's moving it back. It's a bit of a word that you might, you know, <laughs> you might be playing with it or something. You're banished because you're clumsy. Ah. Uh... 
Yes, I might be saying that. We're going to stay on the Beyond the Toys group, and Pete, we're going to stay with you, because Pete Vilma, of all people, has picked up some Star Wars sheet music. These are ridiculous. And now I've got a little, little bit of a story. You know, uh, in my younger years, which is a long time ago, I used to play the saxophone. Right. Really? I wasn't too, yeah, I wasn't too bad at it. I used to play I actually appeared at Warwick Art Center playing my saxophone in a like a it was like a college thing. The, the college I used to go and learn saxophone. I actually played a little little duet with another saxophonist with a little band. I was about, I must have been about fourteen. I was terrified. I've never been that terrified. But I can remember now the reason that I picked up on this is because I remember when I was a kid. I used to pick up these, you know, uh, music books and stuff and see what things I want to play. I can remember trying to, <laughs> trying to persuade my music teacher to let me play a Star Wars one. But he said, no, 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 you can't play Star Wars on a saxophone. It's not, it's not an instrument for something like Star Wars. You, you haven't got the range in a saxophone or I can't remember his excuse. Some nonsense. I can remember looking at these wonderful black Star Wars. I mean, it wasn't like that of what Pete Vilmer's got there. They were just like one sheets you can pick up off eBay for, you know, a tenner and there's lots of them. But, um, I didn't even know these existed. So these are well, what Peter's, Pete Vilmer's got here. It seems to be the actual, the whole orchestra books. So um, if you own that up, it will, it will be, I think it looks like some are ring bound, which I assume that has been done later in life. And then some are kind of just like folders. And he's, he's actually said there, they're, they're all very, very difficult to find. So just to say, well, they're just a big book of all the music you'd find for various Star Wars tracks or tunes or we will, the soundtrack. Or divided up into the the right orchestra pieces, so you know the woodwind section and uh, the the brass section and and whatever you know voices maybe and blah blah blah. So it's all divided up in there. So it's a it's a big kind of like pack. You know I've never seen them like that before. I've seen I've seen the one sheets from Empire Strikes Back or Star Wars, um, and it's just it is just literally just the music inside, um, and they all seem to have this black with white writing on. But he said he he says here that he's still after the Star Wars marching band set. And he's put a picture of it, and we obviously put that up. But, I mean, Star Wars marching bands? Oh, my goodness. But he says he's never seen it, or he can't find it. So if anyone has ever seen it, then let him know about it. But it was just one of those little little oddities, really. I mean, I don't know if anyone's got any music. Andy, you're bound to have sheet music. How can you put it under them? Yeah, I've I've only got the one, actually. I've got the main title theme, just the one sheet, as you mentioned, which was a British release. Still looking for some more of those. But uh, the, the the whole orchestra or the band pieces, they're really rare and really hard to find. My wife used to play in a brass band, and I know that um, when she was doing that, their uh, pieces of music were really hard to come by. Uh, they would build up their little library of, uh, of, of, of songs and music, and, uh, you know, it, it was really hard to... F- try and source new pieces for the brass band to play and i can imagine that the orchestral music is uh, is even harder to find so uh, yeah some great pieces pete's bought some really really rare items i would have thought so uh, yeah lovely to see those i mean he's, he's put it down as is star wars sheet music grail items so if he's saying they're grail items <laughs> then they must be rare <laughs> but they must be worth a fortune absolute fortune but yeah i mean just just to talk about sheet music if anyone's ever interested you can get them off ebay just the one sheet so just like a i guess an a3 sheet folding to, to an a4 size you can get them for i mean they're, they're quite nice display pieces right? you, you, you know almost like a poster it's quite nice to put them i mean i've got i've got my the one and only one i've got, I've got the same as you andy it's got fair enough i would try and find an empire strikes black one at some stage but it's quite nice it's got it framed up in a nice little simple frame it looks really nice but uh they are nice and they're, they're, they're about you can get about 10 quid just a, a one sheet which is uh pretty simple but yeah 
Um, absolutely amazing. I mean, there's not tons of information on the Star Wars Collector's Archive either. There's there's a big list of music sheets throughout the films, actually. There's not too much information. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, maybe we can get Pete on one day and get him to uh, talk about sheet music. I don't know if anyone else, has anyone else got any of this stuff? Well, if there's British versions of it, Andy and Mark will have complete collections of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here tonight, Stu. <laughs> Richard wouldn't be involved in music, would he? He'd just go, no, that's that's silly. I've got nothing but I used to play the trombone, so maybe we should start with Black Panther. Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> hey. What? Well, uh, well, yeah. Are you I, the only one who has is it musical, Stu? Come on. Well, I can. I can play guitar and a bit of piano. So, to be honest with you, we've got a a, a TVR band. I'm not sure Jess can sing. Well, Jess, Jess could play the triangle, couldn't he? <laughs> Just slap his forehead. Oh yeah. I can Mark's got a guitar thing going on, surely. No, I can't play a note, mate. I can't whistle a tune. <laughs> Can you bang a tambourine? I could, I could, I could probably make a balls up of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon Andy plays it. I reckon Andy, you play a clarinet. Ah, uh, not musical at all, mate. No, I, I did have piano lessons when I was little. In fact, uh, that's a childhood memory. Uh, again, I can remember uh, my mum buying the sheet music for, again, it must have been the main title theme, the one that's commonly available over here, and taking that down to my piano teacher and asking her to rearrange that into a simple form so I could play it with my two fingers on the piano. So uh, I was able to pick out the Star Wars theme on my piano at home when I was, uh, I don't know, eight or nine. Great memories. Well, I can't, I can't believe how musical this uh it's been a long time, Stu. I think it was, you know, you know that was 30 years ago, last played the saxophone. <laughs> well, we keep saying we're, um, we're going to get the TVR YouTube channel up and running. It's, it's been there for a few years. Um, I'm going to I'm going to get everyone to play a bit on a, an instrument and <laughs> cobble something together. Where did you dig up that old fossil? So going over to Echo Base UK and another friend of the show, Andrew Kemp, has picked himself up. Now, you see these all the time. I've had several come through me. Don't think I think I've only got the Return of Jedi at the moment, but he's picked up the Ralph McQuarrie ESB portfolio. Now, Mark, I asked you to look at this because I thought it was probably most up your street out of all of us. I think this the, the, the portfolios are evidence of just how the Star Wars franchise trailblazed marketing and products and retail because before Star Wars, this kind of product really didn't exist. Nowadays, when a science fiction or fantasy film comes out, ultimately there'll be an art of book or um, a making of or special effects, blah, blah, blah. Before Star Wars, these things just didn't exist. And out of all three of the vintage uh, portfolios. The Empire one, in my opinion, is the best one, the best looking one. It's got that gorgeous Wolf Macquarie best spin Cloud City painting with the cloud car coming forward. I, I just absolutely love that image. I, I, you know, I love anything to do with best spin. I think it's a cracking looking bit of design and it's really quite big. It's bigger than the other two as well, which is weird because you'd think that they'd release them all the same size. So if you wanted to put your prints on the wall, they'd, they'd have a sort of uniform look to them. But no, the, the Empire one, for some bizarre reason, was much wider. What I will say is my memory of these back in the day was that towards the sort of Jedi era, you would be able to walk into somewhere like, uh, you know, a bookshop uh, or, or Waterstones, as was back in the day, and you could pick these up for next to nothing. They, I remember walking into one shop and they were, I think it might have been John Menzies 
and they were piled high. These portfolios were um, all shrink wrapped, all absolutely meant, and I think they were about two or three quid each. It reminded me a bit of uh, when Phantom Menace came out and Dorling Kingsley, was it, their publisher, went absolutely mad and produced all those cross-section books uh, because they thought the film was going to be absolutely, uh, you know, massive and they just completely overordered the product and they were everywhere. They couldn't give them away. And I think that's probably what happened with these Empire, with the Star Wars portfolios. They um, They just couldn't get rid of them. They are great items, though, aren't they? Um, so I've had a few, but not being very organised, never know what to really do with them. But um, they are some stunning images. You're right, the ESB one is is by far my favourite as well. And that cloud, clouds, uh, the Bespin City, is 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 a stunning, stunning image. It's a weird one as well, because if you look at the values of these things, I've seen them go for as little as £15 for a complete set. All right, so the folder might be a bit dog-eared and a bit creased. But the prints inside are all there, and they're all okay. And I've seen them go for as much as over 100 for a really nice uh, sealed example. So, you know, if you it depends on what you want to do with them. If you want to frame a couple of the prints up, there's cheap examples out there for you to get. But yeah, finding finding a really good, especially the Empire one, because with it being quite large, uh, keeping those kinds of things in really mint condition is really quite difficult over a period of time. Uh, so yeah, mint ones are, are really, really difficult to find. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, being available in the UK, I'm sure you and Andy have both got full sets. I haven't, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wonder how many times yeah, I say I've that. Before in the past, I've had them before in the past, but it's just one of those things that I just find very difficult to display. And if if I haven't got room to display something, then you know I, I have to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got my sets. Yeah, they're nice. They are nice. I've been waiting for you, Obi Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Dad. Staying on Echo Base UK. Now, Andy, I'm going to come back to you. Martin Charles had a great find with some Actone walkie-talkies. I don't know too much about these, so I'm, I'm waiting for an education. Yeah, great find indeed. I love these. This it could not be more of a 70s product. So what he's picked up is a set of walkie-talkies by a company called Actone. Come in a brown box. Again, nice 1970s brown backdrop with a picture of these two walkie-talkies on the front. And inside there's a polystyrene inner um, containing these two walkie-talkie handsets. So two handsets. They are both, uh, looking at the picture, I would guess they're probably about eight inches high, something like that, with a retractable antenna on the top. Each of the handsets has a speaker at the top, microphone at the bottom. Um, so like uh, uh, if you imagine the old first issue mobile phones back in the 80s, a bit like a brick. And that's what these look like. And then the Star Wars connection comes in the central section. What looks like a, a sticker that's been slapped on with R2-D2 and C-3PO. And above them uh, is a, a Morse code code. These are what appears to be a fairly cheap imported product, I would imagine. And interestingly, after he's posted this on Echo Base, a couple of other guys have stepped forward and said, yeah, they've got uh, uh, similar things. There was uh, another one posted where in the 
almost an identical box, but rather than Actone, the logo on the front of the box for this one says Titan Executive. And then uh, Ian Ward, who uh, we talked about earlier, um, he's picked up the Oral-B store display. Ian's posted a picture of some that he's had, uh, which are, again, the same walkie-talkies, but this time they are packed uh, in a plastic blister on a green backdrop. And this time the manufacturer is something called Wellmark. So, uh, as I said, I'm guessing that these are uh, probably imported, probably from the Far East, probably fairly cheap manufacture, and I would imagine it's a classic case of stick Star Wars on something and you will sell it. There's other guys who've come forward and said these are apparently available in other brands. Uh, Somebody mentioned one with a Muppet sticker on, and also ones that are not with any particular character brand. So uh, probably a very popular product in the 70s and 80s. I certainly remember having walkie-talkies as a kid and uh, play with my friends out in the streets with those. So uh, yeah, very 70s, very lovely, uh, and a really interesting bootleg Star Wars product. Very nice indeed. Yeah, they are. Great, great item. Great, great story. Martin, fantastic pickup. We all absolutely adore that. You may take Captain Solo to Jabba the Hutt after I have Skywalker. He's no good to me, dead. Moving on to our main topic. I'm sure I could have gone on most Facebook groups and found someone that's that's bought one of these in the last month, but it was actually Jerry Ruiz over on the Star Wars 12-back and early vintage collecting group who highlighted that he'd bought himself Boba Fett. Green and grey suit with a cape on his back. He's got a carbine rifle if he needs to attack. He was born on Camino where the whole place is wet. OG bounty hunter and his name is Boba Fett. His ship looks like an iron, but you know he's not the cleaner. He can get away with murder, felonies, and misdemeanors. He got a flamethrower and a rocket on his back. And he kill you from the sky because he's got a jet pack. He Boba Fett. I was looking at it and thinking, without doubt, the most popular figure in the line. You see so many people focusing on him. Um, obviously, nearly everything with Fet on has the Fet tax. It's more expensive, although there's loads of them. And it's actually funny. Last month, we, we covered a bit of John Menzies, and we had some photos. And there's a photo of Return of the Jedi, and uh, there's, a, there's a kid looking at some toys and racks and racks and racks of figures and the majority of them are Fets and Medines so he looks like he's taken up all the space there not being sold I wanted to just have a look at the Fet because it is a cool figure it is a cool character I want us to have a chat about about Boba Fett tonight so boys do you remember this figure having that same reputation as being such a cool figure when you were children what it has now it has such a small amount of screen time yet it has got this enormous enormous reputation yes you do yeah, yeah absolutely being old an old fart and unlike you stewards it wasn't born until the ewok movies basically because that's what made star was those little little parts of film which were always like a mystery that's why kind of like a lot of people of my kind of era were a bit reticent with you know the newer films because the mysteries were solved and you didn't want that so yeah, Boba Fett, it was like, Ooh, hey, who's that? My Boba Fett figure, there's not much paint left on him. I've still got the original one. He's very, very faded. So I obviously played him a lot because because he wasn't really a goodie or a baddie, but he was kind of a baddie. You could kind of play them on either side or individually or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. He had a cool ship and he was a cool looking figure and he had a massive, lots of mystery. And that was the thing that sold that to people of that generation. I, I loved it. I definitely remember having it. I was always, Fett is amazing because of his, lines that he had in, in Empire Strikes Back 
So I, I just, obviously I remember the no disintegration lines even from a young kid. It was the way that Vader, after going past them all, would stop and go back to fetch kind of no disintegrations. Now, as an adult watching that again, I possibly also picked up on the as you wish. Now, everybody else spoke to Vader with a kind of awe, but Fett didn't. It was a kind of, as you wish, if that's what you want. It's not a yes sir, no sir, nothing like that at all. Fett, for me, clearly is a kid, and I always, I always had on the bad team, always, but he was clearly something that was better than a stormtrooper and that kind of thing. I think for me, as a, as a child remembering Fett, the one thing that really stood out to me and why Fett nearly always figured in every single Star Wars game I had with my figures was the fact that he had a jetpack, which meant that he could fly. This guy can get from one place to the next without having to sort of trundle along and walk. It it freed you up. Um, and also the fact that he had rockets on his wrists and what looked like tool pouches on his belt and stuff and he was just a really interesting character to have when you compare him against a lot of the other ones i mean even stormtroopers don't have half the gear that boba fett had he was just a really interesting action figure to play with i have to bend him over and have the other characters use him as a weapon so that he's shooting that rocket out and blowing things up see I, I i i sort of had him as both so he got the rocket at the top and at the bottom he's got like two little boosters on his on his on his jetpack so uh, he, he i mean he, he was he was lethal he could fly and he could kick some arse he was the coolest character on screen wasn't he he was definitely the uh, the leader of the bounty hunters he was the man he was the badass he was the guy who could capture han solo when uh, darth vader couldn't i think there was a lot of mystique around the figure as well he was the first Empire Strikes Back released figure, both in the US and in the UK. I can remember looking in the Star Wars Weekly comics, and they had a fantastic advert for the Palatoy Boba Fett, the mail-away offer. And this was before the figure was available on cards. A lovely black and white picture looking up at, uh, at Fett. And uh, I can remember seeing that and thinking, wow, who's this? This is fantastic. Got to get that figure. And I think that really added to the mystique of the character and, uh, uh, and, and what made it so cool in everybody's eyes even back then. I, I think Lucasfilm Limited and then later Kenner hyped Fett up right from the start. Now, obviously in the UK we wouldn't have known this at the time, but obviously in the States you had the big San El Selmo Fair where Fett was paraded. Looks to me almost like a carnival where you've got Darth Vader, a couple of stormtroopers, but Fett is taken front and centre. And if you were a child in the States watching this, you'll be going, who is that walking with Vader? It was clearly he was hyped from the very, very first introduction. You know, this is Boba Fett, the super stormtrooper, you know, the various things that they were, they were pushing into him. Clearly a very, very, very good marketing campaign for what is, at the end of the day, such a minor character. There was the holiday special as well, of course, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Fett made his first appearance in the holiday special, so he, again, was the first Empire Strikes Back character to be uh, made available to the general public. And again, really hyped as, you know, this this is one of the coolest guys coming in the new movie. We're all aware of the Darth Vader promotional tour that Paltoy did, where Darth Vader, some guy in a Darth Vader suit would turn up and, and do um, signings at various shops. Uh, I remember one uh, at a co-op um, in Stoke-on-Trent, in 1983 when Jedi first aired. But there was actually um, one with a Boba Fett that did appear at certain shops up and down the country. I think it was mainly sort of southern, the southern half of the country. Some guy in a Boba Fett suit did actually sort of um, sort of appear at toy shops. And I've got 
Um, you know, the small Boba Fett mailer that Palatoy did, the little black and white mailer. I've actually got one of those that's been signed by the guy in the suit, which is incredibly rare. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think Boba Fett was mainly in the south when he did the tour. Uh, he wasn't hard enough to come up north. <laughs> yeah. What about his weapon? Was that was that screen accurate? No more, no less than any of the other characters. It was a tarted up grenade launcher, I think. An actual weapon. Like most of the Star Wars weapons were actually based on uh, original, mainly British uh, weapons, with the odd exception. Rich, I've asked you to take a closer look at the offers on the cards and how you could originally find the character advertised. Uh, what did you find? I found a lot of information on this from the SWCA, but obviously with Fett being such a big character, newer information has come out, so some of this might not be 100% accurate. But it started life in August 1978, which is when Kenna released the January-February catalogue, which showed Boba Fett as what we now know as the infamous kit-bashed Fett that Brian Rockfell and many others are still actively hunting and willing to pay a heck of a lot of money for one. It was advertised back then as not available in stores, but will be available for four proof of purchases. Uh, there was a card figure in that catalogue, which was a bit of a surprise. It was what we referred to as the 20C card back. Um, so, so even in August 78, there was a mocked-up card there. Now, the Toy Fair was obviously next, and that had the infamous mock-up FET, which was available, which featured a cardboard card with a rocket firing FET inside the bubble. Although the 1970 Toy Fair catalogue didn't show the firing feature, which it had already gone by that point. It wasn't, wasn't out very long, and I'm sure... I think it's Peter's going to talk about that in a second. Various stickers were actually being placed over the rocket firing feature because the, the card box obviously had already been printed, which gives rise to new classifications of the 20 back, you know, the 20, the D, the E, the F. I think it goes up to I from memory, the 20 back. The TV advert came out, which I'm sure you're going to play any second now. From Kenner's Star Wars collection comes the Stormtrooper, the Sand People, and all 20 action figures, including new Hammerhead, Snaggletooth, and more, each sold separately. And now, Boba Fett, Star Wars villain, with his laser rifle. Boba Fett is not yet available in stores, but you can get him free with four proofs of purchase from any Star Wars action figures. Details on specially marked packs at participating stores. Offer ends May 31st. Star Wars action figures sold separately from Kenner. So TV advert came out to a Boba Fett as a new villain. Advertised as not yet available in stores, but you can get him with four proof of purchases. When he arrived, he arrived obviously in the, in the States in a white mailer box with the apology note and an offer stating that if you were dissatisfied with your Boba Fett, then you could return your fixed rocket Fett for any figure of your choice. Now, I wonder how many people did that. I wonder how many people actually got that and thought, hmm, I don't really like this... Boba Fett, I want to send it back for a power droid or something. I wonder if that happened. So in the summer of 79, okay, so it was the year after the, 80, the August 78 catalogue, the carded Fett began to appear in stores on the 21 back. But in Canada, Fett was released on the 20 back. It's one of the little oddities, and, and the Canadians always like to do something with a little twist on it. Early promotions, you obviously had the mail-aways in US Kenner. You had Kenner Canada, they had mail-aways as well. You had the Palatoy mail-aways in the UK. But you also had a Harbat mail-away, okay? But the Harbat mail-away was for a carded FET. It didn't come in a mailer box. So there was an advert on the SWCA, incredibly rare, finding any information about that. Clipart also had a promotion on the 41 back, that run for mail-away FET as well. So quite a wide, popular character and a huge promotion 
that went across most of Europe over into the States and Canada. I thought there would have been a Meccano, and I can't find anything on Meccano, but I would have thought that there would have been a Meccano kind of Italian offer as well. Like you just touched on it, the Rocket Fet. I don't want to go into it too much. We've covered Rocket Fets in the past, and there is a story and that it was cancelled due to a Battlestar Galactica toy uh, firing out a rocket, choking a child. But um, I've also heard from good sources that that is purely a myth. Pete, I know that there is other stories online for the real reasons for this. Well, yeah, yeah. There's, um, I tell you what, I mean, this, there's only one place to go for Star Wars information, and that's the SWCA. There is a really good article, and it's actually updated recently by uh, our good friend Chris Jagulius. Um I'll give the website out at the end. It is definitely worth a read. I mean, we, we could probably do an entire episode on this. It is quite a tragedy, but um, there is, it's not completely a myth, as in there was Battlestar Galactica toy, the, uh, the Mattel Cylon Raider, and that did actually have a shooting kind of disc kind of thing that actually shot out and actually did cause damage. And that was in, I think it was in end of 1978 at Christmas, and actually, it actually did cause the death of a child. And then there was actually several other children actually were affected. They were, they were actually operated on to remove these things from throats. The article actually gives some quite serious detail um, about those incidents. Whilst it wasn't a complete reaction to it, there's obviously you know safety element. There was a couple of obviously influences on why the rocket firing effect didn't happen. One was safety. Two was also the fact that well, as it was developing it, the, the L slot and the J slot were fiddly things were getting broken off on that j slot that kind of bit that came kind of down to make that j that could get broken off and lodged in someone's eye or throat or whatever um and also you had to put a spring in there and you know obviously the the actual shooting mechanism was actually shooting out a missile and that missile was changed obviously from a a slightly kind of like sharper one to a slightly more rounded one there's loads of pictures within this article of, of the different kind of developments but i mean obviously in the end the the fact that you're shooting something into children's faces i think i think was a cost thing as well where you're talking about putting a little mechanism to a toy that you're going to charge what a couple of quid for that's quite a lot i mean nowadays they they don't really do a great deal of that either there has been kenner toys and hasbro star wars figures with some complicated mechanisms but you're charging probably a little bit more for those sort of things so it, it did have an impact and like i said this article is it is staggering how much detail is in it just to go on on that child's name because we have to remember you know a child did die over a toy his name was robert jeffrey warren and he did actually die on december 31st 1978 so i think it's important to to actually give his name out and say yeah there's a kid who just wanted to play with a toy um he got an item lodged in his throat and died and passed away and just to round it all up in a very dark um horrible way the the death certificate of, of the child i mentioned um it actually says star wars toy that killed him not Battlestar Galactica toy so if you want to get finicky about it, yes, a little bit of myth, but there was some truth to it. A sad tale, really. The website you need to go and look at, and I'll read it out, it's very short, theswca.com forward slash T-E-X-T-F, or text F, forward slash toydeath.html. There was absolutely tons of information about the development of the Rocket Fire Fet, all those stories about the poor children. There's some real, like I said, real horrible stuff in there. If you're interested in finding out about your card backs, uh, Jess kind of did a card back run through on episode 62. So I'm not looking at what is on the cards. What I did want was to look at the cards that FET was available on. Now, Andy, I've given you the Kenner cards. What we were looking for was what cards he was on, what are the harder ones to find, 
uh, that kind of thing. And um, I wanted to know also how long after the mail away did the uh, availability of a carded figure arrive? I've had a look at the various card backs that Fett was available on. Now, obviously, after the initial release, he was available all the way through the action figure line. But in terms of specific card backs, going by the Kellerman Index, and I know that's a little bit out of date, but uh, that's that's my starting point. The first card back that was available on, on the Kenner card, uh, and again, this is ignoring other foreign variations, first Kenner card back was the 21B, and this is the card picturing 21 figures on the back, uh, and then the bottom third of the reverse of the card with a blue background uh, was picturing various toys, uh, including the production versions of the Droid Factory and the Dewback, and that was the difference between the 21B and the 21A, uh, because the A featured the uh, the prototypes. So 21B was the first card. Uh, it was also then on the 21C Star Wars card. And then they moved over to the Empire Strikes Back cards. And there's a variety of different cards that FET was available on there, including 21G, 21I, 31A, 32A, 41A, B and D, 45A, 47A, 48C. And as I say, that's going by the Kellerman Index, and I'm sure that uh, there will be others that have emerged since that was produced. Then, switching to Return of the Jedi card backs, um, there's the 48D and the 65A. Now, all of those card backs that I've mentioned so far featured the first image, which is Boba Fett on the space backdrop with the star field behind him and he's raising his wrist towards you and he's firing one of his wrist rockets and there's a big fireball in the bottom section of the card so all of those cards up to the 65a feature that first fireball artwork and then kind of switch to the new picture uh, for the remaining releases and this is a return of the jedi image of fat against the blue sky this is obviously from the uh, scene over the sarlacc pit uh, where he's battling on the skiff so it's a uh, a, a peck of fat almost silhouetted against the blue sky backdrop first card that that new picture was available on is the 65c and then also appears on the 77a and the 79a card backs and then the final production card back was of course the droids card back which is a very different card back you'll know that the, the droids card backs blister bubble is on the opposite side of the card back it's on the right hand side rather than the left there's a lovely cartoon image taken from the cartoon series uh, of boba fett on that card back so that was the last production card back in the Kenner range the other one that I've not mentioned is the three-pack, uh, and Boba Fett appeared in one of the original Star Wars three-packs. Uh, this was the villains three-pack with the sand person and the snaggletooth. Um, so that was another way um, that uh, Fett was sold in the U.S. by Kenner. Uh, and then you've also asked me, Stu, which are the rarest card backs? Now, other than some of those obscure variations, probably the rarest and certainly the most sought-after card back, I would say, is that first one, uh, the debut card back, which is the 21B. Very hard card back to find, very sought-after. And I did note that one of these sold at the auction uh, in the States through Hakes Auctioneers. This was in March this year. This was was a graded AFA 85 and that sold for a grand total of $8,260. That one, I would say, is a good candidate for being the uh, the rarest. 
uh, and the most sought after. Otherwise, you've already mentioned the Toy Fair carded rocket pet sample, only one of those in existence. Obviously, that's an extremely rare one. And the other one that's worth mentioning is the Power of the Force carded sample, of which there are a few, um, probably uh, in the single figures available. But uh, again, FET was never released on a FET Power of the Force card back. Um, so uh, those are prototype card backs. And again, if you can get your hands on one of those, you're doing very, very well indeed. Yeah, brilliant. There, always a lot to cover with the old Kenner, isn't there? Um, and Mark, I kind of went to you for the Palatoy, your uh, admin on the Palatoy Facebook group. Palatoy cards and Tri Logo. Now, we know that the Tri Logo is extremely expensive, um, pretty hard to find. Generally, on Palatoy, what do we got? Oh well, I mean, compared to Kenner, these things are like uh, hen's teeth. Uh, seems like everybody and his brothers after a Palatoy FET on one card or another. And I think we're all pretty familiar with the 30-back that sold in January 2015, which belonged to Craig Stevens, and um, that was a Vactis sort of thing, and fetched £15,000 plus fees, which took it up to uh, a rather eye-watering £18,000. Now, this, this is like nearly nearly five years ago now. So if another 30 back came to market now, what, what, what kind of value would, would we be looking at? I know there's a couple of collectors with very deep pockets out there at the moment, which are sort of banned, throwing out some rather eye-watering figures over sort of £20,000 in, in order to get hold of one of these things. But I, I just don't know. I mean, they, they, they're in single figures, they're known examples. So, um, you know, if you've got the money, then, uh, you know, you pay, take your choice. After that, we've got the 41 back. A couple of these actually surfaced at a Hanson's auction in June of this year. Two different examples from the same source. One final figure for one of those was 2300 with fees. That was in really nice shape. And then the other one, which had a crushed bubble, sold for 900 with the fees. So, again, you know, even a 41 back fat is, is fetching really, really good money now. Then after that, now, when I knew we were going to be talking about fats and, in particular, palatoid cards, I, I went and spoke to uh, Gary Smith, who has forgotten more about palatoid carded figures than I will ever know. So he was like my go-to guy just to fill in some blanks for me. I didn't actually know this, but a 45A fat is actually rarer than a 30-back. The 30-back gets all the attention, but it's the 45A, which is actually considerably rarer, with only one or two known examples out there in collections. Gary, obviously, only one of them. Now, again, there's no data out there for a, to, to relate to a sale on, on one of these. It's another one of those things that if it comes up for sale, you know, who's got the, um, the deeper pockets on the day? Uh, you could, you know... Just stick your finger in the air and, and guess which way the wind's blowing on that one. It's, it's it's a complete guess. But I would imagine it wouldn't be far off the value of a 30-back. I know it's probably not as popular as a 30-back because obviously that was a debut card. But still, there's, there's plenty of people out there that have got 45A runs that they want to complete. And, and FET is going to be a massive hole in that run. So, uh, yeah, there would be a definite fight for that if ever one came up for sale. Then you've got 45B and 45C. Now, the interesting thing about 45C is this was one of Toy Tony's more uh, numerous cards that he, uh, he actually uh, had on that list. I can't remember the exact 
figured that there was but there was hundreds of them they are out there there's so many different bubble variations um some 45 c's have been found with tri logo fets on again you know it, I started to get into this and just the amount of variations on these on this particular card back was just was crazy. Again, you're looking at about a thousand pounds for a 45C in relatively uh, good order. Even that is um, fetching decent money. And that's without the Paltoy, the Magic Paltoy logo on the front of the card. And then after the 45C, you got 65 backs, which weirdly Tony didn't have any. 65 so where if you do find a 65 back it's completely legitimate um again you're looking at a thick end of a thousand pounds for something like that uh, in good order probably more numerous than 45s finally is the tri logo which you mentioned Stu is seems like everybody and his brother wants a, a tri logo they don't come up very often and when they do there's a real scrap for them so where again you're looking at mid thousands for a a really exceptional example for for one of those and it just depends on uh, which particular fact you were have on that card as well because as we all know i think there's five major variations on the actual figure with the uh, tri logo fat uh, if you can find a, a part of fat of any description buy it because you can retire on it gents thank you so much you've uh, covered that superbly and i don't think i'll bother with a palatoya fat <laughs> sounds uh sounds expensive and talking of the market pete i got you to look at the market we know they're expensive yes and andy have just touched on that but i've asked you to do more of a comparison with a figure that has had the similar sort of sales with the amount being available just to kind of compare just how much that fet tax really does uh, affect the figure. Well, you did, and I kind of, I was heading on with that question. I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll have a look at some figures. And I thought, you know what? That's actually pretty much impossible to do. Fet answers his own question. And I thought, right, what I'll do, I'll look at the most popular Fet figure, 77A, it seems to be quite a lot of them. I look about, I thought, well, how much data should I do? So I thought for carded figure, I'll look at a couple of years' data. For a loose figure, it's obviously a normal fat is you know averages about 35 pounds so you can you can pick one up quite easily in reasonable condition obviously you know the condition will take it up to 40 50 60 70 um and obviously the the, uh, the tri logo knee thing that can you know add pounds on again but so it's it, it's it's an easy figure to get because there's so many of them there's lots of them they're played with and, and displayed whatever so let's have a look at carded stuff I thought, right, i've got to find something here that makes sense so i looked at the 77a as i, as I said and just to just to answer your question, there's there's literally no comparison over two years um, of data. There's nothing that comes close to its pricing. Now it only had 30 um, frequency, which is which is around about kind of average of of that you know, of the same seven A. So there was there was some which were you know ridiculous. Some of the some of the ones that came out later, and you know some of the figures you can probably guess. Some of the cars. There's loads of you know 150. You know, 60 and they were like you know 100 pounds 70 pounds for our some of our um sort of jabber goons and all that sort of stuff but nothing came close to these figures so the average for a 77a boba fett uh, do you want to have a guess i take it's ungraded i saw on sale the other day all ungraded all ungraded. or about i think it was under 500 quid but then there's a graded one going today on facebook for two grand <laughs> and it's held straight away so it's yeah. mental i'm gonna say 750 wow much lower than that 459 was the average in that in that uh 
Nothing. Now, there were lots and highest echelons, obviously. £924 was the the top price paid currently before, obviously, that one. But I'm not to say I'm not doing graded. This is just to yeah. give a comparison date. Otherwise, you start getting into cards and stuff above a fact, you're all over the place because you just can't compare the, the amount of figures. 77A seems to be something where you can actually compare. The only figures that came close to that are Luke Gunner, Farm Boy, and the highest price there was 1200 the highest price paid. But its average was £547, and that's pretty rare. And then anything else below that, I think a layer averaged at 455 but only five or six examples. But everything else is just miles and miles and miles away. You know, so that's a what we would think was a reasonable common card for everything, but there's a Boa Fett. Really does stick out like a sore thumb, and it's all over the place. But if you if you go and look at Boa Fett's, you know, normally if you look at pretty much anything it appeared on, um, and you you know, and you look at the price data. Now, it's easy to do this if you go on to the desktop Star Wars Trekker application because you get a better sort of like data package. And whenever you you put a um, a, a reasonably popular card, you know, let, let's say over ten examples in the last couple of years, the top five or top ten will have two or three FETs in it. I mean, we know there's no logic to it. It's, it is a FET tax. But, uh, yeah, and it's a hard question to answer. There is a FET tax, and it's ridiculous. Mark, now you've been trading a long time. When we I interviewed you, we talked about your trading back in the 90s. Um, compared to all the other figures, was this FET tax, um, was it was it there to be seen back in the, back in the day as well? No, keep it as simple as possible. Absolutely not. No, certainly nothing that I recall. I guess back then there was there wasn't such a thing as focus collecting. It's a relatively new term, in you know, when you talk about collecting now. Back then, when you had a bob of fat, either on a card or loose, mainly loose, you had a bob of fat. There was no such thing as a painted head. There was no such thing as a tri logo. Certainly, those terms were never really banded around, you know, like they are today. You could just tick that one off your list. Yeah, fat was a popular figure, but I wouldn't say that there was this fat tax where people would pay a premium, not, certainly not that I recall anyway. I would say that this is like they're, they're kind of developed over time, really. Certainly not when the collecting back in the late 80s and early 90s, it, 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 didn't, it didn't really exist. Rich, before we uh, close out the figure, there seems to be a lot of variants of fit. Now, you're very much like me when it comes to variations. I like major changes. What are the main ones to look for? And what are these these mad variant collectors uh, classing as variants, because I'm sure that if I have one of them on there, tell me there's 60-odd variants. Yeah, I'm glad they qualified that, Stu, because I'm absolutely nothing like you. But, yeah, you're right. And uh, I've spent quite a bit of time on this. I've went through Wolf's Guide. I've went through Tig. I've went through Tantive. And I, I don't think I can find a common consensus here. So the major variants, um, what I found is, obviously, you've got your loose Kenner, and there were two made in Hong Kong and Taiwan. There is the incorrectly titled Tridal Warfet, and we all call it Tridal Warfet, but it's not a Tridal Warfet. Uh, that's the lighter blue uh, figure that's found on Tridal War card backs, and was also found on some Palatoy and McConnell uh, card backs. There is the painted blue helmet fet, which we've discussed before, which um, is some of the Taiwan fets that has a little bit of blue paint just above the visor. Uh, still not 100% certain why, and um, is it bleed from the visor, is it something that's went wrong with the paint apps, just seems such an odd thing to do, and the cost of applying that paint uh, is bizarre. 
And you've got your levy fed um, with the removable rocket, and obviously you've got your J-slot and your L-slot fits. So uh, those are your major variants. The last two, obviously, is a bit tongue-in-cheek because you, you've got next to no chance of getting one. Now, going down into different groups of variants, um, and I'm sure somebody's going to say that there's a, a disco kneecap fit. You've got three mold families. You've got Taiwan. You've got the large made in Hong Kong with no CO smooth. And you've got the small made in Hong Kong with no CO scar. And there were four different combinations of each family. So there's 12 variants just there on the standard uh, Kenna fit. Now, with regards to the ones that were called Trilogo uh, FET, there is a true Trilogo FET, which has only been found on certain Trilogo Meccano cards. Okay, So that is a true specific Trilogo FET. But most of the FETs that we call Trilogo FETs are actually Euro stroke PPB FETs. And you have five different variants that people are hunting. So you've got light brown, unpainted dot, painted knee, dark brown, unpainted dot, painted knee, Dark brown, painted dot, painted knee. Dark brown, unpainted dot, unpainted knee. Dark brown, painted dot, unpainted knee. So, okay, so it's quite a quite a, rare, a mix of, of those. Now, you've also got the levy. So, the two variants of the levy. There are ones which have rockets that are loose um, in the back of them due to lack of glue. Still can't tell or find it if that's deliberate. Uh, a lot of people have just thought that it's an error in the factory and they haven't put the glue in there, or the glue has uh, been so little that it's come out over time, and you've got the ones that are actually uh, fixed in place. Now, as I was doing this, obviously there's a lot of information about uh, FETs online, and quite a lot of people, especially people like Stefan Callier, who's obviously you know big into his variants, he spotted there's a lot of mislabeling with the grading companies um, with regards to the Lily Lady FETs, and a lot of them are actually PPB FETs, but they've been... Um, labelled as Lily Leddy. So you've got to be really, really careful when you're buying these on eBay and various other places. So the PPB FET, which most people are, are correctly, um, incorrectly referred to as Trilogo, is a much lighter plastic. Uh, the Leddy FETs are actually quite dark. Um, so, yes, so 20, what we've got there, we've got, we've got 12, 12, 14, 19, 20, 21, Possibly 22 different variants of FET if you wanted to go right down that route is what I found to do. But you're right, there probably is 60 of them. Lads, thank you so much. You know, FET is such a broad topic and so much you could talk about him. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Are the Imperial troops near this planet? They are here, friend, and growing more powerful. I know this sleeping virus the Empire uses on its enemies. They have a remedy for it in the city. I can get some for you. And now some interesting price carded ungraded FETs from StarWarsTracker.com. At five, Boris Johnson is trying to generate more money for the government and has adopted the FET tax and will be launched in 2020. It's the cheapest carded 77A for £126 in 2016. At four, Django FET had several other sons aside from Boba. Alan, Jacob and Silas Fett all pursued accounting careers to handle the family's bounty collecting. It's an ESB41A for £166 this year. At 3, the original script for Return of the Jedi had Boba Fett falling in love with Princess Leia, but then cheating on her with Ula and Sice Noodles in a saucy tryst. It's the cheapest Palatoy 45C for £193 in 2015. 
Uh, two. Boba Fett is only the fourth most famous Fett. Cartoonist George Fett, historian Harry Fett, and the Croatian tennis star Jana Fett all feature higher on the top Fett list. It's the Palatoy ESB30B for £18,000 in 2015. Straight in at 1, Domino Harvey is one of the most famous real-life bounty hunters played by Kira Knightley in a 2005 film called Domino. Knightley has not been considered for the role of Boba Fett, as of course she was already in Star Wars playing one of Padme Amidala's handmaidens. It's the Meccano ESB-18A for £26,000 in 2016. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. So now a new little concept uh, from the vault where we go back and listen to um, more than likely interviews from the past. And uh, we're going to kick this off going back to episode 22 when Richard had Daryl Johnson and Brendy Burton on Rebel Briefings. This is an amazing Rocket Fett story and uh, still one of my favourites. Richard, we have kind of moved over to the prototype pre-production in our collecting focus. Seems we keep stumbling into uh, rare Boba Fett items. That has kind of pushed us in the direction to have a small Boba Fett focus going, along with our Cantina Creature focus. I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that. I think there's an A.W. Smith song somewhere where it's about the journey and not the destination. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I believe that wholeheartedly, Richard. So, Brandy, well, Daryl suggests heading off to a toy show in Cincinnati, which is a four-hour drive. What were you hoping to see on that day? Well, Richard, well, I was hoping to see, one, any chance I have to go to Cincinnati, bags are packed, I'm in. <laughs> but uh, my biggest thing was I was really interested about the vintage Star Wars toys and the other uh, action figures that they had on display there at the library. And another thing that really piqued my interest was they were going to have a Q&A session from the ex-Kenner employees, which for me, I was so eager to learn, and I still am. This was my first experience with the Kenner Corporation to learn what really happened behind the scenes. I mean, I learned a lot from other collectors, but as far as hearing their stories and the way that these people related and the family that they have together with these employees was absolutely phenomenal, and I did learn a lot. Was it just a general kind of employees, or were these guys actually named? Well, yeah, I mean, they had a lot of people that they had singled out, and, and like I said, what really fascinated me was the stories between these people. They were almost like a family is what it was. But it was nice to be an outsider and them allowing us to come in there and them recognizing certain employees throughout the years. 
was just really mind-boggling, like I said, some of the things. And you had people from different products that Kenner made that were there. So it wasn't just Star Wars. It was just a magnitude of so many different things. So I, I was really educated, and I really learned a lot by going. And it was really cool, Richard. Uh, you know, in between the panels, they would do videos, and, you know, they would have a discussion panel. In between the panels, we would take a short 15, 20 minute uh, bathroom breaks and a lot of the employees that were just kind of standing around talking, they were open to just, you know, people like us walking up to them and just talking to them. And like you'd asked earlier, did they point these guys out? Uh, you know, you had your people there like Corky Steiner. Uh, obviously he's heir to the Kenner. His grandfather was the one that uh, started Kenner. And then you had, uh, he was basically the guy that was leading this thing. And he was actually pointing out different, uh, and he, he would actually name some of these people, mm-hmm. or he would ask, hey, um, do we have any of our employees in the crowd who used to deal with this line, or who used to do this? Surprisingly, people would, you know, raise their hand and say, hey, I, you know, I was the one that dealt with playsets for Star Wars, um, or I was the one that dealt with a lot of the artwork. And it was really cool in between sessions, you would actually see this quirky Steiner guy and some of these other Kenner employees just walk up and recognize each other mm-hmm. for the first time in, you years. know, years and years. So um, that was a, that was another really cool part of getting to go to this thing. Was this recorded at all? You know, there was a camera and a guy in the back of the room that was actually recording each of these panels. And he was actually recording each of these 45-minute to an hour videos that were being shown, you know, like on the history of Kenner, so on and so forth. Obviously, at some point, we're going to move on to the the story behind the Rocket Fire Effect, but would you just like to explain what you find appealing about that item? Oh, man. There are several things that uh, I've always found appealing about the Rocket Fire Effect. It's probably the most iconic prototype in all of action figure collecting, period. Whether you collect vintage G.I. Joe, Master of the Universe, Migos, Superheroes, or Transformers, I think everyone has at least heard of the Rocket Firing Fed. There's been so much mystique and lore throughout the years that has always surrounded the Rocket Firing Fed and the whole mailer promotion. There's a lot of misinformation out there, isn't there, about it? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation, man. A lot of stuff floating around that's, that's inaccurate or not true. You know, we've always wondered... Did a few of these things actually ship out, or did anyone actually receive one as a kid? Or, you know, I've even heard people even say, do these things actually still exist, or were they all just thrown into dumpsters and hauled off the landfill? I think the rocket firing fed, you know, the big thing that I find most appealing, it's, you know, it's basically that new action figure that we all saved our proofs of purchases for and dreamed about as a kid. But, you know, the rocket firing fed is that dream that actually never came true. How long have you actually been searching for one of these? Really, what I would say aggressively or actively, I would say what a good well, the past three years. Yeah, yeah, I would say at least three years. I, you know, I actually used to own one of these, Richard. I actually used to own an L slot about ten years ago. I purchased an L slot with missile from uh, Brian Rockfall, who is a dealer and collector, lives out in California. Brian is a uh, well-known in the Rocket Fire and Fet collecting community. He knows a lot about these things. He's had several of them. Anyway, to make a long story short, I bought this from Brian about 10 years ago. I actually drove it down to Action Figure Authority, which is about two hours from where I live, and hand-delivered it to Chad, the owner of AFA. And Chad uh, took it, made a case for it, graded it. You know, I got the COA from Derby. And surprisingly, this thing came back and graded a 90. Wow. Yes. And I had this 
piece for another probably two or three years, and I ended up selling it back to Brian Rockfall. And that's probably the biggest regret I've ever had in, in my Star Wars buying, selling, collecting period. At some point during this panel, then, I believe Kim Simmons approached you. So do you want to take the story from there and what happened? Yeah, so basically, Brendy and I had been at the panel all day. And later on in the afternoon, I guess the crowd had already started to dwindle out. Uh, we were still hanging around because we really had nothing better to do. We were just going to get, you know, grab dinner or something downtown Cincinnati after the panel was. And Kim Simmons flagged me down, thank God. And he said, hey, Daryl. Kim knew that I was looking for a rocket firing fed. He said, there's a gentleman that just walked in, him and his wife, and he just approached me. And he asked me if I was a collector. And he told me he had something that a collector would be interested in. So this guy basically showed pictures of it to Kim, and it was, you know, a, a rocket firing Boba Fett. And a J slot. And Kim told him, hey, you know, there's several collectors here. I know a couple guys, actually, that would be interested in your piece if you'll just hang around. So Kim flagged me down. He said, hey, uh, this guy just showed up, him and his wife. He showed me pictures of a rocket firing Boba Fett he wants to sell. And, you know, I told him that uh, you were here, but, you know, I couldn't find you at the time. So if you'll just hang out here at my booth, hopefully he'll walk back through. So I was standing there with Brandy, and we were talking to Steve Denny. We had a, uh, I'd say probably 15, we stood there for probably 10, 15 minutes, and uh, Kim pointed him out to me. He said, there's the guy. So I go walking up to the guy, and, you know, at first I thought people were messing with him, you know. <laughs> you know, I thought it was a big joke. So anyway, Kim says, there he is. So I go walking up to this guy, and the guy turned around and saw me, and I guess maybe Kim had briefly pointed me out earlier. I don't know. But as I walked up to the guy, he turned around, and he said to me, he said, hey, are you a collector? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I've got something I think you might be interested in. And I thought, okay, well, when's the joke going to end? But anyway, so he pulls out his iPhone, and I pulled up a J-slot, man. I was like, this is this is crazy. I believe your hands started to tremble. <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, if it wasn't a joke, I thought it was going to be, oh, hopefully this guy's got an L-slot, rocket firing fit. But when he pulled his phone out and showed me pictures of a J-slot, I was speechless. I, like Brandy said, she said my hands were trembling, holding his phone, <laughs> looking at the pictures of this thing. <laughs> he told me he was an ex-Kenner engineer, and uh, he wanted to sell this. So me and him basically went back and forth with some numbers, and he took my name and number. I got his name and number. We probably negotiated over this thing for the next probably two months before we come to an agreement that we both uh, could live with. But when the guy originally was talking about the piece to Daryl, I was standing there, and the guy had told Daryl, now, this is kind of funny, he was saying it's a, it's our J-slot, rocket-firing Boba Fett, and it has both missiles, which Daryl kind of looked at me, and I looked at him. He called it, he says, and it has its ray gun, which we had to laugh, because he called it a ray gun, and he said it had its box. Well, in Daryl's mind, in our mind, we knew that they didn't come in boxes, so we yeah. thought that he was confused. Yeah, he he had mentioned just just kind of briefly, it's got its original box, and I didn't even think anything about it at the time. I was just so taken in and so excited to see this was a J slot that I had the opportunity to buy. How did that four-hour drive back go? 
Well, all I can say, there was a lot of chatter back and forth, what ifs, what ifs type thing, um, looking at the picture, you know, every time I, I drove, of course, but our whole conversation was, if this turns out to be and, and comes to fruition, this would be an awesome, awesome thing, because like I said, Daryl's been looking wholeheartedly for three years now. Yeah, and we had no idea what this would turn into, man. We no. we had no idea that this would actually come with, in, in a mailer box. Yeah, so so the ride home was pretty intense with us hoping, you know, because there were still negotiations to be had back and forth. But uh we were like two little kids in a candy store, I'll be honest with you. Neither one of us could stop talking about it, grinning, looking at the picture, and, and just couldn't wait to, you know, actually being able to fulfill something that we both wanted for quite a long time. So what happened is well, we've done discussion like for two months, like Daryl said, and then we made the truck back to Cincinnati once we all had a meeting of the minds, so to speak. And the night before, you know, Daryl and I were talking, and I was like, well, we need to call him. Daryl said, yeah, we need to call just to make sure, you know, the time, the place, everything. So when Daryl got on the phone, now Daryl said, so you're telling me that it comes with two rockets. And the guy said, yeah, it comes with the two rockets. And, and again, he calls it the ray gun instead of the blaster. And, then, and, and he says, and he says it comes with the original baggie in the box. Well, I saw Daryl turn a little white on the phone because I really couldn't hear what was, I mean, I saw his face go a little pale. No, I, I asked him, I said, hey, did you say baggy and box? And yeah. he was like, he's like, yeah, it has its original baggy. And he, this is exactly what he said. It has its original baggy. He said it's not in great shape. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's been opened and it has its original uh, box that it was supposed to be mailed out in. And I was just completely floored. I there with my mouth open in the hotel room thinking this can't be there's no way as far as i knew there was no way that this thing could be in a mailer box because i'd never heard of this before so daryl and i the next day when we went to dock we had a lot of unanswered questions that were just running racing through our minds that we had talked about the night before so of course these couldn't be answered this guy wanted to meet on the fourth floor of the downtown Cincinnati Banking Federal Reserve on a Saturday morning in his lawyer's office. He told me the night before as we were driving up and I was talking to him on the phone, he said he felt this would be the safest place to do the transaction. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I've already wired the guy the money for the piece, so there's going to be no money in exchange. And he said, yeah, I know. I'm just, just a super paranoid type. And I was like, okay, I can deal with this. And he was like, well, I need to get your name and I need to get your girlfriend's name if she's coming with you because we have to present this to security. You're going to have to go through metal detectors, which I'm used to. I'm a federal employee, so I'm used to the way the federal system works. But he said, you're going to have to go through metal detector and you're going to have to go through two security points and you'll have to speak with a security officer when you get there. We gave him the names and sure enough, we had to meet this guy uh, the next morning at 10 o'clock, which is a Saturday morning in his lawyer's office on the fourth floor, huge conference table Walked in. Very cool, man. The first thing he handed me was the mailer box. And I'm sitting here looking at this mailer box. And I'm just, you know, my mouth is wide open. It does not have an addressee. It only has the Maple Plains return address in the corner. I see he's he's holding a, a wooden box. It's it's It looks like an old wooden box. And I'm like, huh. Uh, I get there looking at the mailer box. And he slides this wooden box over to me. He's like, well, looking at me. He says, open it up. 
<laughs> so I opened it up, and lo and behold, there it is, man. Uh, he actually went down to craft store. It, you know, it's in the States. It's called Hobby Lobby. He had went to a Hobby Lobby like the day before, and I guess for I guess he wanted to give me my money's worth. So, you know, him being an engineer with the engineer mindset, he went and found this antique-looking little wooden box, and he basically made up this red velvet-looking insert. You know, it's all lined inside, and down in the insert, he's, there's a place that has been cut out that the figure in its plastic baggie with the two missiles and the, as he calls it, ray gun, <laughs> fit perfectly down in this little area. He made that all from scratch, and to my surprise, when I opened up the box, there were two of his old business cards. One of them describes him as a, a safety and reliability engineer. The other describes his title as a quality control engineer. And, you know, it was funny because I asked him about three or four days earlier, right after I wired him the money, I was like, hey, uh, do you maybe have some old business cards or anything like that laying around that uh, maybe you could throw in the deal? And he told me, no, I don't. Uh, no, I don't have any of those left. You know, I basically got rid of those things years and years ago. So, you know, it was just such a sweet, sweet surprise, man, when I opened up that box. Uh, not only just to get, get to see this this J-slot, man, for the first time. The two business cards, man, that was just, I don't know, man, that was just icing on the cake. It sounds like a really nice guy. I mean, to go to that effort of making that little box, that's something that money can't buy. He did real well, man. It was really good. I, like that's I said earlier, I think he wanted to give me my money's worth and... uh or try at least to give me some of my money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's now perhaps talking to his relatives and thinking, I've just sold some guy a toy that I had lying around in my desk and I felt really bad on him, so I went and made this box to make it look a bit of a better deal. You know, that's exactly what he is doing right now. I, I have no doubt in my mind that because, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, he's probably telling them, hey, guess, guess how much money I sold this action figure for. Uh, can you believe this? And, you know, I actually made him a little box for it to go in. So, like I said, no doubt in my mind that he's actually probably telling his relatives this at this point. So the baggie that came with the FET, then, is that specific to that particular FET, or is it a kind of generic bag? It's 100% specific to this FET, man, without a doubt in my mind. And uh, actually, right after we had did this transaction in the uh, lawyer's office, Brandy and I went and grabbed a quick lunch, and we had decided to uh, take this piece and share it with a couple of friends of ours, uh, Bill Wills and Tracy Hamilton. You know, they're collectors out of, and they live in the Cincinnati area. We just basically wanted to take the piece to them so they could look at it and give us our thoughts. And it's funny you ask that because Bill has an engineering pilot in a sealed baggie, and he got this directly from an ex-Kenner employee. In comparison, neither of these baggies, the one that this piece was found in and Bill's baggie, neither of these baggies are factory standard. They're both pre-production baggies, and they seem, and they actually seem to be one-offs. However, both of these baggies are very similar in construction. Would you say that if you lined up every single FET, would this be the closest one that made it to production? I'll say this, Richard. Up until now, we never knew that the rocket-firing FET had gotten this far into the production process. These things were almost ready to ship out the door when the program was scrapped for safety reasons. But that was something that nobody really knew, that 
it got that far into production where these things, the box were already made, the baggies, they were doing all this testing. Right now, I believe, knowing to everybody, this is the closest it has come or that we have uncovered at this point thus far as something being ready as far as the rocket firing fat to being mailed out to these kids. What about the car to toy face sample? I've heard several discussions about that piece. Uh, in the last few months, I know there's people out there saying that, you know, that the package was mocked up for a regular production sonic welded bubble fit simply because there's really no indications on the uh, card to m- promote the rocket firing feature. And I think they're saying that uh, basically someone at Kenner back in the day inadvertently grabbed a J slot that was left lying around and it was supposed to be a sonic welded fit to be placed inside of the blister and mocked up for the toy fair exhibition. I think a lot of that would depend on the timeline. There are several questions to be answered there. When these figures were mocked up for Toy Fair, I mean, was the rocket firing FET program already scrapped? And most of these rocket firing FETs, I mean, were they already disposed of? Were there actually any sonic welded FETs ready or available to be placed into the mock-up? That's still a very badass piece. And and it's still a part of counter history. I mean, either way you look at it, like like Daryl said, it's a badass piece. But it also holds its own in the history of Counter, I believe. Well, yeah, you know, and whether it was incorrectly packaged or not, I don't think that really matters. Um, Like I said, it's definitely a one of a kind. It's certainly a grill piece. I believe that the discovery of this piece is an important and to this date a missing part of Kenner Vintage Star Wars action figure history. I believe as a whole this piece serves as a missing link, so to speak, in all the lure and the mystery that has always surrounded the rocket-firing Boba Fett mailer program. Now, Brandy, you've said that the mailer box was put together for testing purposes. Uh, What kind of testing would have went on with this? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, We never did get a chance in the lawyer's office to ask him that. But that is uh, one thing that uh, Daryl's going to text him to find out. I mean, I would assume, not that I know to be true, but I would assume they would have did like a drop test type thing on these. They would also put the figure in it to find out the stability of these boxes. I mean, as far as was it, you know, the the crush factor in it, if they were mailing it. And who, who knows, they may have even did like a wet test on it. I mean, nobody really knows, but that is a very good question that uh, we would like to get a hold of this gentleman again and find out because there's a lot of unanswered questions that we still have and we're still, you know, it's kind of like peeling the layers off and still finding things out about it. If I'm not mistaken, this obviously was the first character that uh, you could actually send your proofs of purchases in and receive through the mail. So it was probably their first experience in mailing out single action figures. Yeah. So so this box could actually be a pre-production mailer box as well? Yes, sir. Um, You know, I'm sitting there looking at the box, and it's got a Maple Plains return address on it. And I said, what? How how did you guys in Kenner, a Kenner of Cincinnati, have – these mailing boxes that has a return address of Maple Plains, Minnesota. It just doesn't make sense. Why would it be over here in, in Cincinnati at Kenner? And that's when he told me these boxes were for testing purposes only. Can we categorically state that at this moment in time, none of these vets made it to any stores at all? <laughs> that's a good question yeah, yeah, because Daryl had asked him that. Daryl, tell me what he yeah, told you. Yeah, this is so funny, man. I'm, <laughs> as we're sitting there wrapping things up in the lawyer's office, 
I jokingly look at the guy, you know, sarcastically. I'm like, so um, several of these things were mailed out, correct? And uh, he just kind of looks over at me and Brandy and uh, has a smug grin, yeah, a little smug grin on his face, on his face, and uh, he just sits back. He just leans back in his chair and he looks at us and he emphatically he he said no, (laughs) and then he proceeded to say another step in the process would have occurred. For these to be mailed out. First of all, if these were approved, if the program was approved, he said the next step, these things would have been shipped from overseas in plastic baggies and they would have been shipped to the distribution center. And then at the distribution center is where they would have went into the mailer boxes and been uh, distributed from the distribution center out to the kids that had sent in their proofs of purchases. None of them would have mailed out of Kenner, Cincinnati. They would have all came out of the distribution center. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, that was an emphatic no when I asked him that question, <laughs> that the that any of these uh, figures ever uh, accidentally or inadvertently made it out the door. So these tens of thousands of adults who swore blind that they had one as a kid need to stop watching the X-Files. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brandy, what happened to the other fets? Yes, yes. Well, Richard, I was talking to the gentleman there in the lawyer's office. Uh, Daryl was off doing something else. And, you know, Daryl and I are always joking that we wish that we had some kind of Star Wars action plastic detector, like a metal detector type thing. Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're like two little kids. We talk about go into the old dumpster sites or the landfills and, and, you know, finding these. But I had asked him in passing, I was like, so what happened once the program was scrapped? What actually happened to all of these figures? I said, we've all been told that they were thrown in dumpsters and taken to a landfill. And he said, you're absolutely right. He said, but I'll tell you this. He said, there was an order that came from upstairs that before we were to dispose of these action figures, they were to be broken up into little pieces before they were discarded, which absolutely tore my heart out at that point, as you can imagine, because we all have this thing in our heads where we're going to find, you know, a fallen intact in landfill where an old dumpster used to be. But in fact, he said that all the ones when, when the orders came from uh, upstairs, they were broken up into little pieces so that no one could get their hands on them and it would be, you know, a factor as far as, you know, a, a child getting a hold of it. Do you think estimates of around 80 of these have survived are accurate? Well, you know, the, I've, I've seen the estimates, I've heard the estimates, and, you know, and, and that that is what they are, they're estimates. You know, like there's 60 to 80. That's um, those are estimates that they're saying that's out there. They say there's 60 to 80 uh, L slots that are in collectors' hands today. They also say there's 15 to 20 J slots that are in collector's hands. But, you know, I've been doing some research, and AFA, the L-slots that have been graded, there's been 18 L-slots that have graded, and there's been five of the J-slots that's been graded. And that sounds about right, man, because that's a third of, I guess, is what is is out there. If you compare it to uh, the amount of J-slots that has been grading, according to the AFA population report, I have heard, well, the FA population report on J-slots, there are, there are probably five that have ever been graded J-slots. And that's a third of the 
you know, we've been told there's, including this fine, there's between 15 and 20 J slots in collectors' hands at this time. I, I think only time will tell because, you know, as we've all learned, you know, with us turning on this mailer box, the Rocket Fire and Bubble Fat, the mailer, you know, we're all stumbling on new finds every day. I got my numbers from a Chris G. Well, I'm going to slaughter this last name. Uh, Gorgulius. I call him Chris G. He has, he had stated that, uh, there was somewhere between 15, for some reason, the number 17 is popping in my head. Uh, and Brian Rockfall had come back. Like I said, Brian is really knowledgeable on these as well. You know, like Chris G is. Brian had stated that there was probably somewhere upward to 20 J's. I don't know how they, arrived at these numbers. I think maybe Chris has been pretty good throughout the years of keeping record of these things as they have popped up. As a matter of fact, I think the first J slots didn't show up until 2004, and that was with a John Hallison fine, who was a safety and reliability tech for Kenner. Uh, that was the fine that the Earth had. Uh, Darren and Kathy Muir, who on the Earth, that was their fine in 04. You know, they went out to John Hallison's place after he had responded to an ad they put in the paper about the Rocket Fire and Fett being the, the holy grail of Star Wars action figures, John actually had five or six of these. I think three were J slots and two or three were L slots. As a matter of fact, the first L slot that I owned that uh, Brian Rockfall sold to me, that was one of the L's that uh, was in the find of uh, from John Hallison. So as with most of these finds, there are always a subgroup of collectors wanting to question the provenance of the item. So how confident are you that the mailer and the baggy belong to this actual fit? I'm without a doubt 110% confident that everything, the baggy, the mailer box, both missiles, and the blaster are 100% original to this piece. First and foremost, Richard, you got to realize I purchased this piece directly from the original source, an ex-Kenner safety and reliability engineer. So this piece is basically as virgin as it gets, man. It's an unmolested piece. It's not something that has been passed around throughout the years from collector to collector where possible breaks in chain of custody could have occurred or anything like that. Most all rocket firing fence that have been found, they are found without missiles. You know, the missiles have long been lost because they're small, loose pieces. Most rocket fence have been paired up with a loose missile at a later date. And this one was found with both of the correct eight-sided missiles. I think this in itself speaks volumes to the entirety of the piece. In other words, you know, it just just how complete the piece was kept from when it left Kenner, Cincinnati 35-plus years ago until now. And speaking of missiles, it's a lesser-known bit of information that rocket-firing fence were to be shipped with not one, but two missiles. Very few people know this. Even some of the most diehard Star Wars prototype collectors don't even know this. I didn't know this. I didn't know this until Chris G. recently pointed it out to me. After I had sent him pictures of this piece and the find before we went public with this. Apparently in like late 1978, early promotional material for the Boba Fett new action figure began to circulate. And Chris G. pointed out to me that in the January-February 1979 Kenner Supplement for Upcoming Star Wars Toys. In this supplement, the Rocket Firing Boba Fett mail-in promotion was showcased. It states in the ad that Boba Fett will be shipped with two spring-launched rockets. 
Also, another thing here, um, if you think about it, the guy I purchased this piece from, he's not a collector. You know, he doesn't really have a clue about Star Wars collecting. You know, whether we're talking almost 40 years ago or even today, this guy wouldn't have had the mindset to, I guess for lack of a better term, cobble pieces together in an attempt to try to boost the value like some unscrupulous collectors would. Another thing here is, you know, he never hinged on the on the piece having the baggie in the mailer box to promote the piece to me. You know, in all of our conversations, like I said earlier, over the period of two months, he only mentioned his original box thing one time, and that's when we first met. You know, the next time he mentioned it was the night before I picked it up when I arrived in the hotel, and I just wanted to verify, hey, this thing does come with, you said, not one but two missiles. It's blaster, so on and so forth. And he said, yeah, you know, like the story I told you earlier, and it comes with its uh, original plastic baggie, which is not in good condition, and it's mailer box. And that was exactly how it was intended to be shipped, uh, you know, it, prior to the rocket firing Boba Fett program being scrapped. Brandy, just between you and I here and a couple of thousand listeners, okay. you've, you've said you never, ever allow Daryl to fire this. Have you had a cheeky little test by yourself when you were alone when nobody was watching? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Richard, to the first part of your question, (laughs) no, I have not allowed Daryl to fire it because I already know how far his rocket shoots. (laughs) Oh, come on now. And second part, um, when Daryl's out of town, what Daryl don't know, Daryl don't need to know. All joking aside, I don't ever see us uh, ever firing it because we don't want to risk damaging the uh, firing mechanism, especially on such a rare piece of history. Um, you know, as it stands right now, if Daryl wants to even look at it, he has to stand at a fire. If he wants to touch it, he has to wear oh, the white yeah. gloves. So, uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, so no, I, I don't ever see us, uh, like I said, uh, firing it because I'd be so worried about this is such a pristine piece. I mean, it looks like it's never been touched by human hands. I mean, it's like the legs, the neck have never been, you know how they get like broken loose, out of socket type thing where you can move them freely. This is such a rare piece of history. How do you display a piece like this in your collection? Well, you know, Daryl and I, we, we've had long discussions over this about, you know, do we want this piece to be um, encased in acrylic? And, you know, I, I've been steadfast from the beginning, absolutely not. But the simple fact is we're really enjoying it. And, and from time to time, we do want to take that piece out. We do want to be able to hold it, to turn it, to look at it, to hold the missile, you know, the blasters. So, I think we're both on the same page as far as we don't really want to send it into uh, uh, AFA. We, we want to be able to enjoy it and, you know, on occasion when our friends are around, let them be able to hold the part of history, too, and not just glare through it through an acrylic case. Um, yeah, you know, and I think especially one of those things, Richard, where when we do finally figure out how to display this, I'd like to display all the pieces, obviously, together. Yes. You know, the mailer box, the baggie, the figure, the missiles, the blaster. As, as she said earlier, you know, my L-slot, the first thing I did was I took it to AFA. Um, I wanted to get it graded. I guess I've kind of moved away from the grading and the AFA then thing now, and I, I just feel that this piece is... You know, it was found this way, and I guess to do it justice, I just don't think that sealing it up in an acrylic tomb is is doing the piece justice. So I think we're going to come up with some type of uh, custom display to where we can display all the pieces. 
in your initial post, lots more information came out about the different types of J-Sloft VET and the different iterations such as long stem versus short stem. What's your understanding of the different variations? Um, long stem versus short stem, man. This has just surfaced uh, as far, you know, this is a new one on me, but uh, I'll be quite honest with you. I keep mentioning Brian Rockfall's name. Uh, Brian Rockfall, actually, I think he already knew this. Um, he currently owns several L slots and he owns a few J slots. He's real knowledgeable on these things. Brian actually pointed this out. He asked me if it was a if it was a long stem or a short stem J slot. And I said, I have no clue. I don't know what you're talking about. I ended up sending pictures to Brian, and um, Brian said, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a long stem. And I was like, well, hey, explain to me what you're talking about. And he explained it to me, and apparently, I guess, from the conversations that I've seen back and forth between Brian and another collector, uh, Marty Norfleet, and I guess Chris G., after my piece, uh, my story, I guess, was posted over onto Rebel Scum, uh, they got into a pretty decent, uh, heavy conversation about comparing the two stems, the long versus short. And from what I could gather about that conversation was, I guess, Kenner maybe started out with a shorter stem version and I guess they decided to switch over and try out a longer stem and I guess the longer stem was to help prevent misfires. So I guess when they moved from the short stem over to the long stem J's, I guess they were starting to have problems with the stem breaking off. So this produced a sharp piece after it broke off that could possibly Going to a child's eye, and obviously this was uh, this was a liability issue and a safety issue. And I think you know not only were they looking at the missiles as a choking hazard. Um, once they had switched over and started trying to test these long stem J's, and they started seeing how easily these were breaking, I think they said, you know what, this is let's just go ahead and scrap this whole thing. This is you know this is just not working. Okay, now I want to welcome back Alistair Kirkland for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Alistair? Oh, I'm set. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Turn of the Jedi. Oh, you might say that. Your favourite Star Wars scene? Oh, Last Year, Vader, Luke. Uh, your favourite on-screen character? I'm going to Luke Skywalker. Well, the next one down, I've got... What is your favourite lightsaber, Joel? But that's, uh, I think you just answered that. <laughs> yeah, bit of a redundant one. Uh, your favourite prequel movie? Ooh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. And what about the current set of movies? Force Awakens. What is your favourite on-screen costume? Oh, Jabba. Jabba the Hutt. Take that. Multi-person costume. <laughs> Very good. And what is your favourite helmet? It's got the iconic Stormtrooper. What was your first figure as a child? First memorable figure was Weequay. Oh, of course, and we obviously spoke about that in the interview earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your uh, favourite figure as a child? So, uh, I think probably Luke Bespin. I really like my Luke Bespin. Yeah, nice. I used to like him. And what about what's your favourite figure now? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'd say it's Luke Jedi, but I do have a soft spot for Weequay, as you know. Which figure would you most like to have seen as a child for playability? Really, Miss Biggs. What was your favourite vehicle or playset as a child? 
snow speeder. Realise. And what about now? I think I have. I'm going to stay with the snow speeder. All round, it's a great vehicle. And what what one playset or vehicle from those original three films would you love to have seen back in the day? Maybe an add-on trash compactor for something. Cell block trash compactor. What is your favourite card back art? I'd say the Palotoy 12 back with the Death Star on the back. Um, what was the last Star Wars item you bought? I've seen it looking at a few things. Uh, uh, the last thing that arrived was a Palatoy Landspeeder. What is your most recommended go-to Star Wars book? A reference type book. Uh, I'll actually go, go with the old Super Collector's Wish book. I really like that. It's got some odd bits in there. And it just, there's a lot of colour. Super Collector's Wish book. I'm yeah, not aware of this one. Uh, Jeffrey Carlton. It's a lot of stuff that you see in Tome Arts, but there's a bit more colour. It's laid out really well. Yeah, nice, nice. And what about your go-to Facebook group? Probably Echo UK. And, uh, well, this has been very, very smooth. Uh, what is your Holy Grail item? Personal Grail. It's the Sigma display piece, display unit from the States. That is a brilliant piece, uh, answer. and that is one of the smoothest uh, rapid fires I've ever recorded. A uh, real lack of editing on that, so thank you so much. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> On to going for gold leader. Gold leader. Andy, Mark, I hope you've kind of know what this is about. Yay, nay? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, just, pretty much. Just guess away. It's um, the easiest way. I've I've picked quite an easyish thing this week, so it it will go. It'll be the first who can um who can get it. Uh, Pete is on a three on the trot at the moment. He's got four wins oh! under his belt. Richard's got three. Jez two. Steve Savory is in there as well with a victory. Right. So are you boys ready then? Clue one. I have two paper stickers unique to me. Stop. Andy. Uh, the um, double LP. Double Sorry. LP. That's incorrect. Good guess. Stop. Pete. Uh, R2D2. R2D2. That's incorrect. Anyone else? Um, stop. Mark. Power Droid. Mark Daniels wins. Oh, Mark. <laughs> that was very very quick. There you go. First clue. The rest of the clues was uh, I'm a loose translation of how i'm seen on screen um i contain rubber i debuted Ooh. in 1978 i'm part of an extremely rare multi-pack from canada in 1979 i originally retailed at one dollar 99 um i was included in a three-pack with r5 and death star droid which i'm sure rich would have got it at that <laughs> point and the final clue would have been to, I'm often referred to by a name which represents a noise I make. Mark, that was very quick. First ever guess. Nice First ever victory. And uh, Jez has played this 30-odd times, and you're only one <laughs> win behind him, which <laughs> which I always, uh, always appreciate, yeah. Yeah.
gold leader. Rich, any feedback from 63? Yeah, so over on Stars from UK, it started off with the clocks chat. As quite a few people actually like the clock shoes. There's very, very few people come on and actually said that they agreed that the clock shoes were um, quite limiting in their appeal for want of a, a kind word. With the Tuscan Vader appearing to be the most popular, a lot of people have mentioned that the fact that the Tuscan Vader has that etched design. Uh, quite a few people liked it, with I think probably the R2 coming in a very, very close second. So I'm just going to pick, uh, pick some out. So thanks to Martin Woodgate, he loves clock shoes. He has five pairs of Clarks US, those are Vera, he's got two pairs of Lear, R2 and the Tuscan Vera. And he also has two pairs of Clarks Canada, he has the R2 and the Jet Fighter, all in brand new condition. He also has three pairs of brand new Stride Rides as well. But he and many others have also agreed that the box art is fantastic on the American uh, Clarks. And see, that's what initially drew him in. Um, but he loves this, he loves the shoes. So seventies represents the time period so perfectly. The the time period that he grew with and love. Now obviously as we know Martin Woodgate's um a fair bit older than us, so I think the seventies is probably is more, more era ways we were moving out the seventies going into the eighties. So so cheers about Martin and I love looking at your pictures. A lot of people, uh, Mark and Ian over on Stars from UK, uh, and many others on Facebook enjoyed the Chris Malbone interview. Um, they found his tales from the old days fascinating. They found it such a, a nice, easy to go listen. They really, really loved it. And I believe Mark, you recommended um, the guy from Leicester Village and Toy uh, Village Leicester Vintage Toy Store, didn't you? As a possibility of somebody else who may uh, be interested to interview as well. So, um, absolutely, we'll, we'll, yeah. 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 Joe so, is, um, Joe. is just he's, he's, a, he's an absolute wealth of, of knowledge regarding toys and not just about stores about so many other different toy lines yeah de- definitely recommend uh, interviewing joe we've done joe oh yeah he was on my section ages ago i went, went up there spent half a day with him you <laughs> did yeah you did because you got tall up at it yeah. photographs didn't you <laughs> we had a great day out <laughs> yeah yeah i remember that now oh yeah, well I, I can't remember when it was but it was we have i have done it yeah Great episode, guys. Fantastic finale at your trio of interviews, Pete. Found the chat with Chris from Metropolis Toys fascinating, in particular in the memories of Jim Stevenson. And a lot of people had said that, you know, it's obviously sad what happened to Jim. Uh, Jim has passed on now. That is correct, isn't it? I've heard that many times now. He's died recently? I believe so. So, so Joe, we've been told from multiple sources now that Jim has passed on. So um, it it was great to hear... Chris's uh, recollection of the times with Jim and lots of people were sharing stories online um, and Joe Rookie's put there his type of historical interviews are priceless and this one reminded me of the great Dan Florida interview on the card class with Steve Denny that was also a great interview as well the new licensee section proved popular seems like it would be superbly fascinating discussion bring wealth of knowledge from number beyond the toys areas um, in fact this might just fill the large beyond the toys gap that uh, appeared when Grant waved goodbye to the podcast so, yes, it, it, we've been in a discussion for a long time about bringing some kind of licensee talk in there. I think uh, Pete jumped in with both feet, brought two really, really good um, licenses to the to the forefront. And we're looking forward to seeing that continuing because, according to the SWCA, there should be enough for 28,000 podcasts. So that's going to keep Pete busy for quite a long time. Lots oh. and lots and lots of positive comments on social media. Um, Twitter went wild for about a day, and it was because uh, Nathan Hamill, son of Mark Hamill, had commented on one of our posts, and then we got way more likes than we've got on Twitter after that one. Lots of new followers. And those were mainly on the Death Star post. Quite a lot of people will look at the Death Star, and if 
were weighed up Kenna versus Palatoy. I think for every one Palatoy like, there was 10 Kenna likes. And that may have been because most of our uh, market on social media is US-based. But the amount of people who really, really love the Kenna desktop playset was, was quite surprising. And I didn't think I found a single person have a bad way to say about it. Um, equally, the Brits were out in force as well, and they were saying, nope, the Palatoy one is the best one. Uh, so so it was nice to see so some great discussions there. So Stu, if anybody has any feedback they'd like to leave us, um, and before I move on, actually, I better just say one thing. Um, nobody contact us privately to say, oh, that Jason guy, oh, that didn't work, or that Ed guy, oh, you've just replaced one, you know, dull jazz with a dull Ed. We didn't get any of that at all. Okay, so we've got, we got some really nice positive feedback um, on the guests. Work really well, change your voices. And, and both of them just come in like, uh, you know, old shoes getting slipped on old feet. So, uh, Stu, if anybody wants to leave us any feedback or any comments on Mark and Andy's performance on the show, what's the best way of getting in contact with us? <laughs> yeah, no pressure, Mark and Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, of course, you can find us over on Facebook by searching The Vintage Rebellion. Again, search The Vintage Rebellion on Instagram or follow us on Twitter at SWTVR Podcast. Um, you can also email us at swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can listen to all our shows, as always, on Apple Podcasts or via Podbean Director, swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. And, of course, now on Spotify, which many of you seem to be using. A huge thank yous this month to our guests, uh, Alistair Kirkland and Ben Sheehan, and, of course, Brenda Burton and Daryl Johnson for that older interview which we've rehashed uh, since we recorded this show which was about a fortnight ago i do have a bit of news uh, it is with a heavy heart that i have decided to step down from the podcast um, i know the podcast had quite a few changes at the moment and i know that i feel i would have i would have stepped down at some point in the next couple of months and while they're going through a bit of a rejig and a bit of a re restructure uh, perhaps it's best to do them all at once um, i've loved every minute of every show um, I've met so many great people through this hobby. I've gone on so many great trips, and, um, had so many great moments, and uh, it's been a real, real pleasure. I've made some proper decent friendships for life via this show. Um, but, but for me, it's it's time to to do other things. Um, I'm not leaving the hobby. I am going to take uh, a couple of months off and enjoy the likes of Echo and Fibers from. Um, but um, I want to come back and do something different, a new project, and uh, just something fresh. But um, I wish Rich and Pete and all the other guests who they're going to get in or replace us with all the best for the future. You know, that it's, it's in safe hands. I'm pretty certain of that. Also, thank you to Andy and Mark. Great to have you with us tonight. And uh, hopefully, as you settle in a bit, we'll abuse you a little bit more. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, mate. I really yeah. enjoyed it. And uh, it's such a fantastic podcast. Listen to it for ages. It's a, a real honour to be asked to uh, contribute. Thank you. Yeah. I would echo those sentiments as well, Andy. Uh, thank you very much for asking me. It's been uh, a delight, as always, uh, talking with you guys. That is it for this month, though. 
So see you all at Echo, those of you that are coming. If anyone's around for a beer, Mark, you around for a beer on the evenings? Oh, yes. Wouldn't miss it for the world, mate. So, uh, yeah, get your drinking head on, mate. It's uh, beers and curry. Going to look forward to that. Not <laughs> for yet. sure. Yeah. Um, but it is for this month. Goodbye to Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Andy. Cheers, all. Goodbye from Mark. Good night. It is goodbye from PD. Ooh, ooh, ah, Dekar. boy. And it is. And it is good night from me. And remember. Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? I don't believe it. Was it recording up to when Mark came in? I'm going to go and check. It says here that Stuart is recording the call. Yeah, because he's just turned it on. Sorry, I just turned on. No, Stuart, I haven't got any of that. It was very good, though, Rich. Right, Stu, I'm just going to record that in my own time. I'm not going to go forward that again. Uh, the only problem is I've lost all your questions now. Well, mate, I'm, I'm happy to just drop in with you one night if it's right. easier. Yeah. And, we've, oh, and we've lost the we've lost the intro bit as well. Right. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. We haven't it. done that in ages. No, it's been it's been years since I've done that. Let me just check. My other recording stuff hasn't kicked in. Right, for some there's definitely something wrong because my Skype recorder is just it's not even starting now. Uh, I've got a problem here, Stu, because my recorder, which has never failed for like three years, is refusing to record. I can't believe it. Right now it's recording. Right. I cannot believe that. <laughs> uh, I cannot believe it. I'm sorry about that, Rich. Oh, it's, it's, you, mate, he hasn't recorded any of it. Yeah, I haven't recorded any of it at all. What you like, Mark? Oh. So I'm so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, see, I, I'm getting blamed for stuff. I don't even know I'm doing it <laughs> half the time. No, the, the way the recording software works, Mark, is um, it records the number of people in the call, but when a new person adds, it doesn't always just add them into the call. It shuts the software down, and then you're supposed to notice it and then restart again. But I haven't. It doesn't even look as though it's started recording the first place. We were starting at half eight, weren't we? That was the time that I was. Yeah, yeah, because Andy had uh, Andy had scouts or something, so yeah. Right, okay, well, we'll go back to start. Waste of time. <laughs> Can't believe I didn't even look up and notice that you weren't recording until the moment I finished. I do you know what. Since I've had this, I keep doing that, don't I? I did it on the um, flipping interview the other day as well. I need to get into the habit of. Straight away. Actually, actually, Rich is wrong, actually, about something. I'm going to correct him on it. Because the figures at the time were actually... Uh, Bowman Monk was actually a Kenner figure.
Yeah, it was. It Yeah, as a male away figure, I have that figure. I love that first one. My favourite figures. It, it was a Kenner figure, so actually, Mark technically. Is that the rocket firing Bo Marmong? No, no, the Bo <laughs> was a Kenner figure. He wasn't this is a very one. suspicious pause for Mr. Daniels. I think he's going to watch the movie. Down. Yeah, if he comes back with the right answer, it's going to be ruled out. Well, I know who it is. I'm confident. <laughs> hey, here he is. Shit, sorry about <laughs> that. Right, it's crashed again. I don't yeah. know what it is. It's doing my bloody head in. Okay, so right, we'll, we'll Mark, edit the back. Richard's been lying to you. The Beaumont Monk was a Kenner figure. Oh, shut up. Right. <laughs> He's lying. Okay. Sarah, well, you got it right. Right, I'm, Mark. I'm with Mark.